studying one of the greatest masterpieces of all time called the Book of Romans. I, I presume it could have been, had, had a better book, but it, a better name, but it was written to a very specific uh, group originally. It, it was written to the church that was in Rome, made up of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, it, it could have been called the Book of Redemption, uh, the Book of Total Knowledge regarding salvation or something of that nature because it is a, it is a rare piece of literature. And working with this book, you'll see that Paul struggled uh, from chapter 1 through chapter 7 uh, with his old nature that he had battled as a rabbi and as a, as a high churchman in, in, in his religion. He had battled with it, that when he wanted to do right, evil was always there. And he had a, a big problem. But he, he broke through the clouds in, in chapter 8. And he came uh, into a, a new life and a new light. And so if you would open to page 72, uh, the lesson is entitled Victory Through the Holy Spirit. <coughs> if you permit me to say so, I think that might be the greatest need in this country right now is, is information and, uh, and, and instruction and who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit is, what he can do in your life. I think there are many so-called Christians that have little concept of the Holy Ghost himself, and they want to relegate him to an it, or they want to relegate him to an impersonal influence, but we want you to know that Jesus Christ said, I will send you another comforter, and when he is come, when he is come. And, and so we are dealing with the third person of the Blessed Trinity. The, the Holy Spirit. In the book of Romans, uh, uh, chapter 8, Paul proclaims that the Christian can have their victory through and in the glorious force and power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think we can learn enough. I don't think we can overdo it. I think we should penetrate it. Uh, and uh, great, great men of God spent their lives penetrating it and so you and I should do likewise. In this book and this chapter, Romans 8, verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. The word Spirit there is with a capital S, uh, teaching us that there's a person involved, not an influence, but a person is involved. Uh, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God. I don't think you can be led by an influence. You can only be led by a person with intelligence. And so, if you're led by the Spirit of God, those people are the sons of God. That is a very simple statement. It is a potent sta a statement that there's only one qualification. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're a son of God. And those that are not led by the Holy Spirit, they're not children of God. And so the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. He is also part of your spiritual being, your salvation, and every other part of you. I wish to give you 12 things the Holy Spirit does. It's very likely that this will be part one of this, of this uh, lesson, Victory Through the Holy Spirit. Number one, it says, he sets us free 
from sin. Now, now, this is a statement that could take a lot of uh, amplification. <clears throat> Romans 8 and 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We have, uh, we have spoken on this at times, and possibly we should, you know, speak on it even, even more. If you put a little circle around the word law, there is a law relating to the spirit of life. And notice again, it's with a capital S, speaking to the person of the Holy Ghost. There is a law. Now, uh, some people think it's an emotion. Some people think if you feel like it, you move in the spirit. If you don't feel like it, you don't move in the spirit. This has nothing to do with that at all. You are in Christ by a law. You are in Christ through the law of the spirit, of the spirit of life. Isn't that amazing? There is a spirit. Uh, his name is the Holy Ghost, and he is the conductor of life. And so when you become a part of him and you begin uh, to follow him, you have entered into a system of, uh, of, of things that, that are set down, Laws are always written, written laws. And, and you're, you've entered into something that you can know about for sure. It's not guesswork. It is, a, it is a knowledge that is for sure that you can enter into a law related to him who is, the, who is life, the spirit of life. Now, it, it's very careful to say this spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. One of the last things the Lord spoke on this earth was he says, now I'm going away. I will send you another comforter. I will send you another comforter. So whatever he does, he does it in Christ Jesus. He never does anything on his completely own. He receives his information from Jesus Christ and God the Father, and he communicates this to you and to me. So when you know this, you, you know that you're working in a law of life in Christ Jesus, not outside him, not other than him, but this is part of the very essence of Calvary. The Holy Spirit will lead you to Calvary. He will teach you what it means to be saved, and he will quicken something within you for acceptance of the truth of salvation, and he becomes part of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, this law of life has made me free. Say free. It has made you to become a free person. It has made you to become a person not in shackles. It, it, it just makes me so angry, you know, at alcohol. Alcohol is the nearest nothing that ever came out of hell. Alcohol is artificially made. It doesn't grow like flowers. Man has to make that poison in order for it to be poison. And so he, he makes that poison and it ought to be in his radiator and he puts it in his body. And, and when he does, he's not a man anymore. He becomes a beast. He becomes a nut. He becomes altogether something else. Alcohol has never done a human in history any good. It has caused millions of people to go to hell. It's caused millions of murders. It's caused millions of broken homes. And anybody that has a good word for alcohol, brother, you need your screws tightened up. There is no good in a thing. The Bible says specifically that 
that, that clean water and fresh water and salt water cannot come out of the same hole. And don't you start saying good things are in there because the Bible's already locked you out by in telling you that you cannot have bad and good in the same thing. It's either good or it's bad. And alcohol is bad. You read about it in your papers and, and you read about the terrible situations that have happened where, where uh, because of alcohol, dumping, dumping uh, oil into the oceans and, and doing all th kind of things that contaminates nature, <coughs> the, 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 the wildlife and, and, and human life. It hurts everything. Can you say amen? We ought to keep every living American out of taverns. If we have to with our foot in his back end. I know you don't like it. You just got it free, you see. Some of you, your refrigerators is full of the stuff. And you'll go to hell with it too, I'm sure. It, it says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. As I was going to tell you, that the great thing that I have against alcohol uh, is that you become a prisoner of it. One man told me, he says, I can stop drinking anytime I want to. I ought to know. I've already, I've already stopped nine times. He doesn't even know when he's a slave and when he's not a slave. He's never stopped. He just jumped a ditch was all. And, and, but Jesus can set you free. Say free. free. He can set you free. And you young people, you ought to be very smart and leave it alone completely and absolutely. There's no good thing about it. Jesus can give you more high in two minutes than you'll ever get anywhere else. It'll make you, it'll set you free from another law. Now, maybe you didn't know it was there. A law of sin and death. Sin and death work on laws. Transgression is the breaking of a law. Nobody can go to hell without transgression. The only way to go to hell is transgression. And, and so there's a law there that if you break this law, transgression, uh, then you have to be punished for it. Uh, there are laws in our universe uh, that you, you have to obey them. If you climb up on top of this building and say, you know, I'm a good American and, and I'm a great American and so forth. I don't have to obey the laws of gravitation. Well, just try it and see. You know, when you hit the ground, you'll find out you should have obeyed the laws of gravitation. There are laws set in this universe. And if you're stupid enough to break them, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it with tears and sorrow and hell. It's so much better to live good and to live right and to live correct. It's the happiest way to live. After 76 years, I can tell you of a truth. I've never seen a person live for God that regretted it. And I have seen tens of thousands that wish to God they hadn't played with sin. Can you say amen? All right. When you come into relationship with a beautiful law called spirit of life, in that law, you receive power and authority in that you become, you become and have dominion over another law called the law of sin and death. That, when anybody says the devil made me do it or anybody says I couldn't help doing it, you're not telling the truth. You really want to do it. It's your problem. Because when you come into this new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, then you have broken and destroyed the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death at that point has no jurisdiction over you. Can you say amen? That's point number one. 
uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit is involved in setting us free from all sin. Number two, the Holy Spirit cancels the penalty of death. Now, when you sin, you're under a penalty. There's your law coming in, the law of sin and death, you see. So when you transgress and you deliberately tell God you're going to do as you please, you're going to break his commandments and so forth, remember, you come under this penalty. But in Romans 8 and 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from this law of death. And so he cancels the penalty. He cancels the penalty that you bring yourself under because of your transgression. And so the penalty is then gone. Now, and number three, he fulfills all righteousness. Now, now this one is great. You have to really let it sink into you. I hope you're not thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. Let your spirit reach deep down into what we're doing right here, right now. And the very next verse, which is verse 4, Romans 8 and 4, it says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? That the righteousness that belongs to the kingdom of God, that the righteousness there is in Christ Jesus can be fulfilled in us. You know, it can be fulfilled in us. People can look at us and say, well, there it is right there. You know, there it is right there. We, we can identify the world by saying, look at me. I've gone through this law of sin and death. Its power has been broken. And I'm living in a new law, the law of life in Christ Jesus. And so he says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. When you're walking in Christ Jesus, you don't have the problems that other people have. The Holy Spirit has broken that thing over you. You don't have to wring your hands and say, oh, I, I wish I could stop this, I wish I could stop that. No. The Lord Jesus told us specifically that adulteries and lying and murders come up out of the heart. They don't come from your head or your hands. And in the Arab countries, if you steal something, they cut your right hand off. No, they should cut your heart out. Are you here? I mean, they're, they're missing the mark. It's not your hand that steals. It's your inside, your, your solical parts of you that do the stealing and, and not yourself. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he fulfills the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is when we receive and accept the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in his efficacious death for us on the cross. When you say, I receive the blood of Jesus Christ for my salvation, not my good works, and, and uh, not the nice things that I do, not the nice things that I think about, but when it comes to my salvation, I receive the grace given unto me through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am now saved not by anything that I have ever done. I am not saved because Jesus died on Calvary and because my sins were washed away by his blood, I have believed and I have received and I'm saved. Hallelujah. And, and so if you will receive that, that is the righteousness. 
That's God's, God's righteousness is the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from our sins. And Isaiah, it says, it says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So if you try to cook up uh, your own righteousness, uh, you, you won't ever get to heaven. Human righteousness will never save you. It's the righteousness of Jesus that we receive and it is put on the inside of us. We're unworthy of it, but it is the gift of God unto us. And we, when we receive his righteousness, we're saved through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Now, in that verse five again, he says, they that, you know, walk after the flesh. Uh, that don't really mean your skin here. It doesn't really mean your skin. Uh, what it means if you walk after carnality, that if you walk after the things of sin, if you're wanting to be out there in the sinning line with the sinning people, and you're lusting after their parties and their shows and all the stuff they have, that's what we call walking in the flesh uh, and in the natural, in your Adamic nature, uh, in, your, in your mind, your emotions, and your will, uh, which is your heart. And we find that that's where you will be walking. You will not be walking in God, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Ghost. You will not be walking in the Word of God that directs our feet and is a light unto our pathway. But the righteousness of the law, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the things of this world. We just don't go that direction. We walk after the Holy Ghost. We're here right now in this class by the moving of the Holy Spirit. We could have been somewhere else. We could have all been somewhere else. But something inside of us said, hey, let's go learn more about God. Let's go learn more about heaven. Let's go learn more about how easy it is to love Jesus and to serve Jesus. And that's what we're here for. And then he says, and we are they who refuse to walk after the flesh. And, and we refuse to mind the thing. That means give yourself over to it and endorse it and so forth. But we are those who walk after the spirit of the living God. What a beautiful way to live. What a beautiful way to live. Now you see, uh, he hasn't mentioned a denomination yet. I mean, it's still here. I know you're really sad that he hasn't said that your denomination is saved. You see, hell will be full of denominations, you know. Everybody be quarreling which denomination is best down there, I imagine. But they're all in hell, you see. You're going to get to heaven because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't had that, you're not going to make it. And so it's better to go God's way and to believe the word of God and to be sure of heaven, to be sure of heaven. Can you say amen? I used to write a little thing around uh, real, 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 real often in my Bible and notebooks and all. I write these little words. I'd say it's better to be safe than sorry. You, you know, a young person has so many little things that can happen, you know, that he can do this and do that and do the other. And then, is it wrong? Is it not wrong? Is it good or is it bad? You don't have to do that when you follow that little maxim, you see. If you say, no, it's better to be safe than sorry. If it's going to rebound and, and steal your life and steal your spirit away from you, it, it's just better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, you're real vocal out there. I see that. Number four, he dwells or indwells all believers. There, there is no doubt about it at all. Uh, that is in verse 9. But ye are not in the world. That's another word for that word flesh there. Uh, you're just not in the flesh, he says. But you are in the spirit, 
still with a capital S, speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit. You are in the Spirit. Why I keep saying that is we're not talking about your spirit within you. Your spirit within you is an experience. You're, you're, you're born again uh, through receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then your human spirit uh, connects itself with the divine spirit, and that we know that we're the sons of God. But we're here discussing the person of the Holy Ghost and His function and operations on the inside of us. And, and as I've said before, you cannot learn enough about it. No human that ever lived has ever known too much about the moving of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And if you're not interested in that, I can tell you one thing. You are dull spiritually, and you live in a desert spiritually, and you likely will get worse all the time and not better. Everybody hear that? Life is made up this way. You never remain in one spot very long. You're either going one way or the other. If you're not in this class to get more spiritual, for sure you're going to get duller against God. You're going to have other things you say, well, I just like those things better. And if you do that, you're going to miss the great prize of the universe. You're going to miss seeing Jesus in heaven. I want to see him, don't you? All right. But you're not in the flesh or in the world. You're in the spirit. If, put a little circle around that little word, if. It's just two letters, and it just means everything. And that's something. If so be, that the Spirit of God, still with a capital, you see, not speaking of an experience, but the person of the Holy Ghost. If He, the Spirit of God, dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ. Now, the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Christ. That when He functions in this earth, it is Christ functioning. When he moves in your heart, it is Christ moving in your heart. He is a co-worker with the Lord Jesus Christ in your behalf. And, and so when he begins to function and to work inside of you, that is the Holy Ghost working in you in Christ Jesus. They, they are functioning there together. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you, that good spirit, kind spirit, Holy Spirit, love of the Word of God, love for prayer, love for the house of God, now, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, that's very simple, isn't it? If you don't have this Holy Spirit guiding your life, you don't have Christ at all. The Bible says you don't have Christ at all. You may have a religion. You may have a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. But you do not have the essence of Christ if this Holy Spirit that we're teaching about, if he doesn't have dominance, preeminence, and if you don't ask every day for his leading and his guiding, if you don't do that, then he has no part. Jesus Christ then has no part in your life. Jesus Christ can only have part in your life as the Holy Spirit brings you to him. It is the Spirit that brings us to Christ. When we say a person has conviction, it means the Holy Ghost went in there, made him unhappy. Not that he should come to the Holy Spirit, but that he should come to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is working on behalf of Jesus in every person living on the face of this earth. And all the people said, all right. It says, if we have not the Spirit of Christ, we don't belong to him. We're not his uh, whatsoever. All right. Uh, in verse 10, the, the next verse, it says that he gives life. It says the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You know, every one of these verses just could be broken down into, you might say, many 
many sermons or lessons and so forth. They are so important. They're so directive to our living. And people that don't read the Bible miss all of this. If your Bible is laying there with dust on it at home and you haven't turned to Romans 8, you just can't imagine what all you have missed and God talking to you through him, uh, the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit is life, the Holy Ghost himself. He is life because of righteousness. What is righteousness again? It's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleansing us from our sins. The only righteousness in heaven is the blood of Jesus. There is no other righteousness in heaven but the blood of Jesus. And if you ever expect to get there, there's only one road. If you ever expect to get in, there's only one door. And Jesus himself said, if you try to get in any other way, at that point in time, you are a thief and a robber. And so we just don't want to get in, try to get in any other way. And all, this, and all the people said, Amen. We are into the second part uh, of the lesson that we began in our, in our last study. It's called Victory Through the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, we are beginning to work today on page uh, 73, which will be part two, which we would like to complete if, if at all possible. We have entered into the, uh, the book of Romans, and I'm sure you have uh, come to realize that in this one chapter, chapter eight, the word spirit with a capital S is mentioned 19 times. Uh, and and uh, in the first seven chapters, it's only mentioned once. <laughs> so finally the Holy Ghost got in and made the book of Romans something different. Made it something choice. In the first seven chapters, they were struggling with the humanity and with the Adamic nature. But they turned that thing over in chapter 8 to the Holy Ghost and the world's been changed ever since. Can you say amen? At the bottom of the page, on uh, uh, page 73, the law of the Spirit versus the law of sin and death. And as we have tried to uh, strongly emphasize that we are not working by happenstance, that we're actually working by set laws. There is a law of sin. And, and you can't change that. It's as strong as the law of gravity. Uh, I can give you an example of it. You, you commit adultery and God will forgive you, but there's a law regarding adultery that you bear the mark as long as you live on your conscience and on your spirit there. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. It's like driving a motorcycle 90 miles an hour and wrapping around a tree a few times. The, the, the surgeon can sew, sew up the holes, but the marks you'll carry to your grave. And, and th there is a law of sin. Now, you've you got to know that. Young people ought to know that. Because you, you just don't sin and go scot-free. You can get forgiven and go to heaven. That's altogether another thing. But sin bears its own marks. You know, Adam could have gotten forgiven, but brother, he could not go back the other side of transgression and start over again. Everybody here? Uh, a, a, vir a girl that's a virgin does not give her body to some dirty low-down boy and then decide to be a virgin again. How many are still here? I wish you'd learn something. Some people think, oh, that second chance. Yeah, Samson had it, except he was blind. 
kind of a poor second chance he got a hold of there. Yeah. I'd rather stay with the first chance in Jesus' name. The law, the law of life is in Christ Jesus. That means there is no life anywhere else. The law of life, the Bible says, is in Christ Jesus. And if it's in Christ Jesus, it cannot be found elsewhere. We've dealt with Romans 8 and 2 for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And uh, I don't think you can deal with it even sufficiently, much less too much. Hath made me free. Say free. Free from the law of sin and death. And so there's also a law in Jesus Christ. We're not living by your feelings. If we could ever get people beyond that, it would be very good. Uh, uh, beyond your feelings, we're living by the law of the new birth. We are born again. I had three sons, and, and at one time, all three sons uh, were uh, in, their, in their teens. They're about three years apart, but at one point, they were all teenagers at the same time. We were living in a frame house, and it should have been brick, because you can't raise three boys at one time in a wooden house. <laughs> the wood isn't strong enough. And, and if they would have all three come down those wooden stairs at one time saying, am I a son? Am I a son? I'd have said, would you go back to bed? I don't want to discuss it. You, 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 you see, you're not a son by how you feel about it. You're a son because you've been born again. And if we could ever get our wonderful believers throughout the world to know that there is a law of life and that we live within the law of life, which is in Christ Jesus. But let them know also that there is also a law of sin and a law of death. And it's not by your feelings either. You must say, I don't feel like there's a hell. Honey, your feeling's not going to change hell any, you know. There, there are laws there that we're, that we're working with, and we're not working with your feelings whatsoever. At the top of page 74, when you are free from the law of sin and death, then, then you are not in any form of bondage anymore. Whom the Son sets free is is free indeed. Free absolutely and completely. Now, it grieves me to see, I might say, beautiful people uh, that love God pushed down and pushed back by things like fear or grief or uh, sickness. When we are made free, say free again. We are made free by the Spirit of the living God. Uh, which is in Christ Jesus. When you are free, you're not in any kind of bondage. You're in no bondage to sin. You, you don't need to sin. And when you sin, remember the Bible says that these things come up out of your heart. They do not come from the devil. Now you got to know that. The poor old devil gets blamed for everything. And a lot of it you're to blame for, so leave him alone. You're free from sin. You're free from every sort of bondage. You're free from the old covenant. You don't have to offer up lambs and pigeons and goats in order to have your sin. You're free from that. And now you're in the glorious liberty of the sons of God been born again. And the Spirit of God is written in our hearts. 
when the people of Israel worshiped, they went to the altar and the, and the offering went up and they said, oh my God, because of this one that has not sinned, I hope my sins will be gone. You don't have to do that. We know that we know, we're sure that we're sure, we're positive that we're positive. This thing is a reality. And God wants us to live in the real. And all the people said, the old covenant could not bring salvation uh, to mankind because it was, it was only a kind of an image of something that was to come. It was the forerunner of the true thing, getting ready for the Son of God to come and to save the total world. And the next verse is Romans 8 and 3. For what the law could not do. I wish you could get a few, you know, people that are called Seventh-day Adventists. I wish you could just read that to them a few times. They're still trying to get there on the law. And a few Hebrew people, Jewish people, you know, you could talk to them and say, listen, the word, the word says what the law could not do. It, it had a lot of time, you know, all the way from Moses to Christ. He had a lot of time. And then with some people for the last 2,000 years, a lot, a lot more time. It says what the law could not do in that it was what? Well, that's the way you said it, weak. That it was what? Weak. The law, I'm not quoting from the Israel Buck catalog today. The word of God says that the law was weak. And if the Bible says it's weak, it's Okay, uh, through the flesh. Well, that's the reason for it right there. It's, it was a natural thing, working with natural people and, and, and trying to get them to repentance of their, of, of their sins. Then look at the next word. God sending his own son. Say own son. That makes the devil more angry than anything else in the world. That makes modernists more angry than anything else in the world. And that makes these... Uh, the, the, these people that are parading uh, today about the new age makes them more angry than anything else in the world. They think they're their own God. To say, we're going to talk about that more today. Uh, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had one nose. He had two ears. He had two eyes. He came in the likeness of the rest of us. He, but but that was all, just, just looking like us. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He proved to us that you could live above the Adamic fall from grace in the Garden of Eden. He proved that there was a hope that was a total fulfillment of the desires of the human person. That he could reach out and above the storm clouds. And that he could find in God the answer to every problem. If you're glad for it, say amen. Condemned sin in the flesh. So the old covenant was weak in that it, it functioned in the physical realm of the human and not in the, in the spiritual realm. So man often says, and, and this is under your sea, man often says, you know, the devil made me do it. Now, 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 now this is a lie to blame all these things of our sinfulness on anyone else, whether it's your mother-in-law or the devil. It's just not right to do that. Romans 8 and 8 says, So then, they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. Before you're born again, you can't please God. You can be so moral, so moral, so moral, so moral. And that's a good thing. It's the best way to live, of course. But that does not please God. Living in the natural does not please God. Living in the supernatural pleases the Most High God. 
we, found, we, we have a, a story of the little girl, this is your point too there, who lived in the Philippines named Clarita Villanueva, and she was bitten by devils for at least three weeks that the doctors had record of there in their books. As she was under the power of Satan, and after she was delivered, she told me personally several times, because when a person gets, gets set free, I like to talk to them. And I would ask her, did you obey the devil? Every time he spoke, she says, no, I didn't obey him even half the time. She says, what would you do? She says, I'd scold him and say, shut up. I'm tired of listening to you. But I said, you were possessed of the devil. She says, that didn't make any difference. I didn't have to obey him. I, I was writing theology. You see, here was one possessed of the devil and admitted that she could rebel against him anytime she wanted to. And says, over half the things he told her to do, she said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And, 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 the, and, the, and the doctors didn't know that the things that she was doing, she was deliberately doing, and the things that the devil told her to do that she did not want to do, she just said, no, I won't do that. You say, what does all that mean? It means what I teach, that your will is the biggest thing you've got. You should love your will. In fact, I have a whole book on it. You should study it, go through it, and see the potential of your will. It is so supreme that in the garden, when the Lord Jesus Christ made his last prayer to the Father, he said, not my will, thy will be done. He did not say, not, not my brain, but thy brain be done. He did not say, not, not my emotions, but thy emotions be done. It was will. Your will is the most powerful thing that you have. Your little brain can say, I think I'll do this. Your emotion can say, yeah. Your will can say, nope, it's all finished. It's the last speaker. Of your, of your triune unity inside of you called your solical parts. And those three together combine what we call in the Bible the human heart. Can't get into that right now, I'm sorry. Uh, what is in a person's heart is what he will talk about. Now, you just listen to people talk. That's what's in their heart. If people are around telling dirty stories, they're real dirty on the inside. And, and how he will live. If he is in the flesh, he will be talking about a sinful life. In Romans 8 and 5, that's, that's the next verse here. For they that are in, that are, they, and for they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. Your tongue is telling people who you are all the time. If you're always angry, you've got an angry spirit inside of you full of the devil. If you're always irritable, you've got an irritable devil inside of you. You need to be cleaned up out of it. Everybody still here? All right. Uh, if, if he is in the spirit, he will live a righteous life. How many believe that? If you're living in, in the spirit. So that Romans 8 and 5 continues and says, but they that are after the spirit, they do the things of the spirit. So the whole verse there says, they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, they mind the things of the spirit. So it's all according to what you are on the inside of you. The, the carnal mind, the carnal mind, let's, let's read it together, verse, verse six. For the carnal mind, for the, to be carnally minded is death. Now the word carnal there, uh, I, I might tell you, I don't, I don't like that word. Uh, coming up to us out of Latin, uh, in France or in, in French or also in, in, in Spanish, uh, if you say, what is that? He says, carne, that's your skin. 
You say, I'd like to have a piece of meat. They say, you want some carny? I said, no, I don't really want skin. That word carny gets me all, and these, these are romantic languages, because uh, your skin and the beef you eat are both carny. I didn't think you'd like it either. And that's where we get this word carnal. And that's the reason I don't like it. It's, it's, it's too close to beef, you know. For to be carnally minded, beef minded, skin minded, it, it, it has to do with a natural person, unregenerated person. To be carnal is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I, I think you ought to memorize that, don't you? Let's say it together. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Well, that's the two things you want, life and peace. And all you have to do to have it is to be spiritually minded. Your, your, your insides lean toward God and, and toward the Spirit. Now, it said here that the carnal mind is also enmity. That means an enemy of God. Look at verse 7. Because a carnal mind is enmity against God. Now, now you've got to listen to this 8th chapter of Romans. If you're, if you're living in your flesh and you're living in your carnality, you're an enemy of God. Adam fell from grace and didn't get up. And you're Adam's seed. And if you're going to live like Adam, you're going to be an enemy of God. He says, to be, to, because a carnal mind, your natural, your natural self. Now that, I hope you don't think that's big. Every child in the world lives exactly like Adam. What does a baby do? The first thing it does is, does is yell in your face. Or you say he's in pain. Oh, he's not in pain. He's showing you who's boss, teaching you something. He says, I'm boss. If you don't believe it, I'll yell till you submit to me. You take him to the store, what's the first thing he does? He steals. Goes walking out there and says, what you got in your pocket? Oh, I picked it up back there. No, you didn't. You got that off the shelf. Yeah. What's the next thing he does? He takes other people's stuff. You, you let two kids get together, and what do they do? They grab each other's things. They're worse than New York City. Those stock market guys back there grabbing each other's stuff. You don't get bad. You're, you're born bad. And all children are the same on the face of the whole earth. Everybody needs a Savior. His name is Jesus. Because a carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law. Say law. That's what we've been talking about, you see. God's business is directed by laws. The devil's business is too. The law of sin and death. And we live in the law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Is not subject to the law of God, and neither can it be. It's not a matter of trying. I'm going to do better. No, you're not going to do any better. Three-fourths or maybe nine-tenths of all the men that go to jail say, I, I'm going to do better now I get out of here, especially if you're talking to them. And, and, and most of them are back in in a year's time. You say, why? They didn't get out of the old law. They still lived under the law of sin and death. 
It says, the carnal mind is part of the Adamic nature, uh, uh, which we are all born into. In Psalm 51 and 5, it says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. Talking about the baby. And in sin did my mother conceive me. You, you ought to kind of, you know, keep that handy so you can read it to people because most people in America don't believe that. Most of the people in our country do not believe that at, at the present time. The carnal mind is part of the natural, unregenerated existence. But we as believers that have come to know Christ, look at verse 9. This is Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the carnal mind, flesh. Ye are not in the unregenerated thing. But you are in the spirit. It's Romans 8 and 9. How many have a book like I got up here? Let's see your hand. What's wrong with the rest of you people? How do you think you're going to learn a thing if you don't even have a textbook? Oh, you say I get it free in the Sunday school lesson. You just get one-tenth of it free. You, 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 you pay for the other nine. How many are still here? Why don't you learn the Word of God, take this thing home, and study the Word of God, and your life will be changed? Can you say Amen. You're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Isn't that simple? Living for God is so simple that if the spirit of God dwell in you, then you're living in the spirit. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, that's a born again experience, that's being saved. Not a church member. This is a personal confrontation with Jesus. Then he is none of his. That makes it very simple. You don't belong to God. You don't belong to heaven. There's no way you can ever expect to ever get to heaven. You're just none of his. He says, I am the door. And if you will enter eternal life, I am the only door there is. There isn't another door. If you try to climb up any other way, you're a thief and a robber. So it's better to go in the door. Can you say amen? Heaven has no windows. You're not going to sneak in is what I'm trying to get at here. The carnal mind is unpleasing to God. That verse 8, so, so they that are in the flesh, they cannot uh, please God. But in answer for the troubled person, the troubled mind, in Romans chapter 8, and I've already uh, told you 19 times, 19 times is one chapter, the word spirit is mentioned. And beginning in chapter 1 through verse 8, only one time, man was struggling with himself. And Paul, being a high religious leader, was struggling Every time he wanted to do better, he, he missed it. Every New Year's resolution uh, went down the drain on January the 5th, just like yours. And, and, but when he got to chapter 8, he bursted into sublime revelation. How many are glad for that? Sublime revelation. How beautiful. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of Christ. And, and, and verse 9 says, you're none of his. If you're not, it isn't necessary to be in Christ. The Spirit of God then is in you. The Spirit of... The Spirit is life, at Romans 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead. Now, now that don't mean in the ground. That means it's not boss anymore. It's like a dead battery. It's not functioning. You, you've got it under control, you see. It's dead because of sin. But the Spirit of life lives because of righteousness. So the Spirit, the Spirit that is within, within us is actually a Spirit that you could call the, the spirit of resurrection. You find that in verse 11, the next verse. It's on page 76. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost function as one. 
and, and uh, the Holy Spirit brought Jesus up from the dead by the consent of God the Father. And so you had all three of them functioning there. If the Spirit of Him, capital S meaning the Holy Ghost, that raised up Jesus from the dead, if that Spirit dwell in you, now this is one of the greatest verses in the Bible, so don't let it, don't let it, you know, it's a teaching verse. If the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that had the power to bring Jesus from the dead after three days uh, of being there, if that same Spirit dwell in you that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken. That word quicken means alive. It's an old English word and possibly most of your Bibles is not there. It, it shall quicken you, bring alive, resurrect. It shall quicken you and it shall quicken your mortal bodies. Your body will be changed. And the insides of your body and your soulish parts, they will be changed. It shall quicken you. How? By His Spirit. By, we ought to pray every day. God, quicken me by your Spirit. God, quicken me by your Spirit. Can you say amen? The Spirit that dwelleth within you. Verse 13 says, For, we, for if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if we through the Spirit Mortify, that word mortify means to kill. Mortification means to die. It means to destroy. It means to annihilate. Get it, pull out of you. We, it will mortify, kill, destroy the deeds of the body. Then, then you shall live. <laughs> then you shall live. I'm glad you're alive in Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be alive in Christ? Alive, alive in Christ. That course, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And he's alive in us. Now let's get this. That same spirit that brought Jesus from the dead, if that spirit dwell in you, resurrection spirit, if that spirit dwell in you, that same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead will quicken our natural bodies, our natural souls, will quicken us how many have ever felt the quickening of the Holy Ghost? Well, I feel it almost every day and almost every hour of my life. Shall quicken you, and then you shall live. We are studying today in our teaching syllabus on page 77. We are talking about how human persons can become sons of God. You could say that very strong this way, how a human person becomes a son of Elohim, the creator of the heaven and earth. How does he manage to reach uh, from the corporality of, of this world and touch the hand of the mighty creator of all things? It's beyond human comprehension. And uh, someone has said a long time ago, it's better, it's better felt than telt, you know, that you may not be able to tell it very strong, but it sure feels good to know that you know and that you're sure that you're sure. Can you say amen? Welcome to the class, everybody. One of the greatest truths in the entire Bible, uh, God's holy word, is that mortal persons, humans, men, women, like you and like myself, can become and know it for sure that we have become an immortal person 
and that we have now become part of the in eternal God of eternity to live forever. <laughs> Life is so full of things that end. When I first came to this city, if somebody had said that Studebaker will end, everybody in town would say, well, you're an idiot. Get out of town. But those ghostly buildings over there tell a story of how things end. One of the local bankers sent me a note that I requested from him, giving me the names of the companies that had gone out of business here in the last 20 years. I tell you, you could write a book on it. Singer Sewing Machine Company and people like that that, have, that were here for so many years and then they, there has been from this area, uh, they, are, they are gone. It's wonderful to be linked up with immortality and to know that forever and ever and ever you're going to live with God. Are you glad for that? It is a beautiful thing. In Romans 8 and 14, these words, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, only those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are, say are, don't you like the positivity of the Word of God? They are the sons of God. No doubt about it. No wishful thinking. They are now the sons of the living God. And so we have many people who say, how can I, how can I know that I'm a son of God? His spirit bears witness with our spirit and we know that we are the sons of God. The devil always wants to put a counterfeit in. And so the doctrine of reincarnation is widespread through our country. It is the stupidest, stupid doctrine in the universe. Came out of hell, born in the hearts of pagans and heathen that are stupid. And now we understand that about one-fourth of the total people of America believe that they are reincarnated or that they change from one life to another life form after death. That in one life they can be a mouse, in another life they can be a, a tick, in another life they can be a grasshopper, in another life a donkey. Let's keep them right there. <laughs> now there are Americans that say they believe that today. They did not believe the truth, so they believe a lie, the Bible says, and are damned. Your believing can take you to heaven or hell. So it's very important what you believe. Can you say amen? amen. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Uh, th that to me is a very, a very strong statement. But I'd like to read you John 1 and 12 first because I wanted you to have the two texts, Romans 8 and 14 and John 1 and 12. But as many as received him, that is the only way to become a son of God. As many as received him, to them gave he the power. That's what you call being born again. That is the new birth. That is not church membership. I just want to inform you that Churches have sent more people to hell than alcohol has. You say, why? It gave them a false hope. 
You can belong to the Lions Club, but don't make you a lion, make you a pussycat. Are you here or not? Belonging to something don't make you anything. You can belong to the eagles, but you better not try flying on your own. You can belong to all the churches in this city and miss heaven. Because the Bible says the pure in heart will see God. Say pure in heart. You have to be born again to become one of the sons of God. And we want you to experience it and to know it and be sure of it. But as a son of God, I want to tell you something. You will go to church. You won't stay home. I want to tell all you people that call yourselves Christians and you're not in church. I want to tell you something. You've deceived yourself. You stop going to the dining table and you'll whistle out. You'll die. It's where you go to get your food. And you stop coming to the house of God and stop being fed firsthand. Anytime you think you can pick up enough religion on television to take you to heaven, just test out and see if you can get married to a girl on the telephone. Yeah, some of you are so dead you don't know you're dead. You don't even know what it means to be in love, much less anything else. As many as received him, he gave them a power. When you believe what Jesus taught Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Then you have received the power to become the sons of God, even, even to them that believe upon his name. There's the whole sequence of what it means to become a son of God and our daughter of God and how you how you react with that. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, as we have just read to you from the Word. Now, there are people who want God to, to yell at them, and now this is important, very important. That some of us want God to yell at us every day to give us directions for that day. But for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, so God's plan is different. He, he wants to direct you as a father who guides his own children. He wants to give you freedoms and liberties. To be in the will of God, he don't have to yell at you every morning. Say, get up at 7 o'clock. You ought to have enough in you to get up without God yelling at you. And you don't have to say, oh, Lord, what is thy will today? What is thy will today? I have three sons. And I'm, I sure thank God they don't call me at six every morning and say, Dad, what am I supposed to do today? I'd say, well, number one, go back to bed. As the children of God, we know how to live. The Bible teaches us how to live. Our, our spirits teach us how to live. And all the people said, good children do not always have to have their parents giving them verbal instructions. The children know the parents' desires for them. And they, they do it automatically. That's what sons of God is. That God doesn't have to every hour give us a slap side the head and say, go left, uh, go right. Uh, he, we know in our spirits. I know God wants me to preach. I know God wants me to come to church. I know God wants me to read the word. I know God wants me to pray. I know he wants me to witness to others. Well, I know so much about it. Just go ahead and do it. 
Christians do not have to have God yelling at them in any direction, in every direction that they are going to take. But if we will read the Word and be full of the Holy Spirit, we will know what it means to walk as sons and daughters of God. Probably 95% of all Christians, I'll change that to 98% if you don't mind, of all Christians are in God's will. For the only way to be out of God's will is to volitionally rebel against God. How can my sons be out of my will? By deliberately doing what I don't want them to do. You see? And when they say, well, I don't want to deliberately hurt you, then they're in my will, you see. As for what particular thing they might be doing, or visiting a hospital or praying for the sick or working on a television station or something, the particulars, they carry on because of sonship and not because of me telling them what to do. They say, this is the thing that I should do as a son, and I'm going to do it. That's the same in our spiritual lives. If we know what we should do, let's do it. And the only people out of the will of God are those who have said, I will deliberately disobey God. He wants me to do this like Jonah. God said, would you go to Nineveh? God said, it's a great city and it needs help. Go and preach to those people my salvation. And rather than going east toward Nineveh, if that preacher didn't go west toward Spain, and it would have been a lot easier to go to, to Nineveh. He could have rented a horse and got there, and, you know, riding a horse in just a few days. But he decided to cross the Mediterranean Sea where there are all kinds of storms. He was looking for trouble. And sure enough, he didn't get out of sight of land before the wind began to blow adversely. He tried to hide. He went below deck. That's the way, that's the way backsliders are. They're all below deck. They don't know what's going on spiritually or any other way. They're below deck, asleep. I'm reading to you from the Bible. Asleep. Before God got through with him, he woke. By the time they tossed him overboard, and he entered into the door of the first submarine and had a three days journey third class, that, that fish lashed him all over the Mediterranean at about 90 miles an hour. When that thing puked him up, he was glad to be puked up. And you know what he did? He went east. Yeah, he, he got his directions right. So be out of the will of God is to rebel. To be in the will of God is to say, Lord, have thy way. Whatever you say, I'll do. And most Christians do that. Most Christians that I know of, they say, Lord, I want to be in your will. I want to do what you want me to do. Well, then you're in the will of God. You don't have to be doing something big to be in the will of God. All you have to do is say, Lord, I am willing to do anything you want me to do. And I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to bless people. I'm going to help people. I'm going to be exactly what a Christian ought to be. And all the people said. So we, I, I personally believe, I've never heard anybody else say it, but I personally believe that most Christians are in the will of God because they want to be. They want to love God and to serve God. God's personal direction for you or for me uh, it may change. Now, this is the top of, top of page 78. We're talking about sons of God uh, being, uh, walking with, with God. And at the top of the page here, it, it says it from day to day. I was pastoring in this city one time, and the church was really growing. I mean, it was, it was a fireball. We had, we had a thousand adults and a thousand kids, and 
Even the mayor would come out and say, let me look at all these children. I'd lead him through the rooms and let him look at the children. He was excited about it. In those days, the city even rented their buses. And you passed down Michigan Street. For about two blocks, you saw solid silly city buses there. And, and they, they rented them to us. And, uh, and after that, they, they found out that they shouldn't be renting these city buses to a church. And so they didn't any more than we began to buy, to buy our buses. But I was enjoying the work. And one afternoon, about three o'clock, the Lord says, I want you to go to Manila. I didn't know whether to rebuke the devil or say, thank you, Lord, you know. It was a complete change. He said, if, I, if you'll go to Manila for me, I'll touch the whole nation through your ministry. I said, really? Really? A whole nation? I, I've, I've seen this city touched. Uh, how about a, a whole nation? I said, Lord, if you'll do that, I'm willing to go. Now, that's a change of course. Now, God couldn't make me go. I could said, I'm in South Bend. I'm going to live here and I'm going to die here. I would have lived here and possibly died here too. And, and I would, would never have been what God wanted me to be. Never have grown spiritually in the Lord. Because sometimes God may change your course and then you can't just sit where you used to be and say, well, I was in the will of God. I believe that there are some people who were in the will of God. Now, in, the, in your reading here in point number one, under this B, Elijah was such a person. He was in the will of God by the book Cherith, and he was eating the sandwiches, which, which God sent the ravens every day. He was drinking in the brook that ran right by his feet. And, and what a wonderful situation he had come into. That he was actually being fed from heaven every day. Then one day, God said, go to Zarephath. He was in one end of the country, and God said, go to the other end of the country. He said, go to Zarephath, and you will find a widow, a poor little thing that, you know, her husband was dead. She had no natural way to make a good living. He says, go to a widow and, and, and dwell there with her, and, uh, and I want you to, 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 to know that I'll supply both of your needs, all, all of hers and all of, his, all of yours, during the whole time of the famine. Now, about that time, the brook dried up. I think God gave him a few days' notice, but he was so comfortable, he didn't want to leave the brook. Then when it dried up, he said, hey, hey, God, you're, you're, <laughs> you really do want me to go, don't you? Now, that's like some of us, you know. We, we, we wait until God dries up the situation until we, we get tired and weary of it. Then we say, oh, well, man, I better. He, he did mean what he said a few days ago. You don't have to do that. You can leave with the book running. Say, bye, little brook. Uh, I've been called on your assignment. And move right on with God. Can you say amen? You just don't have to wait till your brook. When God wants a redirection of his will in your life, it, it is something that is so real until you can't say this or that. Maybe so. Masamanus. You just can't do that. Because... Because when God speaks to you, if he's ever talked to you, he makes it for real. When God spoke to Moses, there's no doubt about what God wanted him to do. And when God speaks to us, it's the same today. And all the people said, amen. Another example of this is in the New Testament. It might be good for us. Uh, there was Andrew, who was a disciple of John Baptist. 
and had been baptized by John Baptist and was a first-class John Baptist man. Belonged to the Baptist church, the first Baptist church there ever was, and no doubt he was on the board. You know, he was very close in there. But one day this Baptist pastor says, Behold, the Lamb of God was pointing at Jesus and said he must increase and I must decrease, and he was pointing at Jesus. And this young Baptist said, hey, I see something better coming down the road. This pastor that I'm talking about says his church is going to get smaller, going to decrease. And I just don't happen to like decreases. How many likes decreases? How many likes increases? Okay, just want to see if you knew what you liked or not. Some people are not sure which way they're going. We'd like to help you. He left the Baptist church and joined the Christian church. Jesus said goodbye and never went back. Stayed right there with Jesus. Now, what was the will of God concerning him? It was the will of God for him to find that Simon Peter brother of his who was up there working on nets 100 miles away and get him down there and, and get him through to God. He wasn't even following John Baptist, you see. And, and get him down there and get him through to God so he could do the mighty things that Simon Peter did. And so it was the will of God for him to make a change. Now there's some people that refuse. No, my grandma went to this church. I'm going to go to this church till I die. Well, honey, if your grandma was alive, she wouldn't go there. She'd have more sense than that. The thing died after she left anyway. So why don't you move with what God's moving? Do what God is doing. Be what God is. And then you'll know what the will of God we as the sons of God walk in the will of God. And all the people said, so, so the key to being a son of God is to be led by the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible says. And so we accept it. Now, your point number two, the, the spirit of adoption comes upon us, that we are adopted into the household of God. In Romans 8 and 15, that's the next verse after 14 that we read to you, for, for you have not Receive the spirit of bondage. I put a circle around that myself. Spirit of bondage. The Bible says here, I didn't say it. The Bible says here that bondage has a spirit. That bondage has a spirit. The bondage of alcohol has a spirit, the Bible says. The bondage of illicit drugs has a spirit. I put a piece out of the newspaper uh, yesterday, I think it was in the Houston paper, it might have been all over the nation, that said there are millions of our older people, elderly people, that are, that are drugged on prescription drugs from their doctor. I, I tore it out and I, 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 I keep some of those things. And I said, isn't that a pity that in the last days, nothing but a drug addict, you have to be honest about it. I just want you to know something I'm as old as any of you out there. I don't take an aspirin tablet. You say, don't you ever have a pain? Yeah. What do you do? I tell the Lord how good I felt before I had the thing. I'd forgotten how good it felt not to have pain. And so I began to feel real good about when you don't have pain, it feels good. How many thinks it feels good when you don't have pain? Well, when you got pain, you can remember that and say, hey, I was feeling good. I'm going to start giving thanks to God when I don't have pain. Are you here? Yeah. And, and so evil has bondage related to it every time, every time. Immorality has bondage to it. 
it is a bondage. He, he said, for we have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. Did you know a spirit comes upon you when you're saved and you're born again? And your neighbors can see it. Your kin folks can see it. Everybody can say, hey, you don't act like you used to act. You don't even look like you used to look. Yeah, we have been adopted into something else, into a new family. We have been adopted into it. And because of that, we say when we pray, our Father, Abba, Father, our Father which art in heaven. We start praying to a new daddy because we have been adopted into a new family. How many glad you've been adopted? How many really feels it's wonderful to be a Christian? You do. I do too. I, I feel, I feel that way. So outside of Christ, there's bondage and slavery, as you have there under point B. Uh, with the spirit of, of bondage, there comes fear. Isn't that amazing? With the spirit of bondage, there comes fear. Millions today live in the bondage of fear. Uh, science calls it phobias. And we have listed here a number of those phobias. Maybe I shouldn't bother to read them. Acrophobia, fear of heights. and uh, Arerophobia, fear of flying. And then we, we have about 20 others here showing you the different fears that the devil has. I want to tell you something. If you're afraid of any of these things, anything from fear of strangers to fear of fire to fear of cats and dogs, there, there, there's, there's a bondage in you that shouldn't be there. That God wants to set you free from that. I am not afraid of anything. You say you're not afraid to jump off of a hill. I don't tempt God. I wouldn't be stupid about it. I am just not afraid to be alive. I'm not afraid of the future. I, I'm, I, I'm living for God and loving God and serving God. And I'm a happy person along with that. And I believe that you can be the same. And all the people said, in 1 John 4:18, it says, there is no fear, say no fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Now, now there's one of the great scriptures of the whole Bible. Make a circle around it. That's 1 John 4:18. Now, how many believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible? The Bible says there's no fear in love. God is love. So it really means there's no fear in God. That if you're in God, there's no fear. If there's terror in any part of your life, you can cast it out. You can say, go, I am in God. And there's no fear in God. Perfect love, that's fullness of love. That's God's love. God's love in our hearts cast it out. When Jesus comes inside of you, he throws out of you fear. He casts fear out of you because fear has torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. In our lesson today, how, how humans become sons of God. In our last lesson, we covered page 79, 77, up to 78, and in uh, part of 79. We read in Romans 8 and 15 these dramatic words. It says, for we have not received the spirit of bondage. I think in our last lesson, we, we said a word about that, that bondage is a spirit. It is an awful spirit, a dreadful spirit, binding spirit, uh, that uh, we have not received the spirit of bondage to fear, but we have received 
the spirit of adoption, that being born again is also a spirit. It's the coming into us of the spirit of the almighty God. And, and so the spirit of adoption, and we cry, Father, unto our heavenly Father. We cry, we cry, Father, unto him. And in verse 16, it says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He's showing you here how you can really know that you're born again, that God's spirit mingles with the human spirit, and you recognize that you are a person with a new nature, with a new source of life, a new source of strength. And, and so the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with the, our own human spirit, uh, which is not your soul. It is your born-again reception of, a, of new life from God when, when you were born of the Spirit of God, and that you are the children of God. Now, in Christ, we have the spirit of adoption, that we have been made part of the God family. Notice that the spirit of bondage is written with a small s, and, and the spirit of adoption is written with a capital, uh, revealing to you that God is talking, and that the spirit that we receive is a divine spirit, and, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, himself. When we're taught to pray, say, Abba, uh, Father, we enjoy the same word, a type of word that we do, we say Daddy, uh, uh, to our own Father. It is our divine relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. I take, take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what, what thou shalt, what, thy, what thou wilt. And, and so he was revealing here a, a, a means of speaking straightly and directly to God, and that we, that we have the same privileges of speaking directly to God as a father, not, not as a, an acquaintance, uh, not as a great big God on a big throne that you can't reach, but father is your most intimate relationship along with your mother, and that we have become part of the mighty family of God. Are you glad for it? There's a divine communication from the Holy Spirit to our human spirit uh, concerning the reality and the right privileges and the responsibilities pertaining to our father-son relationship that we have with, with God. To me, that is a most wonderful. You don't belong to a church you, you, or denomination. You belong to the Father. You are, you are born into the God family, and we are now the sons of God that not does not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like him when we appear with the Lord Jesus Christ. At the top of page 80, the sons of God become heirs. How many knows what heirs mean? Yeah. You own part of the property. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs. You see, we're not just guessing here. We have become heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs. With, with Jesus Christ. We enter into the end of the God family. And if it so be that we suffer with him, then we will also be glorified together. You say, what does it mean by suffering with him? That means that if you love God, wicked people don't like you. And, and uh, when wicked people come against you, 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 you just bear up and take it. That's all. And, and so you become, you, you become one that uh, you might say you suffer with him doesn't mean that you go to the cross. His blood is all the blood that's ever needed to save the whole world. 
but yet you have to maybe better where there would be reproach. You, you, you bear the reproach. Uh, we live in a world today that if you are a solid Christian and you are, you are born again, the world thinks there's something a little strange about you. Uh, it, it, it's a very, it's a very, it, it's a terrible thing that with all the Bibles we have in the world and all the churches we have in the world, people still don't understand a born-again Christian. And, and you get really born again and you follow God, the world has no comprehension of what's happening to you. I, I'm, I'm glad that whether they understand it or not, we got it. <laughs> Glory be to God. The people in the Roman church in the city of Rome, uh, they understood inheritance. Uh, they were located at the very heart of the wealthiest empire of history, and daily they experienced the royal splendor of, of world conquerors. The armies, the merchants of Rome had brought to their capital a city, the finest of clothes, food, jewels from every part of the then known world, from Egypt and India and Greece and the islands of the sea, and, and had all yielded their treasure to Rome. So Romans understood very well what it meant to enter into an inheritance of wealth. They, they say, yeah, we know what that means. They weren't little kids in the boondocks that said, well, what do you mean, a stick of candy? No, they, they understood what it meant. They were very close to the heart of empire, and uh, that made a difference. The Jewish members of the church there in Rome understood uh, from Abraham's covenant that they were to be the heirs of God. And so both the people that, who had been pagans, the Romans, and those who were Jews, they both understood what it meant to come into this relationship of heirs with our God. And today the Holy Spirit has revealed that our sonship to God also means inheritance and inheritance rights. We have rights. If we were to assert, if every Christian were to assert his rights and talk about it every day, you know, uh, you, you only really know what you talk about. And if you stop talking about things, you, 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 you become dull toward it. You don't, have a, you don't have an understanding of it. And we need to talk about what we are, what we have in Christ. Can you say amen? The, son, the sons of God, as sons of God, we create a, a, a strange glory <laughs> that sinners do not know about, do not understand. Let's look at it. Romans 8, 18. We're going right through this chapter 8. We've been doing this now for several lessons. For I reckon that the suffering, now again, you can say misunderstanding, uh, some people seem to suffer before others do. Uh, someone in the family can, can abuse a person and say, I don't believe in what you've got and so forth. Now, one person would call that suffering, the other one would call it my, my crazy sister. You know? And, and, and so, as, what is called suffering with some people to other people is just a little agitation. And, and so, suffering here don't mean they got the toes cut off or the fingers cut off here. It, it just simply means that, they, that those around them were irritated toward them because they were followers of the Lord Jesus. And that day hasn't changed. We still have that. For I reckon that the misunderstanding of our present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory. Now, now, now there's your contrast for you. Now, whatever may happen to you and what people say, oh, you're a religious person, you're, you're a preacher person, and so forth, that whatever they might say uh, has no comparison with a glory which shall be revealed in us. That the, the payoff is so great, it don't matter what to say. And, and another way to look at it, if a little boy is standing by the roadside in rags, and, and you, you ride by in a nice new automobile, and he says, shucks, I wouldn't have that. 
<laughs> what are you going to do? Say, oh, look, he, he's criticizing me. Well, if you're going to accept it that way, uh, then all right. But if you just smile and say, son, I'd offer you a ride, but you're not worthy, uh, and just keep going on, you got to know who you are in Christ. You've you got to understand that we were once in the beggarly rags of sin, but today we're wearing the robes of God's holy righteousness, and we are, we are something. Say, I'm something. You see, you've you got to know this, uh, and you know it from knowledge. You know what you used to be and what you are now, and so we have to stand up for that. But he says, there is a glory which shall be revealed in us. Hey, that's going to be a, a dramatic moment in, in history and in, in eternity when that comes about. Just as Jesus suffered and was rejected in this world, so we will also be. In, in Matthew 10, 24, and the disciple is not above his master. You see, we can't expect to be treated nicer than Jesus was, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, equal, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Now, Beelzebub means prince of devils. And so he said, now, if they call Jesus, you know, not only a devil, you're the prince of devils, says they... Your neighbors and some of your family may call you the same thing. How many have been called a bad name? Let's see your hand. Uh, well, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> these, these earthly sufferings are compared to, uh, to nothing in comparison to the, uh, to the great glory awaiting us uh, when we meet our Lord and Savior. And because of that, you see, Jesus suffered the shame of Calvary because he knew that three days later there's going to be a different show on the road. Uh, three days later, he could move right straight through granite, right straight through stone. He could move from country to country general in a second's time. He knew the glory when he would come forth in the grave shining like an angel and said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. He said, I can suffer these, uh, you know, these little things from little people because of the greatness that's going to come after. And I think you and I can feel the same way. And, and we ought to feel the same way. Uh, the, the entire world awaits the moment when we shall be like Jesus. Can you say amen to that? In Romans 8, same chapter, Romans 8, 20, uh, 19, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Our hearts within us are crying out, saying, Lord, when shall we be transformed? When, when, when shall we be translated? When shall we be moved up into heaven? When shall it be? In 1 Corinthians 15, 49, and as we have borne the image of the earthly, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly. We shall, we shall look like Jesus. When we get to heaven, you see, what is it going to look like? When we get there, we're going to find out and look just like him. Are you glad for that? We're going to look just like him. Verse 50 says, now, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That means you have to have an immortal body in order to get into the kingdom in heaven. Neither doth corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I, I, I show you, Mr. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I, I got such a thrill reading this uh, from, the, from the Word of God uh, yesterday and as I was preparing this lesson for you. Verse 52 says, In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, the, the, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall I put on cor 
the put on incorruption, and the mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Say victory. <laughs> thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a what a wonderful promise that we, we shall be immortal creatures. We are now. And at the moment of the manifestation of the sons of God, when Jesus shall come back for his own, then we shall be in our glory and in our strength. And 1 John 3 and 2, it says, Beloved, now, say now. And I, you ought to make a, a real uh, circle around this. It says, now are we the sons of God. Some people say, oh, after death, we're going to do this. And after death... Well, that's a long way off here. Let's do it now. It says, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. We're going to be prettier than we are now. I'm really glad for that. But we, but we know, say no. You know, you know, some people guess and think and believe, and we know. We know that when he shall appear. We shall be like him. Say like him. Now, not, now you see, you've got to believe what we've been teaching here about this manifestation of the glory of God in our lives as his children. For we shall see him as he is. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, it says, the Lord himself, say himself. That means they're not an angel. The Lord himself shall, shall descend from heaven with a shout and, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hey, isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Isn't that something? And so shall we ever, 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 no departing after that, ever be with the Lord. These are the things that will come to pass for you that are the sons and daughters of the Most High God, born again by repentance, changed and transformed from wicked people to good people. That is part of our inheritance. Aren't you glad for it? Isn't it thrilling? The, the earth is waiting for its redemption. Romans 8.20 says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by the reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's all of us. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, creation, and brother, it's groaning more today than it ever grown in history. The whole creation that it groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which, which, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, that is the redemption of our body. When our bodies, you know, everything on this earth is of the earth. Uh... Fruit drops off the tree, becomes part of the earth again. Your body dies, disintegrates, becomes part of the earth again. Everything of this earth always remains on this earth and returns back to this earth. A horse can die and the body will disintegrate and become back a part of the earth from which it came. Everything on this earth was made of the earth. But you and I are talking today about the sons of God and the immortality of the, of the soul. And with this, it is not part of this earth. We're born from heaven. 
just like we were born of the earth. We are born from heaven. And this thing that we have will never go back to the earth. It will never become part of the earth. It is a divine thing set within us, and it only has the expressions of heaven within us. And when he comes, then he will change this thing that came from the earth and make it something that did not come from the earth. And, and we shall be, we, we shall be a, an incorruptible creature that shall live with him forever. Hey, I think that's worth living for. How about you? Yeah, some of you work hard to get a new car. You better work a little harder to get a new body. Well, that's a little weak. In Revelation 21, 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That, that Even the heaven above us, the great atmosphere, heavens, uh, it, it says they shall, they shall pass away, and, they were, and there was no more sea. And, and they were, you, you know what the sea is, don't you? It's just a big garbage pit for you. That's what the poor thing is. It's a big garbage pit for the whole world. And one day they won't, be in, won't need any more garbage. And there will be no more sea. And, and, and Isaiah 65, 17, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered. Hey, I like that word. After all the wars and all the sorrows down here, just wipe that thing out. Can you say amen? Nor, nor even come back to our mind. In 2 Peter 3 and 10, it says, But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. And that simply means it when you're not expecting it. In, in which the heaven, heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt. Now, scientists know more about that today than they did a few years ago. You know, that we, we have power today to melt the very elements, the air to melt it. The elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Now, if there's any scripture in the Bible that gives you the proper relationships toward God, that's it. If you're going to love the things of this world, and you'll just be destroyed with it, that's all. Uh, that's it. The things of this earth are going to go away. No matter how big your diamond is, it'll never leave this earth. It'll never go to heaven. There's no heaven for diamonds. I made some of you feel bad, I know. But, uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, Everything on this earth, the Bible says it will be burned. And, and uh, only that which is immortal, all, all that which is divine, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, you maybe have a little vault down at the bank where you put a little piece of gold about that big. And where you're going, they pave the streets with it. Yeah. You see, how deep are the streets? Oh, six or eight, ten inches deep. Pure gold. And the remarkable thing about it is it says that that gold is transparent. The molecules are right. You look right straight through this stuff. Yeah. And, and, and oh, I think it's worth living for. How about you? Yeah, I, I really like it. Seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, you know, that this world is going to cease to be, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, no matter how pretty your house is, no matter how lovely your dresses are, no matter how large your diamonds are, one day, one day they shall all be dissolved. What manner of person ought ye to be? Isn't that a question to ask us? Now, now knowing that these things are, 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 are temporary and will not last forever, then what kind of person ought, ought we to be? He says, you ought to be in all holy conversation. Conversation. I think that means more than talking. <laughs> I think it has to do in every, with every aspect of our lives and a holy life and godliness. Looking. Put a little circle around that word looking. 
I don't know that there are very many people that are actually looking for Jesus to come today. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. And, and then there will be a complete new heaven and a complete new earth. You say, when should that be? It will be after the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. After the world has had a thousand years, and the book of Genesis is compared to the day of rest. Six days God was completing the heavens and the earth. Seventh day he rested. And on the seventh day, the Lord is going to send his son to, to rule here for a thousand years to show man what the earth could have been like. What the earth could have been like if he had just lived right. It, it, isn't that amazing? So in Romans 8, 24, under your point number 8 on 82, for we, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he hope for it? But if we hope for that, we see not. Then do we, with patience, wait for it. We're waiting for that day when we shall meet God. And Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope. Why don't you put a circle around blessed hope? Uh, the, you know, there are hopes. But this is a blessed one. Blessed hope. Uh, the, the returning of the Lord Jesus. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one of the great scriptures of the whole Bible. That we are looking for the blessed, the blessed hope. And our blessed hope is that we can live with him forever. And our mortality puts on immortality. First uh, John 3 and 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Better make a circle around that one too. If you say, I'm looking for the Lord to come, you're living a dirty life, you're lying. It, it, it says that we, if we are looking for his coming, we purify ourselves. And that's in your Bible. That's in your Bible. First John 3 and 3. That we purify ourselves even as he is pure. Even like Jesus. We live like Jesus. When we have this blessed hope that one day Jesus is going to come and take us to be with him. Romans eight twenty six. We just keep going a, a step further as you see. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we have not... The, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When you learn to pray by your spirit, it's a lot stronger than praying with your intellect. Uh, it, it, it's a different. You that have the Holy Spirit to so pray in the Spirit. Let the Spirit himself pray through you. And, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind of the Spirit is because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. If you will pray in the Spirit, in the Spirit, you will learn how you are directed. <clears throat> your, your, your last point, all things work for our good. And we know that all things, say all things, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his promise. And so you and I know that we're doing the right thing and the good thing and walking with God, of being Christians. Some may laugh at us, some may say, oh, you poor old Christians, I feel sorry for you. And that day you won't feel sorry for us. <laughs> when we're made like unto him and, and our glorified bodies, there won't be any reason to feel sorry for us. It, we'll be happy to feel sorry for you that you fooled away your time and, and didn't love the Lord and serve the Lord and go to heaven. The greatest achievement in life it's to know that you're saved by the Spirit of the Lord and that you walk with Jesus every day and that you're ready for the appearing of our Lord and Savior from heaven. Can you say amen? amen. Father, and I bless these today as we study 
the Word, and the Word lives within us, and that we prepare ourselves for the future, especially the glorious future, when we shall have the full accomplishment of the sons of God, and we shall look like Jesus. For your blessings upon these, giving them the staying power to stay sanctified, and give them the going power to keep going for God. Bless them, inspire them, and lift them up in yourself. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, and God lift you up. Throughout this uh, very remarkable epistle called the Book of Romans, uh, Paul has become repeatedly uh, telling us that we have a victorious position in our spiritual lives. All of us, all believers, all Christians do. And in today's lesson, that victory is gloriously spelled out. We'll have to get to that point twice, but first in Romans 8 and 37, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We will return to that a little later. How can you be more than a conqueror? To conquer means that you've taken an equal force or superior force to you and you beat them down. You destroy them. Uh, you win over them. How can you be more than a conqueror? You can be more than a conqueror when you have a, an enemy there and you say, boo on you. <laughs> and they fall down dead. You say, what's the difference? The difference is Jesus wins the victory and all you do is shout. Yeah. You're more than a conqueror when you don't use a little stone like David used. You're more than a conqueror when you don't take your sword. The Lord takes his sword. That's being more, bigger, better than a conqueror. To be a conqueror is great. But to be something else other than that is to be greater. And in many of our battles, God wins it. All we do is shout. I mean, like it that way. I thought you did. Uh, in Romans 8 and 29, you notice we've been in this one chapter for about three lessons or four lessons now. In Romans 8 and 29, it says, uh, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he did also call. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. He's showing you the perfect knowledge of God in all things. How glad we are that he that knows, knows it all. He, he doesn't have to make decisions on half knowledge like most of us do. But he, he has the complete knowledge. Even before an event occurs, he is aware of it. In Isaiah 46 and 9, it says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. <laughs> he knows all about the Great Tribulation and these poor little men running around telling us when it's going to happen. Don't know anything about it. And he knows all about it. And, and if he knows all about it, you don't have to be informed. You just walk with him. All right. 
you didn't say much, but I, I tell you, it's a great comfort to know that he's got all the future in his hands and that you don't have anything to worry about. And from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Isn't that a, isn't that a wonderful consolation that the future is in God's hands and not in man's hands? And they that rise up, if they're not of God, they'll be knocked down and God will be the winner. Uh, through his foreknowledge, uh, he preordains. In 1 Peter 1 and 2, it says, elect, that's talking to the body of Christ, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God, of, our, of God our Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. A, a further uh, exhortation to you to understand the abilities of God to know the end at the time of the beginning. In Ephesians 1 and 5, it says, having predestined us under the adoption of children uh, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then it says in, in, in Peter that, that God is not willing that any be lost. God does not want anybody to be lost. It is not the will of God for anybody to be lost. He knows what you're going to do, but he does not pressure you to do that. You have to, our life is a volitional institution. We volitionally make our decisions. God may know about them. He won't pressure you to do it. God wants us all to serve him and to love him. Verse 12 says that we should be the praise of his glory. And, and when you're born again, you are the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ. Uh, when we love him and serve him and walk with him, there's only one, one place the, the heavens ring with the glory of God and they also ring with the praises under God. The results of uh, this thing that we call predestination means that we're called by God, we're justified by God, we're, we're glorified with God. And so we receive these anointings by simply letting our spirits walk the way God wants us to go. That we do not have to go our own way. We can go His way. In Romans 8 and 31, it says, What then? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What the Word is trying to bring to us is the fierceness of the strength of God delivered unto us that we're not weaklings, that we're not losers, that we're not downtrodden. We're the princes and princesses of the earth. We're the winners of the winners. We wear, we wear the crowns of winning and that we're not to go through this earth beaten down. We're not to go through this earth saying, I'm, I'm a loser. We're not. When all these things, even before we are born, are in our favor, then we got all the favors coming our way. And that we should walk in these with humility and with love and in holiness. Can you say amen? amen? What should we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? The fact that God is on our side is exactly what predestination is all about. When a person is to is a, is a red-hot Christian, the devil, the devil knows to stay away. He'll get his fingers burned. Uh, but if you 
if you, if you live lukewarm and you live over close to the devil, you cannot perform the will of God, the desires of God in your own heart and in your own life. In James 4 and 7, it says, submit yourself therefore to God. Then if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. <clears throat> the devil is not able to stand up against any born again person who knows his authority in God. Once you know who you are in God and you assert that with a strong voice, he has no power to cast you down. He does not. And if you fall down, don't be blaming God for it. Uh, you haven't prayed. You haven't read the word. You hadn't talked it out loud. You haven't asserted it. God wants us. God wants us to stand strong in him. And God wants us to be a winner and an overcomer. And he tells you all of these things that were planned for you before you were born so that you'll know that you hadn't a, you're not a little Johnny come lately. <laughs> You've been in the program. You've been in the program all the time. If you like it, say amen. In, <coughs> in Romans 8, 32, it says, He that spared not his own, spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with, with him freely give us all things? If God's already paid the price, why don't you get the benefits of it? If you offered up his own son, it's all finished and all done. Why shouldn't you and I, you know, love it and appreciate it and walk in it and enjoy it? And all the people said, it is God's pleasure to give unto us his kingdom. And in Luke, in Luke 12 and 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So you don't have to say, Am I supposed to be in this position? Am I supposed to be in that position? Uh, am I adequate for this? You are adequate. By His power, by His authority, we have all that we need to overcome in the life that we live today. In the Revelation, chapter 21, verse 7, you ought to put a... a a little circle around it. If there are, say, 3,000 uh, promises in the Bible, you might put number one by this one, that this is the greatest promise in the whole Bible. It's in Revelation 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. You can't get a bigger promise than that, you know. When you got it all, you got it all. There isn't any more to get. If you are an overcomer, you're going to get it all. Say, get it all. Yeah, that's what we want you to know. That, now, the Bible says it. He that overcometh, if you will put your part in, if you will assert yourself, if you won't be fooled by the things of this world, if you won't go whoring after the things that are evil, if you will be an overcomer, all things are yours. It's all yours. <laughs> Glory to God. If your father dies and you're the only son, you get it all, you know. And God has said that when we get to heaven, our inheritance will be all things and I'll be your God, and you should be my son. How beautiful it is that we, that, we, that we have a promise. All things in heaven belong to us. And James 1 and 6, it says, But let, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You ought to understand that. You're not going to get the blessings of God if you're full of fear or full of doubt either. You've got to get them both. Anyway, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with a wind and toss. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. There's another one of those scriptures that will knock you to pieces. These people say, can't be done. Miracles all pass. God's not doing these things today. Well, you got his photograph 
right here. He gets nothing from God. I didn't say it, the church. The church doesn't say it. God says it. That if that, that man who wavers and doesn't believe, that that man shall, don't let him even think that he shall receive anything from God. We receive the great things of God by trust. You call it faith, faith and trust. It, trust means that, uh, that when the Lord makes a statement, you know he'll stand by it. You trust him. You trust him for that. You trust your wife to be a good person. You're not worried about her wherever she might be. She is a good person, you see. And, and that's trust. And with God, we know that if he says something, it's true. If the word speaks, it is true. And so there builds up a trust. And you say, say I believe. Isn't that beautiful? It says, but, but you won't receive anything from God if it happens to be that you say, I don't know whether God can do this or not. Well, for you, he can't. But for the one who believes, he can. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 33, it says, What shall be, what shall lay, who, sh who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Isn't that great? It is God that justifieth. That's, 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 where, I, uh, that's where I stand with God. The, uh, the, the news media, because we have these TV stations, tried their best to get me to make statements uh, against uh, Jim Baker and, and, and Jimmy Swaggart. And I told them I prayed about it and that God said to me, if you just keep your mouth shut and your heart open, I'll, I'll show you just what to do. And that was to forgive them, of course, uh, that I had nothing in my heart uh, about it. But when you think you're a judge and you know everything, you're in for big trouble. You may say, he's wrong. Well, that may just be your opinion. He may not be wrong. Uh, and, and so let us not judge one another. Let the Word of God judge that person and let God do the judging and that we are his servants. And all the people said, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that he rose again. Uh, who, is, who is even at the, the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? He is the one making the intercession that we should be forgiven of our sins. God keeps our records, and he says that then there's no charge against our accounts. And when he says that, brother, you're paid in full. It's all taken care of. And God says, no accounts against you. I want you to know now you and the prophet side. Can you say amen? God keeps our records, and so we don't have to have man keeping them. In Colossians 2, 14, it says, he blots out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, uh, which was contrary to us, and took it out of his way, out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All of the transgressions you've ever committed, we nail now to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every human on the face of this earth has the same privilege of nailing that thing to the cross and getting rid of it and having it to be gone forever. Not one of us, not one of us can uh, has to bear our own iniquities. Christ bore them on the cross. Aren't you glad for that? And, and Colossians 2.14, that he blotted out the handwriting of our, our ordinances that were against us, he nailed them to his cross. So justification means just as if you had never committed that sin, that transgression. Condemnation comes from the devil, but salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1 and, and John 3 and 17, it says, God sent 
not his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was the ministry of Jesus, mind you, that he didn't come to condemn us. For He knew we were sinners, all right. He didn't come to condemn us. We could have been condemned, but he came not to condemn us, but to save us. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hey, there's an indictment against the world. Those who try to get to heaven any other way. All these people that are dabbling in humanism, how, how lost they are. It's, a, it's, it's such it's a... And these, these people call themselves a new age. I have news for them. What they need is a new heart. And, and the new age will be dead. And that thing called new age, it only goes back to the Garden of Eden is all. It's, it stinks for 6,000 years. And, and, and so uh, that's a lie of the devil. There's nothing new in it. Uh, they, they endorse Hinduism, reincarnation. They endorse all the lies the devil has told the people of, of, of the heathen world. And here in this country, they are adopting that uh, today, being deceived. And the reason they're deceived is because they did not receive the truth. When you come to church and you hear the gospel and you hear the truth, if you say no to it, you um, automatically open up your insides to lies. The devil makes you believe a lie. You see, in, in the first instant, Eve believed Satan. She thought he was telling the truth, that if she did partake of this fruit, then, then that she would be equal to God, that she could exalt herself to a throne. Now, she believed that. And, and, and when suddenly she ate it and she lost the glory, she found herself naked. She lost the clothing that God had originally put upon her. She didn't climb anywhere. She went backwards. She went down. And then her, in order for the two to look alike, she asked her husband, says, you come on, eat it too. Says, we ought to look alike. I guess a lot of husbands would have chewed on with her. Are you dead or what? But Adam went along with her and he got the same thing she got, only worse. And, and we today suffer that because we have their blood in our veins. And, and, and so uh, then Jesus came to change the whole thing and to bring us back into a state of good relationship with God. If you're glad for that, say amen. amen. In Revelation 12 and 10, it says, And I heard a, a loud voice cry, saying in heaven, Now has come salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. A lot of people didn't know that. You ought to, ought to mark it, and you ought to go back through these lessons again and again, that the, the one who accuses us is the devil. And that one day, at the time of the great tribulation, and he is finished, he's going to be knocked down, cast into the lake of fire, and that, and, and that there will be a thousand years of living and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth, and there will be no one accusing you anymore, <laughs> uh, uh, or accusing anybody on this earth. Romans 8 and 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. You better look those over, you know. What is it that can separate us from Jesus? One of your family not serving God, losing a job. It, it went through the whole thing. Persecution, does, does, all kinds of distress, and it even put famine in there. And along with famine comes nakedness right next to it. And then it comes peril. 
You're down and everybody's against you. All right. Shall these things have the power, have the power to, to take us and separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ? In verse 38, it says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, catch the word angels there, principalities nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature can be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That is a staggering statement. But it just means this. There is no power in hell or out of hell that can separate you from God. It's your own volitional attitude. It's your own decision. Only your own decision. I don't care what any preacher says. Only you are responsible for your eternal destiny. And you've got to know that. You can't hide behind the skirts of the church. You can't hide behind the skirts of some preacher. Uh, you can't believe some dogma that says you can live like the devil and go to heaven. The Bible says a pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart will see God. When the prodigal son returned home, the father yelled out loud, This my son was dead. He was not a son. He's dead. When he returned home, he's alive. He came alive when he came back into the Father's arms. And let's stay there. And all the people said, and let us stay there in Jesus' name. There's nothing that can separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we come to that text that we were reading there in the, in, in the first part of our lesson. Verse 37, nay, in all these things, now, now, now you can see what all these things are. Sometimes we don't even include the first part of this sentence here. We just leave off all these things, and we, and we say that we are more than conquerors. But it, you ought to read the entire thing. and says, in all of these things, whatever they have been, <clears throat> disease and, and, and famine and, and distress and all of these things, in all of these things, we're still more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We are more than a conqueror. You can be more than a conqueror. You say, but, 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 but I, I fell down. Well, you weren't watching where you were going. Because there's strength in Jesus, there's strength in the gospel for you to be free. And God wants you to be free. God wants you to walk tall. God wants you to have tremendous strength. God, God wants you to know that He is the Lord of your life. And if you will walk in Him, you're not going to have trouble falling around. People that backslide ought to tell the truth. You really wanted to. So you didn't have your want to kindle right in, on the inside. I want more of God, and every day my spirit reaches the same way. You would, you would actually be amazed. <clears throat> Here I am, 76 years old, and I pray more saying, God, I want to know you more. God, I'm, I'm seeking your face. I was doing it this morning before, before I got up. I, I said, Lord, how can I get to know you better? How can I get to know you more? How can I bring some intimacy between my life and, and, and eternity? How can I do this, Lord? After 59 years in the ministry, the, the, key, the, the key prayer in my heart is more of God. You, don't know, you, you want to know what I asked for the less? Power. You, you, you say, why? Well, power's a dangerous thing. 
Anybody ever put your finger in a, in a light socket? It's better to keep your finger out of it, you know. It's, it's better to, to hook up your, 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 your light switch to it and, and, and get some light with it. Power, power it can be treacherous, you know. I have seen for all these years men that rise up in what they call human power. It is so easy for them to go back down very low, you know, be, be, be defeated. It isn't just, well, power is a good thing to have, but more important than that is God. And the principles, the principles whereby God loved us and chose us. Aren't you glad you're chosen of God? Amen. In John 15 and 16, he says, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit would remain, you see. But, but God chose it. But, but, but what did we do? We agreed with the choice of God. God didn't say, would you do this? And, and he, so he chose you. You say no, well, then he has to go choose somebody else to do it. I feel that many times I am doing something that, that somebody refused to do. That I am doing a job that already been delivered to somebody else and they didn't do it. And because they didn't do it, then we need to do it. And all the people said, what a, what, a, what a beautiful promise that if you do all these things, you're more than conquerors through him that loved us. No matter what, what attempts to separate us from God, God's love is supreme. You will be an overcomer. You are an overcomer. Christ conquered the devil on the cross. We conquer him in using Jesus' name. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And he has to go. That makes us more than conquerors since we simply partake in Christ's victory. Throughout this uh, very remarkable epistle called the Book of Romans, uh, Paul has become repeatedly uh, telling us that we have a victorious position in our spiritual lives. All of us, all believers, all Christians do. And in today's lesson, that victory is gloriously spelled out. We'll have to get to that point twice, but first in Romans 8 and 37, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We will return to that a little later. How can you be more than a conqueror? To conquer means that you've taken an equal force or superior force to you and you beat them down. You destroy them. Uh, you win over them. How can you be more than a conqueror? You can be more than a conqueror when you have a, an enemy there and you say, boo on you. <laughs> and they fall down dead. You say, what's the difference? The difference is Jesus wins the victory and all you do is shout. You're more than a conqueror when you don't use a little stone like David used. You're more than a conqueror when you don't take your sword. The Lord takes his sword. That's being more, bigger, better than a conqueror. To be a conqueror is great. But to be something else other than that is to be greater. And in many of our battles, God wins it. All we do is shout. How I many like it that way? I thought you did. Uh, in Romans 8 and 29, you notice we've been in this one chapter for about three lessons or four lessons now. In Romans 8 and 29, it says, 
uh, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he did also call. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. He's showing you the perfect knowledge of God in all things. How glad we are that he that knows, knows it all. He, he doesn't have to make decisions on half knowledge like most of us do. But he, he has the complete knowledge. Even before an event occurs, he is aware of it. In Isaiah 46 and 9, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. <laughs> he knows all about the great tribulation, and these poor little men running around telling us when it's going to happen. Don't know anything about it, and he knows all about it. And, and if he knows all about it, you don't have to be informed. You just walk with him. Uh, you didn't say much, but I, I tell you, it's a great comfort to know that he's got all the future in his hands and that you don't have anything to worry about. And from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Isn't that a, isn't that a wonderful consolation? that the future is in God's hands and not in man's hands. And they that rise up, if they're not of God, they'll be knocked down and God will be the winner. Uh, through his foreknowledge, uh, he preordains. In 1 Peter 1 and 2, it says, elect, that's talking to the body of Christ, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God, of, our, of God our Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. A, a further uh, exhortation to you to understand the abilities of God to know the end at the time of the beginning. In Ephesians 1 and 5, it says, having predestined us under the adoption of children uh, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then it says in, in, in Peter that, that God is not willing that any be lost. God does not want anybody to be lost. It is not the will of God for anybody to be lost. He knows what you're going to do, but he does not pressure you to do that. You have to... Our life is a volitional institution. We volitionally make our decisions. God may know about them, he won't pressure you to do it. God wants us all to serve him and to love him. Verse 12 says that we should be the praise of his glory. And, and when you're born again, you are the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ. Uh, when we love him and serve him and walk with him, there's only one, one place. The, the heavens ring with the glory of God and they also ring with the praises under God. The results of uh, this thing that we call predestination means that we're called by God, we're justified by God, we're, we're glorified 
with God. And so we receive these anointings by simply letting our spirits walk the way God wants us to go, that we do not have to go our own way. We can go His way. In Romans 8 and 31, it says, What then? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What the Word is trying to bring to us is the fierceness of the strength of God delivered unto us that we're not weaklings, that we're not losers, that we're not downtrodden. We're the princes and princesses of the earth. We're the winners of the winners. We wear, we wear the crowns of winning and that we're not to go through this earth beaten down. We're not to go through this earth saying, I'm, I'm a loser. We're not. When all these things, even before we are born, are in our favor, then we got all the favors coming our way. And that we should walk in these with humility and with love and in holiness. Can you say amen? amen. What should we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? The fact that God is on our side is exactly what predestination is all about. When a person is to is a, is a red-hot Christian, the devil, the devil knows to stay away. He'll get his fingers burned. Uh, but if you, if, you, if you live lukewarm and you live over close to the devil, you cannot perform the will of God, the desires of God in your own heart and in your own life. In James 4 and 7, it says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Then if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. <clears throat> the devil is not able to stand up against any born-again person who knows his authority in God. Once you know who you are in God and you assert that with a strong voice, he has no power to cast you down. He does not. And if you fall down, don't be blaming God for it. Uh, you haven't prayed, you haven't read the word, you haven't talked it out loud, you haven't asserted it. God wants us, God wants us to stand strong in him. And God wants us to be a winner and an overcomer. And he tells you all of these things that were planned for you before you were born so that you'll know that you hadn't a, you're not a little Johnny come lately. <laughs> You've been in the program. You've been in the program all the time. If you like it, say amen. In, <coughs> in Romans 8, 32, it says, He that spared... Not his own, spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with, with him freely give us all things? If God's already paid the price, why don't you get the benefits of it? If you offered up his own son, it's all finished and all done. Why shouldn't you and I, you know, love it and appreciate it and walk in it and enjoy it? And all the people said, it is God's pleasure to give unto us his kingdom. And in Luke, in Luke 12 and 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So you don't have to say, Am I supposed to be in this position? Am I supposed to be in that position? Uh, am I adequate for this? You are adequate. By His power, by His authority, we have all that we need to overcome in the life that we live today. In the Revelation, chapter 21, verse 7, you ought to put a... a a little circle around it. If there are, say, 3,000 uh, promises in the Bible, you might put number one by this one, that this is the greatest promise in the whole Bible. It's in Revelation 21, 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. You can't get a bigger promise than that, you know. When you got it all, you got it all. There isn't any more to get. 
if you are an overcomer, you're going to get it all. Say, get it all. Yeah, that's what we want you to know. That, now, the Bible says it. He that overcometh, if you will put your part in, if you will assert yourself, if you won't be fooled by the things of this world, if you won't go whoring after the things that are evil, if you will be an overcomer, all things are yours. It's all yours. <laughs> Glory to God. If your father dies and you're the only son, you get it all, you know. And God has said that when we get to heaven, our inheritance will be all things and I'll be your God, and you should be my son. How beautiful it is that we, that, we, that we have a promise. All things in heaven belong to us. And James 1 and 6, it says, But let, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You ought to understand that. You're not going to get the blessings of God if you're full of fear or full of doubt either. You've got to get them both out of your way. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with a wind and toss. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. That, that's another one of those scriptures that'll knock you to pieces. These people say, can't be done. Miracles all pass. God's not doing these things today. Well, you got his photograph right here. He gets nothing from God. I didn't say it, the church. The church doesn't say it. God says it. That if that, that man who wavers and d doesn't believe, that that man shall, don't let him even think that he shall receive anything from God. We receive the great things of God by trust. You call it faith, faith and trust. It, trust means that, uh, that when the Lord makes a statement, you know he'll stand by it. You trust him. You trust him for that. You trust your wife to be a good person. You're not worried about her wherever she might be. She is a good person, you see. And, and that's trust. And with God, we know that if he says something, it's true. If the word speaks, it is true. And so there builds up a trust. And you say, say I believe. Isn't that beautiful? It says, but, but you won't receive anything from God if it happens to be that you say, I don't know whether God can do this or not. Well, for you, he can't. But for the one who believes, he can. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 33, it says, What shall be, what shall lay, who, sh who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Isn't that great? It is God that justifieth. That's, 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 where, I, uh, that's where I stand with God. The, uh, the, the news media, because we have these TV stations, tried their best to get me to make statements. Uh, against uh, Jim Baker and, and, and Jimmy Swaggart. And I told them I prayed about it and that God said to me, if you just keep your mouth shut and your heart open, I'll, I'll show you just what to do. And that was to forgive them, of course, uh, that I had nothing in my heart uh, about it. But when you think you're a judge and you know everything, you're in for big trouble. You may say, he's wrong. Well, that may just be your opinion. He may not be wrong. And, and so let us not judge one another. Let the word of God judge that person and let God do the judging and that we are his servants. And all the people said, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that he rose again. Uh, who, is, who is even at the, the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? He is the one making the intercession 
that we should be forgiven of our sins. God keeps our records, and he says that then there's no charge against our accounts. And when he says that, brother, you're paid in full. It's all taken care of. When God says no accounts against you, I want you to know now you're on the prophet side. Can you say amen? God keeps our records, and so we don't have to have man keeping them. In Colossians 2, 14, it says, He blots out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, uh, which was contrary to us, and took it out of his way, out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All of the transgressions you've ever committed, we nail now to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every human on the face of this earth has the same privilege of nailing that thing to the cross and getting rid of it and having it to be gone forever. Not one of us, not one of us can uh, has to bear our own iniquities. Christ bore them on the cross. Aren't you glad for that? And, and Colossians 2.14, that he blotted out the handwriting of our, our ordinances that were against us, he nailed them to his cross. So justification means just as if you had never committed that sin, that transgression. Condemnation comes from the devil, but salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 1 and, and John 3 and 17, it says, God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was the ministry of Jesus, mind you. That he didn't come to condemn us for, he knew we were sinners, all right. He didn't come to condemn us. We could have been condemned, but he came not to condemn us, but to save us. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hey, there's an indictment against the world. Those who try to get to heaven any other way. All these people that are dabbling in humanism, how, how lost they are. It's, a, it's, it's such, it's a, and these, these people call themselves a new age. I have news for them. What they need is a new heart. And, and the new age would be dead. And that thing called new age, it only goes back to the Garden of Eden is all. It's, it stinks for 6,000 years. And, and, and so uh, that's a lie of the devil. There's nothing new in it. Uh, they, they endorse Hinduism, reincarnation. They endorse all the lies the devil has told the people of, of, of the heathen world. And here in this country, they are adopting that uh, today, being deceived. And the reason they're deceived is because they did not receive the truth. When you come to church and you hear the gospel and you hear the truth, if you say no to it, you automatically open up your insides to lies. The devil makes you believe a lie. You see... In, in the first instant, Eve believed Satan. She thought he was telling the truth. That if she did partake of this fruit, then, then that she would be equal to God. That she could exalt herself to a throne. Now, she believed that. And, and, and when suddenly she ate it and she lost the glory, she found herself naked. She lost the clothing that God had originally put upon her. She didn't climb anywhere. She went backwards. She went down. And then uh, in order for the two to look alike, she asked her husband, says, you come on, eat it too. Says, we ought to look alike. I guess a lot of husbands would have chewed on with her. Are you dead or what? <laughs> but Adam went along with her and he got the same thing she got, only worse. And, and we today suffer that because we have their blood in our veins. And, and, and so uh, then Jesus came to change the whole thing and to bring us back into a state of good relationship with God. If you're glad for that, say amen. amen. 
In Revelation 12 and 10, it says, And I heard a, a loud voice cry, saying in heaven, Now has come salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. A lot of people didn't know that. You ought to, ought to mark it, and you ought to go back through these lessons again and again, that the, the one who accuses us is the devil. And that one day at the time of the great tribulation and he is finished, he's going to be knocked down, cast into the lake of fire. And that, and, and that there will be a thousand years of living and reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth. And there will be no one accusing you anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, or accusing anybody on this earth. Romans 8 and 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. You better look those over, you know. What is it that can separate us from Jesus? One of your family not serving God, losing a job. It, it went through the whole thing. Persecution, dis, the, all kinds of distress, and it even put famine in there. And along with famine comes nakedness right next to it. And then it comes peril. You're down and everybody's against you. Uh, shall these things have the power, have the power to, to take us and separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ? In verse 38 it says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, catch the word angels there, principalities, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature can be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That is a staggering statement. But it just means this. There is no power in hell or out of hell that can separate you from God. It's your own volitional attitude. It's your own decision. Only your own decision. I don't care what any preacher says. Only you are responsible for your eternal destiny. And you've got to know that. You can't hide behind the skirts of the church. You can't hide behind the skirts of some preacher. Uh, you can't believe some dogma that says you can live like the devil and go to heaven. The Bible says a pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart will see God. When the prodigal son returned home, the father yelled out loud, This my son was dead. He was not a son. He's dead. When he returned home, he's alive. He came alive when he came back into the Father's arms. And let's stay there. And all the people said, and let us stay there in Jesus' name. There's nothing that can separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we come to that text that we were reading there in the, in, in the first part of our lesson. Verse 37, nay, in all these things. Now, now, now you can see what all these things are. Sometimes we don't even include the first part of this sentence here. We just leave off all these things, and we, and we say that we are more than conquerors. But it, you ought to read the entire thing and says, in all of these things, whatever they have been, <clears throat> disease and, and, and famine and, and distress, and all of these things, in all of these things, we're still more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are more than a conqueror. You can be more than a conqueror. 
You say, but, 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 but I, I fell down. Well, you weren't watching where you were going. Because there's strength in Jesus, there's strength in the gospel for you to be free. And God wants you to be free. God wants you to walk tall. God wants you to have tremendous strength. God, God wants you to know that He is the Lord of your life. And if you will walk in Him, you're not going to have trouble falling around. People that backslide ought to tell the truth. You really wanted to. So you didn't have you want to kindle right in, on the inside. I want more of God, and every day my spirit reaches the same way. You would, you would actually be amazed. <clears throat> Here I am, 76 years old, and I pray more, saying, God, I want to know you more. God, I'm, I'm seeking your face. I was doing it this morning before, before I got up. I, I said, Lord, how can I get to know you better? How can I get to know you more? How can I bring some intimacy between my life and, and, and eternity? How can I do this, Lord? After 59 years in the ministry, the, the, key, the, the key prayer in my heart is more of God. Hallelujah. You, don't know, you, you want to know what I asked for the less? Power. You, you, you say, well, power is a dangerous thing. Anybody ever put your finger in a, in a light socket? It's better to keep your finger out of it, you know. It's, it's better to, to hook up your, 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 your light switch to it and, and, and get some light with it. Power, power it can be treacherous, you know. I have seen for all these years men that rise up in what they call human power. It is so easy for them to go back down very low, you know, be, be, be defeated. It isn't just, well, power is a good thing to have, but more important than that is God and the principles, the principles whereby God loved us and chose us. Aren't you glad you're chosen of God? Amen. In John 15 and 16, he says, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit would remain, you see. But, but God chose it. But, but, but what did we do? We agreed with the choice of God. God didn't say, would you do this? And, and he, so he chose you. You say no? Well, then he has to go choose somebody else to do it. I feel that many times I am doing something that, that somebody refused to do. That I am doing a job that already been delivered to somebody else, and they didn't do it. And because they didn't do it, then we need to do it. And all the people said... What a, what, a, what a beautiful promise that if you do all these things, you're more than conquerors through him that loved us. No matter what, what attempts to separate us from God, God's love is supreme. You will be an overcomer. You are an overcomer. Christ conquered the devil on the cross. We conquer him in using Jesus' name. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And he has to go. That makes us more than conquerors since we simply partake and Christ's victory. Now, now, there is salvation for human mankind. The only problem you have is, is it yours? Can you have it also? That, that embodies uh, today's tremendous lesson. It begins, it begins on, on page 90. So if you get your syllabus ready there, uh, we will show you first that your physical upbringing and your, 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 your physical uh, heritage from your parents does not 
merit salvation. A national heritage nor family heritage does not determine spiritual inheritance. In Romans 9 and 6, it says now, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Man, what a, what a sermon that is, you know. They are not all uh, of God who claim to be of God. They are not all born again that belong to any church anywhere. And, and so he is making a, a segregation there that is tremendous and that they're not all Israel that claim to be Israel. Verse 7 says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham. Being born into that family does not merit eternal life. A lot of people would like to, you know, get in that way, but it is not possible. Uh, are they all children? But in Isaac shall thy seed be blessed. He is showing here that there were two sons, and, and one was a wild son, and one was a tame son. And that there were two sons there. It says, in Abraham, they're not all of the, of the chosen ones. And then if you turn over to point B in the middle of page 91, man cannot accuse God over his decisions to bless some and not bless others. The reason for that is that he knows the insides of you and he knows the determinations that you will come to even before you make the determination. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He makes his decisions on each individual's uh, faith or coming faith and obedience unto him. And so in Romans 9, 19, it says, Thou wilt say, wilt thou say unto, unto me, Why dost thou yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? That is God's will. Nay, but man, who art thou who repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? There are millions of people today that would like to tell God He's not doing a very good job down here and, and that he has chosen one above another. But God knows your insides. Uh, Jeremiah said while he was still in the belly, God chose him to be a prophet of God because God in his foreknowledge knew that he would make proper decisions of spirituality and, and obedience unto him. And God does not make you do anything, but he has knowledge of what you will do. But his knowledge of what you will do does not compel you to do anything, excepting as you choose to do. And, and so you must not get those two things mixed or you will not understand salvation uh, whatsoever. In verse 21, hath not the power, the potter, have power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel under honor and, and, and another under dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he before prepared unto glory? If, if you were born in, in a very wicked, immoral situation, your chances of ever getting out of that are so minimal until you wouldn't be able to calculate it because you will start coming up into that from the babyhood. And I could go into illustrations of that in families I've known in different parts of the world to, to where the children follow immediately into the same, into the same patterns 
of, uh, against God and against right and against good uh, from their babyhood. And so he, he is illustrating that here, that he, that he knows what will happen to people that, are, that are, you might call them the, the children of, of wrath. And then if you turn to the, to the next page, to point number five, Israel's problem was ignorance. Now, if there was any nation that, that, that uh, should not have been ignorant, it was that nation. But God tells him so, right? He says, now listen, your problem is ignorance. And in Romans 10 and verse 2, it says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. There are people that are super religious. There are cults that are super religious. You, you go to a place like Hawaii, and you find a certain cult out there is the largest denomination. It makes you ashamed of yourself. You go down to, to Liberia uh, into a mission field, and you discover that a cult is larger than any other of the Protestant denominations. They just went in there, and they convinced those people, and, and now they, they built these large buildings of worship for those people, and they don't believe in the blood of Jesus Christ to save. And, and the people hardly know what it's all about. They just know that they came and asked him to become a Christian. They said, yes, they built him a big church, and they said, thank you. And, and, and so they don't, they don't really understand. So that's what you call ignorance. Ignorance means that you have not received the full truth about anything. You know, any, any part. I, I am ignorant of outer space because I have not studied it, you see. So I'm ignorant of that. Anything you have not been informed on, you're ignorant of that. But the thing you must not be ignorant about is eternal salvation. Like the little boy, he took a, he took a very wealthy man out, out in a boat, and the, and, and the very wealthy man says, you know anything about the stock market? And the boy said, no. He says, man, you've lost half your life. They went on a little further, and he said, do, 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 do you know anything about stocks and bonds? He said, no. So you lost another third of your life. And the boat turned over, and the little boy said, can you swim? He said, no. He said, you've lost all of your life. So you, 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 there are certain things you should not be ignorant about, that's all. And, and if you get out in the boat, you shouldn't be ignorant of swimming, of course. Israel's problem it was just ignorance. At the bottom of page 92, I had to cut some of this short because I was spending too many departments in this one lesson. And in Romans 10 and 2, it says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, what is God's righteousness? God's righteousness is, is, is the efficacious flowing of the life of the Lord Jesus on Calvary to save the world. That is God's righteousness. God's righteousness is not your good behavior. That is not God's righteousness. You may say, I pay all my bills. I treat my wife right. Uh, I, I, I don't lie. Of course, that's, that's one of the problems. And, and, uh, and, and you say, I ought to go to heaven. I'm a good person. But that's not the way you get to heaven. You, you get to heaven on a different situation altogether that you receive and accept the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And when you receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you say, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me from my unrighteousness, make me a child of God, then you're on the right road. Can you say amen? So we have to understand, come to understand God's righteousness. And says, being ignorant of God's righteousness, which was, uh, they shouldn't have been, They'd used lambs, and they had used goats, and they had used sheep, and they, they had used cows for, uh, for the forgiveness of their sins, for sacrifice. Uh, for hundreds of years, they should have understood the Lamb of God, but they did not understand. 
They just could not get it through themselves that the Lamb of God had come to take away the sins of the world. Now listen, listen what he says. For the going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So he makes a statement very clear that only through their ignorance were they not receiving God's righteousness. And so they sought to establish their own righteousness. Their own righteousness. How many, how many bullocks did you offer to God? How many sheep did you offer? And they thought for sure the number that, that they offered had, had, had an influence on God. But it isn't. In Hosea, he says, it is not a sacrifice I want. I want righteousness out of you. And that is so true today. You can be very, very religious and not righteous in God's sight. So let's be sure that our righteousness is well put. Can you say amen? All right. Let's turn our page here to number, uh, to uh, the end of that one. The Jews did not understand true righteousness, uh, which is forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. The sacrifice that he made redeems us. They think that righteousness is obtained by keeping the law. God's righteousness is imputed it's a gift to you. It's placed within you. It's, it's, it's a spiritual inoculation. It's imputed to you through the acceptance of Jesus Christ. This is the righteousness of faith. Now there's where faith comes in. You accept it, you believe it, and then the, the feeling of it begins to pour through your, your total being. Salvation comes through believing with the heart and confessing with the mouth. That's what the Word of God specifically teaches us. Point number six, salvation is available to all Israelis or Gentiles. Now, you and I are Gentiles. We use that word for nations. To them, a Gentile was everyone except a Jew. So you can say Israelis or the nations of the earth. In, in Romans 10 and 12, it says, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Now, you see, this was a stumbling stone to the Jews. They thought being the seed of Abraham gave you spiritual priorities. And you can get the same thing. You can say, my mother belonged to this church. And I feel so good about this church. Uh, surely I'm all right. And, and that may not be all right at all. Your, your, your spiritual heritage is a beautiful thing to have, but it does not bring you into the family of God. God has no grandchildren. God has no stepchildren. Everyone is a child of God. You're a child of God as much as your mother. You're a child of God as much as your grandma. You're a child of God as much as Paul or Peter. God does not go into grandparents' business. Uh, God deals specifically with every generation as if it was the only generation there ever was. Can you say amen? So, salvation. In Romans 10 and 12, it says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Man, you ought to put a big circle around that and read it every day. Print it on your wall and put it in your bathroom and read it. Just keep on reading it. Romans 10 and 12. For there is no difference between... The, the, the Hebrew and the, and the rest of the world. Uh, for the same Lord over all. Say over all. That means a person next door to you. That means a person you work with, even though you don't like them. You know, that means over all. That is rich unto the, all that call upon him. That's all you have to do is call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's another key verse for the whole Bible. Put a circle around that one too. That's a promise that you have to take that out of the Bible. That, that whosoever, say whosoever. Well, that's Africans, Indians, people of the, of the little islands, South America, uh, China, wherever. 
that, that whosoever, that means everybody, shall call upon the name of Jesus Christ, they shall. You notice the power of that word, shall. No, no, no saying, well, you're short, and you're tall, and you're fat, and you're lean. They shall be saved. Then number seven, Paul's great salvation plea in, in Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him? Now, now, now this is really one of the greatest verses of the Bible, and I, I read it and read it and read it, and it makes me run. It makes me run so hard for Jesus. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You see, you can't call upon something you don't believe. You got to have something to believe first. And it says, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? See, that's an impossibility. You can't believe in God if you never heard about it. You don't know there's one mighty creator that created all the glorious constellations in the heavens and all the beautiful flowers of the earth and the beautiful seas. You don't know that unless somebody tells you about it. They got to hear it first. And how should they hear without a preacher? Now that word preacher there doesn't mean a pastor or an evangelist. It, it means a talker. How can I believe without a talker? You got to have somebody to tell you. You got to have somebody to inform you. It can be a lay person. It can be any kind of a person. But isn't that amazing that the three steps into this thing that if we want the world to be saved we have a responsibility ourselves we got to tell them about it and then they have a responsibility they have to believe the message then they have a further responsibility they have to use and accept and take the blessing and receive it into their own lives then verse 15 and how should they preach except they be sent yeah you got to have an anointing of God behind you <laughs> you got to say it with great sincerity you have to be sent by the Great Commission, which is for everybody. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good, glad tidings of good things. Whether it's your neighbor or your family or, or down in the mall, somebody, whoever it is, how beautiful it is when you bring glad tidings of great joy to those people. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith. Now this is, one of the great verses of the Bible, you ought to make another sermon. You're going to be all circles when I get through with it here. It says, so then, faith. Say faith. faith. It cometh by hearing. You've been wondering how to get faith? Read the Bible out loud. And faith will come into your heart. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So faith cometh by hearing God's word. Something new rises up within you through the, 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 the hearing of the word. But I say... Have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went unto all the earth, and their words was in the ends of the world. I like that for our shortwave radio. That our shortwave radio, it goes, the sound of it goes into the ends of the world. And how glad we are that we can talk to the people at the ends of the world about Jesus. Can you say amen? Yeah, that, that's right. Now, on page 94, point number 8, the repentance of the nations stirs the Jews. Now, now, now if, if this lady here is the best uh, uh, apple pie cooker in, in, in the world, and she messes around, and she teaches her daughter how to cook the best apple pie in the world, and then she forgets how to cook apple pies, and she keeps on cooking them, she gets mad because she don't have good apple pies anymore. Are you here? All right. Then that's what's happened in the gospel. The Jews had it one time, had a knowledge of God. They walked in God. They had great and mighty leaders of God, and they all praised and worshiped God together. Then something happened. They got cut off. Say cut off. Yeah, they got cut off from the blessing through their unbelief. Through their unbelief, they got cut off from it. Then they get angry because you got it. 
You got the pie and they don't have any now. Look in Romans 10, 19. I say, did, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, that by foolish nation I will anger you. You see, I, I've, I've had that happen. I, I've talked to Jews in Jerusalem and the man would get angry and said, how can you, a Gentile, teach me? And I make it very simple. I says, because you're ignorant. Are you going to listen or not? Yeah. And you don't know. If you don't know, you better have somebody teach him. And, and, and so uh, they do get jealous. How can you teach me truth when I'm a Jew? When I, I know all about this thing. You may know all about it here, but you better get some of it down there. Because that's the place where it really counts. And all the people said, Isaiah's bold. He said, I, I was found of them that sought me not. You see, many of us in that category this morning. We weren't seeking God. We just kind of stumbled into it. Half the people here were invited to church by somebody else. And you just came as an accommodation to them and got saved. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And, and you, you flipped on the television looking for something else and found this. And, and you got saved. You see. He says, I was found of them that did not seek me. I, I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. You weren't out there seeking God. You just found him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? But... To Israel, he saith, all day long, I stretch out my hands unto you, disobedient and gainsaying people. What a, what a strange indictment. And one day they will come back to God. God has not forsaken Israel. That's your next point. Uh, number nine. Romans 11, 1 says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? That's, a, that's the seed of Abraham by the flesh. God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew uh, through Abraham. Now, 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 you see, there are really tens of thousands, and I don't know how many, so I better not say, of, of Jews today that really worship the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. In Israel, you would be amazed at the people that have gone there to live that are Jewish people, uh, mostly young people, and, and, and they love the Lord with all their hearts, and they call themselves Messianic. They, they believe in the Messiah. They don't belong to any Christian church or anything like that, but they belong to Jesus, you see, and, 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 and Him alone. And there's so many of them in the world today. So God has not forsaken those people. He just said, now this is the door, and you go in that door, and if you go through that wall, you get hurt. But you've got to go through the door. And, and some of them have found the door. How many want more of them to find the door? Then, then, then he says, Elijah said, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets. You could, you could say of them, but my Lord, look, in our country, what you could say today. We kill a million and a half little babies through abortion every year. Uh, we, we put wrestlers on our television screen, got big monsters, throwing each other around and let our little children look at it. Is that the kind of child you want to grow up in your home? Bouncing you out the door and they get mad at you when they get a little bigger? Are you here? That's what you're going to get if you bring the monsters into your living room. And, and, and every picture you see, somebody's either sucking a cigarette or grabbing, a, uh, grabbing some alcohol, and the cigarette will give you cancer, and alcohol will, will numb your brain, and you'll kill someone that you love. You'll, you'll get divorced, the one that you love. Uh, you'll find your life all wrecked by it. And they never put that on television. They never take you to the alcoholic hospitals where, where, where the poor victims are there dying. Sin is always a liar. Sin is always a liar. It says, it says they're the ones that dig down your altars 
And Elijah said, you know, I, I, you ought to really circle this one. And he says, and they seek my life. Now, you know, a preacher can feel like that. I, I sometimes get like that. You have to forgive me for it. There are times when I have a feeling that no one in the world is praying for me. That I'm carrying a burden that's too big for a human to carry. And, and, and that, I'm, that, I, that I'm told to do things that I am so humanly not able to do. And, and you go to whining at God like that. Elijah says, they've, they've digged down your altars, they've killed your prophets. And what was the answer God said to him? Verse 4. I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now, when you think you're the only one left, God grins at you and says, little smarty, you don't know very much. I got loads of good folks that you're not acquainted with yet. How many like to get acquainted with them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God's not running short on, on, on people. God's not running short on people that love him. Yeah, you, every once in a while, you find someone so dedicated. Oh, you say, my, my, my. Isn't that one? Anyway, uh, th this scripture just shows you in verse 7, Israel hath not obtained that which she seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest, uh, they, they, were, they were blinded. And then the spirit of slumber and so forth comes in there. But God has not deserted the people of Israel. And number 10 on page 95, the salvation of Israel will bring even greater blessing. Now this is one of the great little bits of the whole Bible. This lesson today is a qualified lesson for you to go over time and again. In Romans 11:13, I speak to you nations and as much as I am the apostle of the, of the nations to the Gentiles and I magnify this office if by any means I may provoke uh, to emulation them which are, are my flesh if he could cause some Jews to get saved, that he might save some of them. But uh, for the, now listen, this is, this is the great part. If the casting away of Israel be the reconciling of the world, we, we took their place. We got their place. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? If, 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 if we are blessed because we have received salvation from the Jews, when the Jews come back to God, and in the great tribulation, there'll be 144,000 of them that, that are going to be uh, the, the evangelists of that day. He said, what will happen to the world when those people come back to God with all their brains, with all their initiative, with all the natural force of their personality, when they put the whole thing 100% behind God? He says, if you think you've been blessed by them now, wait till that happens. And, and you'll see that the world is going to have a real, some of you didn't, didn't even know that was in the Bible. But you should read all of that and, and, and say, hey, th this is simply great. You, you, point number 12, the mystery of Israel's repentance. In, Revelation, in Romans eleven twenty five. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until... Say until. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. We believe that the fullness of the Gentiles has already come. Every, every so-called Christian nation in the world is in a state of spiritual deterioration right now. And we believe that God is making the mighty transition back to the people of Israel. Oh, you, 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 you ought to study it. The millions of people in our country today that have a real hardness against God. And, and God is making a spiritual transition. Hold to God with all your heart. Hold your faith with all your heart. Can you say amen? And then in, in number 13, God's rich wisdom. Uh, for as ye in times past have 
not believed in God, ye have now obtained mercy. Mostly because of the unbelief of those people called Israel. Even so, have these also now not believed, but through your mercy. That's the reason I go to Israel every year. I love those people and I try to get them saved. That through your mercy, they may obtain mercy. And you would be amazed at the prestige we have among some of those people over there. For God hath concluded them all in their unbelief that he might have mercy upon everybody. On everybody. Isn't that something? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. Unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. That's one of the sublime verses of the whole Bible. The mightiness of God, the greatness of God, the wonderfulness of our God. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, of Jehovah? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, through him, to him. Whoo, isn't that great? Of him, through him, to him, all things. Ah, to whom be glory forever. The book of Romans is a book of truth. How glad we are to put our heart into it. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Op open, open to page uh, 98. One of the greatest lessons ever known, right there, on, on page uh, 98. It's called the living sacrifice. In the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 12, the great apostle, uh, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, presents the response which each Christian should give, must give, when confronted with God's mercy. So we're going to be dealing with the mercy of the Almighty at this moment. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you. Uh, when you say you beseech a person, that's an old English word that goes back a few hundred years. Uh, it would mean I beg you, you know. It, it's, it's something of an imperative. It says, I want you to. Uh, uh, he's putting his whole insides into it. He's not speaking lightly, for example. He says, I beseech you. And then the next word there is brethren. Now, if I had anything to do with this, I didn't make up the English language, but evidently whoever made it up didn't do much of a job. I, I, I would have put who I was talking to first. You see, if he's talking, if he's talking to sailors, I want to know it before I get into it because I'm not a sailor, you see. So I wouldn't read it. And, and I want to know who's being addressed. Can you say amen? amen? Now, he says, I beseech you, brethren. Now, I would have said brethren, then I'd have known who he was talking to right there. He was talking to the body of Christ. He was talking to believers. He said, brethren, I beseech you. Now, that shows intensity. He said, uh, Christians, I beseech you. So you know who's being addressed, and then you know how they're being addressed. You know, I pour out my insides to you. I want you to know. I want you to understand. He said, now, 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 now church, I want to beseech you, and I will beseech you in a certain manner. My entire reaching out to you is through the mercies of God. I'm going to deal with the mercies of God. And he says, I want you to present your bodies. Say body. That is the most neglected part of your personality. You pay more attention to your mind, your emotions, and your will than to do to your poor old body. You walk on your feet until they growl at you. You punch at your hands until they get sore. 
You look with the eyes until they go to sleep. You listen with the ears until they just stop listening. You just overwork your poor old body. You don't give it time to think. You don't give it time to rest properly. He says, I want you to present your bodies, say bodies. You know what most people don't realize? It was the body of Jesus that saved you. It wasn't his brain that saved you. It wasn't his emotions that saved you. By his stripes on his flesh, you're healed. By the blood that flowed through his veins, you're saved. Scientists tell us that the, the blood that is in your body, the sperm comes from your father part of you, not your mother. That the blood comes from your... And, and so that blood that was in him was of the Holy Ghost. So it was just different from any blood that's ever been on the face of this earth. And, and so I, I, it, it, the blood of Jesus that saves us is not human blood. It is divine blood. Uh, he came from God, the Father, to this earth to save us. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed uh, Mary and she conceived and brought forth the Son of God. And so th that saving power of his was the flesh on his back beaten by the Romans and, and by those stripes you're healed. Isaiah knew about it 700 years before Jesus got here. Isn't prophecy wonderful? And then, and then, and then he said, now I'm going to cry out to you, beseech. I'm going to cry out to you on the basis are the mercies of God. And, and so that's what the lesson is all about. And he says, I want you to give your bodies a living sacrifice. We're going to go into all of that. Why don't we begin down in point one and, and we'll go through those two verses very carefully. The mercy, Paul addresses that great cosmopolitan group in Rome. Uh, I, I don't know whether you're, you know, cognizant of it or cognizant of it or something like that. I, I don't know whether you realize that in all of history, Whichever country has the money, smart people gravitate there. Dumb people stay on the farm. I'm sorry. When Egypt ruled the world, it was imperative for, for Joseph to be there, to hold the money and to run the show. When Babylon ruled the world, Daniel had to be there. He couldn't be anywhere else. He was too smart and too clever to be anywhere else. He gravitated to the throne room. When, when Britain ruled the world, almost all the clever men of the world went to London to live, you see. And when America became the richest country in the world, it has these Filipino folks right here that left the Philippines to come over here and get rich, and I've done a good job at it. The doctor ducked his head a little bit. He's the richest of all of them. That's all right. I, I, that's what God wants. It shows you're clever, you see. Wherever God is blessing an area, you see, smart people gravitate there. They don't pay attention to blood. They don't pay attention to race. They pay attention to where something is being raised up. And they don't want to be in a place that's already gone down or, or, or on its way down, you see. And so Paul was addressing the church in Rome that maybe was the most cosmopolitan church on the face of the earth. Maybe before or since, you know. Because Rome was a seat of power for the world, and he was addressing everybody. He was addressing... If you could look in on that Roman church, you know, right here today, there'd be 15 to 20 nations in this room right now. We, we, are, we are a nation people here. From four or five countries in Asia, and from a number of countries in Europe, and Latin America, from Mexico on down, people gravitate to, to this place. You say, why? Because I'm teaching here. 
Will you excuse me for being humble, please? They want to hear, <laughs> they, they hear what's being said of somebody who knows what he's talking about, you see. And, and so they just, they just gravitate here. And that, that's good. That's the way it ought to be. That's living with the times in which you live. You see, that's keeping up with the times. So I'm trying to tell you that in Rome, Paul was not addressing a, a feeble little people. When he, when he wrote a letter, he said, they of Caesar's household greet you. Old Caesar's mother-in-law was one of his best members and she kept punching old Caesar for him. Are you here? He said, I want to address you people in Rome on the basis of God's mercies. Now, now many of those people had no understanding at all of the mercies, the mercies of God. And so let's look at what he's having to say. In Romans 9, 15, he says, For God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I don't want you to misunderstand that. God will have mercy upon anyone that will accept his mercy. But if he knows that you will not accept his mercy, he understands that. I, I will have compassion on whom I will co have compassion. Who will he have compassion? On anyone that will receive it. So I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, and I will have compassion on anyone that will receive it. You need the extra little note in there on that. So, so then it is not of them that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that, get, that showeth mercy. The scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I, showed, uh, have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee. Now it wasn't that God made him a demon worshiper. Remember all the astrologers he had around him and all those, all those demonized persons that he had around him? God didn't bring those people there. He brought them there, you see. And so God was only speaking of the nature of the man. Yeah, he was raised up and, and uh, worshiping cows and golden cows and, and worshiping beetles. One of, the, one of the biggest gods in Egypt was a beetle, a little old creature about that big. And, and, and uh, they had a, that beetle was a god. They still sell beetles in Egypt. You can buy these little beetles that they carve out of some kind of wood or, or some kind of stone for you. Uh, but that was one of their gods, and God knew all of that. Therefore, he said, verse 18, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy. He'll have mercy upon those that love him and those who serve him and those who want to go to heaven. He will have mercy upon them. And, and then that deals with, with that all the way through to verse 32. Your, your point number two, he says, I'm going to beseech you that you give your, 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 your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, God may not need you personally as a disciple of his to physically give up your life. Now, there are many that have done that. A few days ago in Hungary, we met uh, two Russian pastors. And, and one of the pastors was talking to us and he says, I still need prayer. And we, we said, why? He said, I had a, a house group. This was three or four years ago. Had a house group that, uh, that was worshiping in my house. And says the secret police came and took me and almost beat me to death and, and put me in prison. In, in prison. And while I was in prison, they came back and beat my wife and she died. They didn't look back to see that she died. They just beat her, walked out of the house, and she died. It says, all I had left was a five-year-old child, and she was left with the neighbors for about five or six months until they released me from prison. Aren't you glad that this Gorbachev has at least let people worship God over there? Man, I, I'm, I'm sure glad. But, but here he was preaching in, in Hungary, and he still had that little daughter that he had to 
take care of or leave her with the neighbors or a family while he was away. But he had paid a big price for having the gospel preached in his house. You say, what was he doing in Hungary? <laughs> he was distributing the word of God. And he had come there to pick up a whole truckload of Bibles to take them across into Russia. And so he hadn't given up and he hadn't quit. But you may not have to do that, that's what I'm trying to tell you. But whatever you do, God wants us uh, to spiritually give our total persons, spirit, soul, and body, to give it up to him and to live for him. And sometimes it is more difficult. You ought to, you ought to catch this seat point in, under point two there. You see, it, sometimes it is more difficult to live for Christ than it is to die for him. You know, a lot of us say, oh, I'd like to die for Jesus. But man, you don't want to live for him. You want to live in the way you want to live, you know. You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to live, you know, just whatever you desire to do, you want to do it. And so you don't want to live, oh, I died for Jesus. But will you live for him? It's very important that we live for him. Now, your point number three, your bodies. I don't think we have enough preaching on our bodies belong to God. Our physical bodies belong to God. Let's look at some scriptures on it. In, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 13, it says, Meats for the body, the belly for meats, but, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but it is for Jehovah, and the Lord is for the body. Now, now that is a, a very close, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach a whole sermon on a thing like that. That our body belongs to Jesus, and, and it says, and the Lord is for the body. You, you say, well, what in the world will that mean? Well, he places, when you're born again, the, the, the seat of your spirit is in this part of your body, right in here. You say, how do you know? Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so, God loves your body, and he wants your body to be sanctified and, 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 and pure and clean. Can you say Amen. Now, now, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 15, that's a, the same chapter, two verses down. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Your bodies. He didn't say your soul, which is your mind, your emotions, and your will. He didn't say your spirit, which is your born-again nature on the inside of you. He said the third part of you, your body. You see, that's, that's what makes sucking cigarettes wrong. You know? You're taking poison into a body, and God wants your body to be clean and pure. He don't want you to put, to put cancer inside of your body so it'll kill you. That's the reason alcoholic beverage is wrong. It destroys the body. The young men, before they're 25 years old, they're all eaten up on their insides from alcohol and die. Their liver is gone. Uh, you see. And so I just think we've got to emphasize stronger and stronger that not only do we give our spirits to God, but we give our bodies to God. Know you not that your bodies, they're members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? A lot of preachers should have read that, shouldn't they? Shall I, shall I make them members of, the, of a harlot? He says, God forbid. You just can't do that. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Same chapter, it just goes down three verses there. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now let, let's pause there. You ought to underline that. God does not have a temple in Jerusalem. He has a temple on the inside of you. You are God's sounding board down here. 
You're God's worship place down here. When you hear people shouting and praising God, you better be glad. That's God's temples down here making a noise. And you quiet ones, you're, you're God's dead temples. Nothing going on in there. And what God wants, light in the temple. Let's turn on the lights. Noise in the temple. Shouting in the temple. The word says that we're the temples of the Most High God. Well, this this have worship in the temple. That's what that's what that's what it's all about, is to have worship in the temple. He says, Your body, say body again, body. is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. Now we have all these people running around the country, my body belongs to me, my body is mine. <laughs> Who said so? You're just an idiot. How would you know anything? You know? Your body does not belong to you. The Bible specifically says your body is not your own. You say, well, who owns my body? One or two. Either God owns it or the devil owns it. And either you're using it for the devil or you're using it for God. And you have to decide. You have to decide. Now look, look what that same chapter, that first Corinthians 6 goes after, doesn't it? Look at the next verse, verse 20. It says, for you are purchased with a price. What price? The body of Jesus. You know, some people go around trying to say, Jesus' spirit died on the cross. Did you know a spirit can't die? A spirit is immortal. The, the spirit of God can go out of you and go back to heaven, but it don't die. You, your, your spirit is an immortal thing that cannot die. And a soul is the same. A soul can't really die. And, and the word that you use for death, you know, isn't sometimes what you think it is. If you go out here after church and your car won't start, you know what you come back and say? I got a dead battery. Well, it hasn't gone anywhere. Nobody dug a hole and put it six foot deep, you know. So what does dead mean? It means it's lost its power. It, it, it simply means it needs to get back to the source of strength, which is electricity, and get some more strength in that thing so it'll start your car. You still here? All right. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, you're purchased with a price. You didn't come cheap. God, God paid through, through his own beloved son uh, for you to live. Therefore, glorify God. Glorify God in your body. How can you glorify God in your body? <laughs> I say keeping it clean. When you see people walking around like a mangy dog, they don't love Jesus. And they say, I love Jesus. I say, go wash your body then. Are you here? How do you glorify God in your body? A clean body. A nicely dressed body. Do, do you know some people go to work nicer looking than they go to worship? They, they think when you go to worship, uh, that, uh, that's your time you dress the slouchiest you can. Are you here? What does God think of your body when it's not dressed properly? If we're going to glorify God with our body, then we should dress it properly. And then we should keep unclean things out of it. Things that are not clean, we keep them out of our body. 
And he says, glorify God in your body. And then he says, and in your spirit, which is your born again nature, and in your spirit, which belong to God. <laughs> he just keeps saying it, doesn't he? They're not yours. They're loaned to you. Your body's only loaned to you for a short time. And then he said, they are God's. Then your F point. We will be judged by the acts done in our bodies. Now, 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 if you lived in Arabia today and you were to steal an apple and they were to catch you, they'd cut your hand off, you see. They, they, they'd cut your hand off because it stole an apple. But really, that body didn't steal the apple. Possibly a hunger did. Down inside of you, you were growling for hunger. But your mind says, I want that apple. And they don't know how to get to the mind to judge the mind. So they judge, they judge an effect, but they don't judge a cause. And they don't know how to judge a cause, you see. So they judge an effect. And what God wants us to know is that he deals with causes which produce effects. They produce effects within us. Can you say amen? <laughs> All right, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, we finally got out of 1 Corinthians 6. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's the, that's the church. The, the sinners will not be at the judgment seat of Christ. They'll be at the great white throne judgment. It's a different judgment altogether. So we're going to, everybody here will appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. You're going to be rewarded by how you've treated your body, what you've done with your body, how your body exalted God, praised God, magnified God, and walked clean through the earth. Can you say amen? Everyone received the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So if you've done bad things in your body, then your body's going to have to stand before God and be judged. If you've done bad things in your, uh, good things in your body, you're going to be, you're going to be approved and, and, and will be exalted. And that's what the Lord wants. Our bodies should be preserved blameless. Now that's in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you entirely, wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body, all three, be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? All three. Hey, now, you, you read it yourself. Your body, your mind, your emotions, your spirit. He says, all three of you, be preserved blameless. Be, it says, sanctify you entirely. Sanctify. Sanctification means set apart under God. And he says, that's exactly what I, I, I want to happen to your bodies. And then, in point number four, page 100, point one, one four, it says, our service is only for the Lord. In Matthew 4 and 10, then saith Jesus unto him, Yet they hint Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and with him only shalt thou serve. You are to give no service to the devil with your body or your soul. Or your, you're to give him nothing. We're to give it entirely, wonderfully, gloriously, into the hands of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Now let me see here. I've got so much here to go. I, I, I'm just wondering what I should do. If I should just break it right there, because our, our time, our time is run, 
out on us. And I wanted to get back to that text. And I only got two minutes. I wanted to get back to the text. That's on page 98. It says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God. Mercy. Uh, un, un, mercy is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That ye present your bodies a living, not dying, a living sacrifice. And that your body be holy. That your body be acceptable. Our bodies to be acceptable under God. And he said, I want to tell you something. This is your reasonable. Say reasonable. reasonable. Don't be telling God he's unreasonable. Oh, God, you expect too much of me. No. This is our reasonable service under him. Don't be conformed to this world. That's, that, that's the system. But be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Now, that, that's the only hope that we have today. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what that is good. Say good. Acceptable and perfect. Hey, isn't that good? Three things. Three things. That, that we will prove what is good, what is acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. We find so many people wanting to be perfect. And, and so many people wanting the will of God. Now, this is the way to do it. It's so simple to do it. Just give yourself completely to God. Worship the Lord. Serve the Lord. When hard times come, start shouting as loud as you can, rebuking the devil, and watch good times roll around. And, and which is a perfect will of God. And, and so, now, now, God would prefer, God would prefer a living sacrifice greater than a dead sacrifice. So don't go around saying, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. No, you get ready to live for him. Because that sacrifice to God is greater than a dead sacrifice. And, 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 and say, oh, I'll give my body for you. Well, if you will, give it to him. You know, work for him. You can't get many people to work for Jesus. Did you know that? You can't even get many people even to spend an hour in prayer. You say, why? Their bodies can't take it. They kneel down to pray, they go to sleep. They pick up the Bible and they go to sleep again. You haven't disciplined your bodies. We have been very delighted with the book of Romans. One of the greatest documents uh, ever written, ever penned. And we're just so happy that we can come to you today and uh, ask you to begin with us on page 100. And we will review just for a moment on page 98. And uh, this is part two in this lesson 22 in the book of Romans. We're so excited about it because in Romans 12 and 1, it says... I beseech you, brethren, as I've told you, I don't like the way the English language is put together. They didn't ask me anything about it, so I can't do much about it. But I would prefer when you make a statement to tell me who you're making it to. If it's not for me, I won't read it, you see. Now this statement here, as you can see in the middle of the sentence, is to brethren. 
How many of you, brethren, believe this is for the sisters also? One, two, three, four, five. Well, all the sisters raise their hands so they get it anyway. Since I now I'd, I'd prefer reading this, brethren, that then you tie the thing down. You know who you are addressing. You know who you're talking to. You're not talking to, to sinners. You're not talking to backsliders. You're, you're not talking to people that are pagan or heathen. It says, brethren, I beseech you. And you can see the intensity of the statement he's about to make, the, in, the intensity of it. I beseech you. You know, he's not just saying I'd like to make a uh, I'd like, like to make a, an opinion, please, or I'd, I would like to make a little statement, if you don't mind. He says, I beseech you. He went so strong with this that he moved into the, 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 the background strength of his beseeching. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. You know? He says, now, now let me just say something to you. Brethren, I'm talking to you with the greatest of intensity of desire, I'm talking to you. I back up this tremendous desire by the total mercies of the Most High God. The total mercies, everyone is saved by the mercies of God. Then he says, what, what, what did that man have in mind? He says that you present your bodies. Say, bodies. <laughs> That's the last thing you ever present to anybody except the restaurant. That didn't go over very big, did it? Hardly any man I meet anywhere realizes that his body is sacred. That his body does not belong to the devil, nor to the world, nor to the flesh. It belongs to God. I've had little girls that were reared in this church. By the time they were 15 or 16 to stand up in their mother and father's face when they'd been caught in adultery, said, my body belongs to me and you shut your mouth. That's happened in this city here. Your body does not belong to you. God created that body of yours. He only loaned it to you. And he's going to judge you by the way you use that body. But when you become a brethren, or you become a sister, you are being beseeched by the mighty apostle that that body of yours, not your spirit, not your mind, not your emotions, not your will, your body, say body again. There's something you don't think about very often in relationship to God, belonging to God, that you present your bodies. What shall you do with them? Give them to God as a living sacrifice. Now, this world just loves dead sacrifices. It hurts all over if you're dead. But if you're still alive, you, you can still be hurt. A sacrifice, you've given yourself to God. A sacrifice that is a Every hour, every day, every week, every month. Giving itself upon an altar to the Most High God. Ha! Ah, I tell you one thing, we'd have a different looking bodies in this country if we ever got through with a message that that body actually belongs to God and you ought to start treating it right. 
You treat your car better than you do your body. You go into the gas station and you sit down. Let me see, you got four or five kinds of gas here my car needs. And you pick out the kind of gas your car needs. You go down to the restaurant and you don't pick up the kind of gas your bowels needs. That didn't go very great either. I'm really hitting home runs here, you know. I want you to start realizing who you are in your body. The preacher always talks about your soul. He always talks about your spirit, you know. But here we're talking about the human person, your fingernails. Did they look holy or not? I started to say toenails, but I don't want to get everybody angry at me. A living sacrifice. Now, now you got your finger on it? We're, we're on page 98 in the reading. A living sacrifice. Holy. Say holy. holy. That means living pure before the Lord. Your body can be presented to God as a living sacrifice. Holy. Pure, clean. And this would make it acceptable unto God. And then just to taunt you a little bit, he says, this, this is not very important. This is just your reasonable service. This is just a reasonable situation. If you want to live a long time, treat your body right. If you want to die early, mistreat your body and you'll get it. Put the wrong stuff in your body, and the wrong stuff comes out. Put the right things in your body, and the right things come out. Now, I, I don't know that I've ever heard a full sermon on how to treat your body in my life from anybody. And it's about time we looked into the Word of God and find out that God has a specific interest in your body and in my body. And that he says it's your reasonable service. Now, let's just jump over here to page 100, if you would. In uh, Matthew 4 and 10, this is down in the second paragraph. Then saith Jesus un unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, uh, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Our, our service is unto God, and him only reasonable service. And him only shalt thou serve. Our service is to the Most High God. Him only shalt thou serve. Uh, we, we are not to, to, to lend spiritual service or physical service either to anything that's alien, alien to our God. If you believe it, say amen. So some real insight can be gained by seeing how various translators under the phase which is your reasonable service. The New Inter International Version says, this is your spiritual act of worship. That's what they call this reasonable service that we read in the King James Version just a moment ago. This is your spiritual act of worship. Reasonable service. I still like reasonable service best. Amplified Bible. Which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Well, that old Amplified tried to amplify it, didn't it? They tried to make a sermon out of it. Let's get this do it again. The Amplified Version says, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service 
and spiritual worship unto God. How many are getting to see how important this thing is? After Paul gave you that Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 there, and then he just concluded it very strong. We said, now, don't think this is unusual. This is your reasonable service. And we're trying to show you how the different men who, 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 who translated various Bibles, how they see that verse from the original Greek. It says, Revive, the, the Revived Standard Version says, which is your spiritual act of worship. So they're all going to tie in reasonable service with spiritual worship, which I think is a very, a very fine thing to do. Phillips, in his modern English translation, says, as an act of intelligent worship. The New English Bible says, the worship offered by mind and by heart. By mind and by heart. The New English Bible. Of course, I think we have moved along uh, you know, a lot in understanding ourselves and some of these things were done. Your mind and your heart, are you're talking about the same thing. You know, you're, you're, the heart of man, and, and I, I, I struggle with this for quite a few years, the, the heart of man is not related to that little pump, a little bigger than your fist on the inside of you. And, and the Bible says so much about the heart of man, heart of man, heart of man. And I said, God, what in the world is a heart anyway? Surely not that little pump down there pumping around. The Lord said, no, the, the heart of man is his total mental capacity combined with his total emotional capacity combined with his, his total willpower. Those three giants inside of you becomes the heart of man. Because Jesus said that out of the heart come adulterous fornications, lying, Stealing. He says all these things come out of the heart, but it couldn't come out of that pump, pumping away in there. It has to come out of something else. And the Lord says they come out of your, your mind. It comes out of your emotions. It comes out of your willpower. And that when these in conjunction together, they make up the solical man, but they make up the human heart. That is the human heart. So the human heart and the Word of God is a million miles from being what the doctors call a physical heart on the inside of you. But the human heart makes up with your total intelligence, your total powers of, of communicating feelings, and your total willpower. Every time you say, I will do this or I will do that, uh, you're, you're functioning out of that heart situation out of you. And, and I'm sure that men, you know, that did some of these older translations. They hadn't gotten into a thing like that. Maybe they'd ever, never come up against what was a problem to them. What is a human heart anyway? Let's know what it is. The Living Bible, which always says things real nice, says when you think of what it has done for you, is this too much to ask? And, and that's the way they concluded that, your reasonable service. Is it too much to ask? Uh, if you're dedicated to God, God can ask anything He wants to, and you like it. That God can make a requirement, and you say, let's get going. At any time, when you cannot uh, accept the requirements of God, the requests of God, you're out of focus with God Almighty. And that means you're living after the flesh, and you're living after the world, and you're living after your own desires, and you're not living after a devoted and dedicated person of God. And all the people said, Amen. Now, and in your point number five, 
it's, it says that be ye therefore transformed. And, and uh, you, you find that in the, in the very next verse over here. Uh, it's verse 2. Be not conformed to this, to this world. We are, not, we are not to conform ourselves to the world system. We buy the same kind of a suit, you know. And uh, you, you buy the same kind of a dress. Not talking about that. Don't be conformed to the world system. If you're part of this world system today, you're out of focus with God just as sure as you're before me here right now. If you have to act like the world, be like the world, do what the world, talk like the world, you're part of the world system. And, and he says that we, that we are transformed, that, that you and I be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind, you are a transformed person. And so we, because we are transformed, we do not conform to the world system around about us. We're different from them. They know we're different. They understand we're different. Anytime that Christians and sinners start acting the same, you just got all sinners. That's all you got, whether you like it or not. I've been quarreling desperately all over the world <laughs> recently of whether a Christian can have a devil or not. I'll possibly preach it to you soon here. And I have, have a sermon with 10 points, 10 reasons why a Christian cannot have a devil. And I told these gentlemen to their face, I said, now you, listen, if you'll change one word, I'll agree with everything you say. If you will say, church members have devils, I say, man, man, you're right. I even know some of them. But if you're going to say Christians have devils, the word Christian means Christ-like. And I will not accept in my spirit that a born-again person full of the Holy Ghost, surrounded by the blood of Jesus with a renewed mind, has a demon inside of him. It is not even rational, much less biblical. I just said something nice there. <laughs> it's not even rational, much less biblical. In the Bible, it says that bitter waters and sweet waters do not come out of the same fountain. You either have one or you have... Be not conformed to this world system. Jesus said that, that we would be in the world we live here, but we're not of the world. We, this is our dwelling place temporarily, but because we live here, we're not of it. I am not part of the world system that's around about us. John 17, 15 said, I pray not that your shooters be taken out of the world, but that you should keep them from evil. Jesus speaking for his disciples. So don't take them out of the world. I just want you to keep them from evil. They can be in the world, but not of the world. You, you've heard the simile, I am sure, where a boat is very safe in the water as long as the water don't get in the boat. And, and the same with you. You're very safe in the world if you don't get the world on the inside. You get the world on the inside, you're going to sink. How many knows what I just said? You get the world on the inside, you're going to sink. And, and so it's up to us to keep the world on the outside. You're very safe. If you're around it, helping it, blessing it, getting it saved. But my God, don't become part of it. And all the people said, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 19, he says, If ye were of the world, the world would love its own. 
Now, now there's a portion of Scripture that's very difficult for a lot of people. They become a Christian, and their neighbors that used to like them don't like them anymore. And they say, what happened to me that they don't like me anymore? The people down where you work that used to adore you don't adore you at all. They'd rather you wouldn't be around. You say, what happened to me? Nothing happened to you. Jesus got inside of you, and, and, and it's Jesus they don't like you, the same old stinker you ever were. But they just don't like Jesus. And when Jesus starts shining out in your life, you get the reprisals, of course, but it's really not you. You remember Jesus speaking to Saul of Tarshish on the way to Damascus. Jesus spoke to him and said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. He said, I hadn't persecuted you, Lord. He said, all the people in Jerusalem that you've hurt, you have hurt me. If we could get that through the church, it would be good, wouldn't it? That when you suffer things for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he actually suffers for it himself. And that he will deal with the person that hurts you himself. You won't have to do it yourself. Himself, he will deal with that situation. Are you glad for that? He says, if you were, in the, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, now that's the world system we're talking about. You're not of the world. With the pride this world has and its, its, its lust for, for pleasure that it has. He says, you're not of the world. But then he says, but I have chosen you out of the world. Say chosen. In John 15 and 16, it says, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit would remain and that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. God chose us. How many glad God chose you? You say, how do I know God chose me? Because you got very uncomfortable down inside and said, I need Jesus, and that was God's choosing you. Down inside of you, you said, I'm weary of sin, I'm tired of sin, and I'm about ready to get rid of it. That's showing the choice of God taking place right there. So he said, I have chosen you out of this world. Now, now, now don't, that don't mean trees and houses and streets. That means world system. I've chosen you out of this world system. Therefore, the world hates you. Ha, isn't that something? Therefore, the world hates you. They hate you. They just hate you for the simple reason that you're not of them. You don't tell the same kind of jokes they tell. You don't do the kind of immoralities they do. And, and they hate you. But they don't really hate you. You would be just like them in your normal state. They hate you because Jesus is Lord that you receive Christ in your life. You're a disciple of the Lord. You're walking in his footsteps. Every day you say, not my will, thy will be done. How many are glad you do that? Aren't you glad? In John 16 and 33, it says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. How many have that peace? In me you have that peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. That should answer almost every problem of every human person. 
Now, never in my life have I told you what I'm going to say at a funeral, except right now. Tomorrow, one of our elders will be laid to rest, a man that I've known for so many, many years. And the first thing I heard from somebody was, why, why? And I asked the Lord, I said, why? And the Lord said two things. He said, well, he had finished his course and he had kept the faith. And there was a crown of righteousness laid up for him in heaven. He wouldn't got it. Hallelujah. Yeah, when I finished my course, my course a little longer than some other courses. Of course it is. But uh, we, we, when we finished the course, we finished it. The important statement is the next one. Did you keep the faith? A lot of people didn't do that. They did not keep the faith. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. J Jesus has helped us to be that overcomer. We are to be transformed into the image of Christ. Colossians 1.13 who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So that's the reason we can present our bodies a uh, living sacrifice. In 1 John 4, 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Now that's an awful statement. Just like Jesus lived, we live. Just like Jesus walked, we walk. Just like Jesus, we are in this world. Not in the world to come. In this world, we walk in the way that Jesus walked. We talk in the way that Jesus talked. In Ephesians 4, 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is what we're reaching out for. In Jesus' name. And that you, you have the renewed mind. Your point C there, we're transformed through the renewing of our mind. And point six, it says, God does not want us to have his permissive will. This is a very strong statement. He wants us to have his exact and perfect will. His will is good. His will is acceptable. His will is perfect. His will is within our grasp. Ephesians 5 and 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but be understanding what the will of the Lord is, what the will of God is in our hearts and in our lives. That's the reason the book of Romans is so loved throughout, throughout church history. That's the reason the Chinese people, when it was translated, said, why did you sneak around and put the word Romans on it? You knew you were talking about the Chinese all the time. Every nation in the world feels the same way, that that message is directed straight into their society, into their homes, and into their hearts. And because it's directed, di directed toward us, for God's sake, let's go to heaven. You cannot give your body to the devil and go to heaven. I want you to know that. Our bodies are the temples of the living God. And this great man says, I beg you, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead one, not a dead one, not at the end of life, every day. A living sacrifice unto God, which is our reasonable service. And don't, don't be conformed to this natural state 
of sinners around us. But be transformed. How can you do it? God can do it through the renewing of your thinking, the renewing of your decisions. God can do it. Your lesson today is taken from the 12th chapter of Romans, uh, serving in the body of Christ. We have studied the uh, amazing truths that the apostle through the Holy Spirit was giving to the body. Now we have come to a personal situation of where you take those truths and you put them back into the body of Christ. They come back serving in the body of Christ. Paul teaches us in this section how to minister together in the body. You and I are all part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth, the bride that he's coming back after. And he wants us to serve one another. In, in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 4, it says, for as we have many members, say many members. It's so easy to conclude that you're the only one, that I am the body of Christ. But it's more difficult to know that we are to serve each other and that we're all part of the body. And if one member is ill or sick, all members will, will feel the reaction of that. That we are many members, but we're in one body. And all members have not the same office. You'd be amazed at how many people, they don't want to teach a Sunday school class, they'd like to do the preaching on Sunday morning. And I have to say, well, we can only have one sermon at a shot. You better let me give it, I think. Uh, but uh, they, they uh, we must find the place where God wants us in the body of Christ and be happy there. Say happy. Yeah, be happy there. Uh, what you are today does not mean that's what you will be tomorrow. You, you can be something altogether different tomorrow, but God can do it. You will not have to work at it and, and uh, try to pressure your way into a certain place in the body of Christ. God makes a way. If you know it, say amen. We do not all have the same office. That's verse 4. So verse 5 says, So we, you and I, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Now, now that, that is a solid body. I don't think there are very many groups of people who have come to realize that they are really and truly bodies, parts, one of another in the body of Christ. Your point number one says, thinking of ourselves according to God's standard in the body. We can go to verse 3, which goes backward from verse 4. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So he said, in order to understand your place in the body, You've got to do some thinking about it. Say thinking. thinking. Yeah, not feeling, thinking about it. <laughs> We've got to think, what is my part in the body? Uh, you, you, you would just be amazed at some thoughts that I have in the body. Would you just hand me my Bible, please, someone? 
And because even last night, uh, before coming into this, this study, I, I was, uh, thank you, I was just writing down some notes. You might say, I didn't, I didn't have this lesson in particular in mind, but I was just writing down some notes about the body. And, and uh, if I could lay my, lay my hand on it, I was looking at it this morning. I ought to be able to lay my hand on it, but it looked look like I'm doing it very well, does it? What'd you say? What'd you do, lose half of my Bible? Dear Lord. No wonder I can't find my notes. Somebody took my Bible. I wrote down last night, what is the ultimate attainment in my life? My ultimate attainment in life is to build a road for other people to ride on. Now, that's what you call being part of the... I, I wrote this not in relationship to the lesson, you see. What is my business in life? My business is to build a bridge for others to cross. Are you here or not? Human nature is so... It's, it's, it's so selfish, it don't want to make a path for somebody else to walk down. You see? What is my business in life? It's to plant a garden for others to enjoy. I had no thought of this lesson here when I wrote this down just last night. My business in life is to plant a tree for others to live under that tree, to enjoy the branches, the shade of that tree. What is my business in life? It's to preach a salvation for others to be saved. Not for myself to be saved. It's to preach a word for others to be saved. What is my business in life? My ultimate attainment in life is to teach a healing that others can be healed. Now, if every one of us could find that proper spirit of saying, I want to be part of the body of Christ. I want to be members. That's your point too here. In Romans 12 and 5 it says, So we being many are one body in Christ. And every one of us that we are members of another. We are members one of another. If we can realize that, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 12 it says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so is Christ. And, and we must feel that very strong within us. I think you could use one word, relationship. We must feel our relationships. I'm sure people come to church and, and they feel like one little grain of sand on the seashore. I'm here. I don't know anybody. I, I, I'm not sure that I'm even very well appreciated here. Let me get up and walk out the door. Well, that's not being part of the body. I'm glad my left leg didn't decide to stay home this morning because it didn't have any fellowship with the right leg. And I look funny, walked around here with one leg. I said, well, I'm sorry, left leg stayed home. We are part of the body. I don't know where you'll ever get it across to the people. You're necessary. When it's time to worship, you're needed there. You're needed there even to share your presence is beautiful. And, and we should be faithful unto God. Look at point three on page 103. It says, supplying our part to the body. In Romans, the next verse, uh, Romans 12 and 6, it says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. You know, we all have different abilities. Every person in the class 
That's a different ability. I mean, you're glad for that. Aren't you glad we're not automatons that all do the same thing? Push a button, we all raise our hand. Push another button, and we all open our mouth. Aren't you glad that, 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 that we are persons that God has set in the body? It says, it says uh, we have gifts differing, whether it's prophesied, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. There, there are those with that, with that type of gift. And if we will really realize that, that whatever the Lord has anointed us to do, if it's sweep the floor, do it, you know, and, and we will find a real fulfilling in Christ as we do it. In verse 7, which is the next verse, Romans 12 and 7, or if we are called into ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. Whatever the Lord's ability that he's given to us, ac accentuate it, uh, improve it, uh, let people know about it, endorse it, let it be part of our living, and you'll see that it fits into many other lives. We find many times in, in the convention a very remarkable thing. It can, the convention can be in Germany or it can be in, in, in France that someone else has preached and you were not even there. And you come and preach and take up the next point and go ahead and drive down the same avenue of truth. And when the service is over, they said, did you know anything about what he preached about before you came? No, not a, not a word. Well, says you just picked up where he left off. How many hurts things like that? Have you been in meetings like that? You just picked up where he left off and continued to teach what he had started to teach. Now that's being part of the body. That's, that's spirits synchronizing together, that we are part of the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the people said, now, in the next verse, which is verse 8, in verse 7, it says, if you have ministered, wait on it, do it, do it, do it, don't just, or, or, or whatever, if teach it, don't neglect it, teach everybody, you say, teach him something. And then in the next verse, verse 8, it says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Now, exhortation is, is very important. I, I can assure you right now, there are a thousand people in this city that need exhortation. They, they're home right now. They're not in the class or any class. You say, what is exhortation? Well, when you exhort someone, you urge them to continue. That's, that's what exhorting means. If it's a carpenter putting up a wall and he stops in the middle of it and, and takes a coffee break for two hours, somebody better exhort him. When you say he needs exhortation, exhort him to finish the wall. Well, in our spirit lives, we need exhortation. Don't stop here. Jesus is coming soon. I don't get discouraged. Jesus is coming soon. You can't imagine. Even ministers need exhortation. You know, they won't just get dull and just stop ministering and just stop preaching as they should. They need somebody to say, come on, let's get going. Let's get a bigger church. Let's get a larger crowd. Exhortation means that we're urging others to advance. And he says, he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Now, most our people here all give with simplicity. It, I don't know of anyone here that gives any other way. But there are, there are conditions in the world where a man comes over and says, you know, I'd like to give $50,000 to this church. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, but that woman, that tambourine down here, I don't want to see her anymore. Can you take care of that for me? 
Well, then, then what you got on your hand? You got a guy buying his way into what he wants, buying his way into what he likes. You say, does that happen in church? Well, I'm sorry, you don't know much about church. It happens in almost all churches. Some person's ready to do something big if he gets what he wants back. You know, I'll give if you'll give. But the Word of God says when you give, give out of a good heart. Get out of a, get out of a sincere person. Give to God what belongs to God and be sure that you and God are on the right relations. It's more important that you and God be on the right relations than you and the church building. That God knows our giving principles. And if we give hilariously, as the Bible says, it says give joyfully unto the Lord. Then, then we're doing that. Simplicity means you just write out your check. You just put it in and, it's, and, and that's taken care. That's the way I give. I give with simplicity in, in Jesus' name. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, to do it with diligence. If you're in charge of something, a Sunday school or, or a prayer meeting, don't be slipshod. If there's a lesson to give to those people, don't wait till three minutes beforehand, flip the Bible open to one page you don't know and think you're going to bless those people. Whatever we do, we should do it with diligence. Can you say amen? We should do it with diligence. I, 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 I teach with diligence. You can't imagine, if you looked at this teaching syllabus here, you, look, look, just look at that page. Let's look at that page. Anybody can see that page? That's called diligence. Nobody can read it but angels. But anyway, when it gets cold, I can't read it either. But I just say, oh, God, anoint that stuff I wrote. I feel sorry for secretaries. They, they can read it sometime when I can't. That means God gives them a special anointing. But, uh, but with diligence, I spent hours and hours in material that I'd already created, you know. You say, well, you wrote it. Why do you want to read it again? Well, what the Lord gives you one hour, he don't give you the next hour. What God gives you one day, he doesn't give you the next day. And so whatever material you're going to give, you should go back and with diligence work through that material in order to bless people. Can you say amen? In order, in order to bless people. Let's look at what he's saying. If you rule, do it well. If you got a job, even if it's nothing but cleaning up, clean up well. Can you say amen? And then he says, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. <laughs> Have you ever, we don't see them much around this part. You would in New York City. There'd be about, about six persons with a handout each block in New York City. You don't know who to give to and you don't know whether they were brought to their work in a limousine or not. Uh, but... Uh, there they have their hand out. But did you ever watch people that, I watch the people that give more than I do the one that receives it. Most of them give and they want to spit at the same time. They're so upset about having to give. They, they, you seldom ever see anybody bless a beggar by reaching over putting the coin into the hand and said, God bless you, brother. God loves you. You know, you wouldn't have to be a beggar if you join the right team. The captain's named Jesus. Why don't you get on the right team? You and the devil, mighty poor team here. Mighty poor team. And you're getting mighty little from the devil. Nickels don't do much for you. Why don't you get on a better team and then go off smiling? Wouldn't that be a... Well, that's what the Bible says. He that showeth mercy, do it with cheerfulness. If you're going to be merciful to somebody, don't say, you know, I hate to do this, but you're sitting here begging, I guess I got to give you a dime or a dollar. I just got to. 
You got quiet around you. He that showeth mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Say cheerfulness. Some of you are not very cheerful. We take up the tithes and offerings. I'm not going to tell on you though. Verse 9 says, and, and that love be without dissimulation. Let your love be pure. Let your love come from your inner innermost being. Let your love be like it is in, 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 in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, and it is so powerful there that they, the definitions that God gave of love beginning in verse 4 in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love without dissimulation. Love with a pure heart, with a good conscience. And, and let it be, a, a, you, know, you, know, you know, some people say, I love you, and you never see them again. Are you here? Well, why lie about it? You know, if you love something, you don't walk off and leave it. Nobody asks you to walk up and say, I love you. Nobody asks you to do that. And then if you don't do anything for that person, what is love? Why are you allowed today? I'm, you're just scaring me with your loudness. And then he says, love without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Say abhor. Now you know, you know right now, some of you don't abhor evil. You, you tolerate it. You tolerate evil. You don't abhor evil. You have to hate evil. Evil has to be something you can't stand. Not people, not people. The evil. The evil. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave. Say cleave. That means grab a hold of it and don't turn loose. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned. I'm in the middle of page 104. Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love. Kindly affection means if, 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 if someone needs a cup of water, say, let me bring it to you. I'd like to do that. If their cars were out in the parking lot, let me get your car for you today. I'd just love to do it. Give me your key. I'll bring it, bring it here for you. Just kindly affection. Do nice little things, that it says. There are a lot of people loaded with this. There are people that give things to, to ministers and to pastors. That, that, that they're just little tokens that inside of them there is an affection there. And they just want to do something to reveal the inner, the inner parts. Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. That's not very easy to do. In honor, preferring one another. If there's a line, look around and say, would you like to be up in front of me? Come on up here. Not many people, not many people, especially if you were in, in some parts of the world where a line is life. A line is life. They're trying to get a piece of bread in there. And if you let somebody nudge in in front of you, it would be a, that they might get the last piece of bread, that person you just put in front of you. But it, 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 says, it says that we should, in honor, prefer one another. It's, it's a sweet spirit to have, that you're willing to let someone get in front, that you're willing for somebody to be out in front of you. It is a, a very beautiful thing. And all the people said, now, now, now this lesson has to do with serving the body of Christ. That's what we're talking about. And, and, and that's in the book of Romans as well as the salvation for the world is in the book of Romans. Look at point number four. It's in the middle of page 104. It's in Romans 12 and 9. It says, love 
without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kind of affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. So the ministry must operate in love. It's, it's, it's a, re a redundant situation there. And, and then in number five, at the bottom of the page, it goes to verse 11, which is right after the verse 10 we just read. It says, not slowful in business. Not slowful in business. See, not slowful. Did you know that you can have a good business and lose it? Did you know you can have a good church and lose it? Not slowful in business. Slowful means you don't pay any attention to it. It means you're not fast on the trigger. It means you're just too slow to run a business. Not slowful in business. You say, I'm not in business. Yes, you are. Everybody's in business. You pay your income tax. Well, don't let them take all they want. You figure it up and give them what, what you're supposed to. You might save yourself some money if you'd, if you'd do it yourself and work on it a little longer. And you know what seems difficult to you? If you read it three times, it gets simple. How many found that out? Yeah. If you read it three times, it gets simple. And so if the things you say it's hard, well, read it a couple of times, lay it down, wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, read it again, you'll be amazed at how much you know about it. Mike, you're just frightening me with your excitement today. Not slowful in business. Every one of us should be prosperous. Every one of us should be prosperous. You say, well, what is prosperity? Prosperity is having what you need with a little left over. Are you here? Yeah, that's all prosperity is. If you have what you need to have a little left over, man, you're prosperous. You, you, could, you can bless the people that don't have anything. Now, you've got some left over. How many are glad for that? Not slothful in business, but be fervent in spirit. That word fervent has to do with fire. Be, be hot. Be hot in your spirit. And, and, and serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. My goodness. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Giving to hospitality. This won't hurt some of us. Bless them that persecute you. Ooh. Rejoice with them that rejoice. If somebody's happy, join in and be happy. All right, you, you're going to agree with it. You, thank you. Uh, be of the same mind one toward another. Recompense no man evil for evil. Man, that's living, isn't it? If it be possible as much as lies within you, live peaceably. Live peaceably. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Give Give no place to wrath. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's verse 19. Therefore, therefore, if, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him to drink. In so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. One lady said she poured a hot water on her husband's head. She didn't have coals of fire to put on his head. It's not talking about that. It means that he should just feel how poor he was doing and how well you're doing. Can you say amen? All right, if you turn the page to 106, in chapter 15 and verse 5, it says, Now, the God of patience, our God has patience. What shouldn't we have? And consolation, grant you to be like-minded, like-minded, one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? According to Christ Jesus. And then we go back to Romans 13 and 13. It says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, not in drunkenness, not in chambering, 
not in wantonness, which is evil, not in strife, not in, not in envying, but let us keep the unity of the Spirit toward one another. What a lesson, what a tremendous lesson, telling us how we should serve one another, bless one another, care for one another. You say, but I just come to church to come to church. Well, do you go to the doctor just to go to the doctor, just to walk in and shake his hand and say, hello there, doc. I've come to bless your, your back pocket. And then walk out. No, you go to the doctor on purpose. You go to the doctor to receive some assistance. You go to the doctor to learn something about yourself. And you go to the doctor feeling that this is my, this is my duty to go and, and to get something done for myself. We, when we come to church, we shouldn't just drift into church. We shouldn't just say, oh, well, it's Sunday again. Sure got here in a hurry. No, it's Monday that gets you in a hurry, not Sunday. And, and, and come to church with a design in my heart. How many people you think really go to church? You know, I'm going to go to church today and see if I can bless somebody. Come on. I, I believe there's a lot of people that do that. Listen. One, two, three, four, five, six. You mean you believe that? You do. You believe that a lot of people who when they leave home, they say, I'm going to go to church and bless somebody. Now, let's be honest. My, my belief is most people says, I'm going to go to church and see what I can get. Now, how many think that that's the way a lot of people go to church? I'm not going to count that side no more. I've already counted that. <laughs> we should come to the house of God like God, similar to God. Who can I bless? Who can I love? Who can I lift up? And you know, God will bless you. Bless you. All the Word of God is exciting. But, but today's lesson could be the most exciting thing you've ever heard. It's called transcending laws or the higher powers. And uh, uh, it, it is really very exciting. I wrote down some notes early this morning uh, that says uh, two boys in the neighborhood uh, can have power between themselves. Another kid moves in, and he's a year older, and a little stronger, and the power changes to a higher power. Somebody stronger moves in, and the lesser power diminishes at that time. Early this morning when you walked into this room, there was a power here called darkness. And then a higher power walked in with more authority and the darkness went away. It lost its strength because a higher power assumed the rulership in this room. And uh, I've seen very often someone sit at the head of a table and a new person walks in the room and that person sits at the head of the table very graciously gets up and goes around sits on the side, maybe down close to the other end. Because a higher power walked in that had more authority and he lost the head of the table. How many have ever seen a thing like that? The rest of you hadn't been anywhere. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a pity. I've seen it a thousand times. Somebody assuming that they should sit at the front 
and suddenly someone says, would you kind of go to the back? And, and a higher power has come. Now that all ends up with that sin has an authority until the blood of Jesus comes around. And suddenly sin has no power. And the Bible says, let not sin therefore have dominion over you. There are transcending laws in the universe. Let's go into it. Paul teaches us concerning, in this chapter, chapter 13 of the book of Romans, he, he teaches us about good government. But it doesn't stop with good government in the political area. Good government, good government also in banking, a good government in homes, good government in industry. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter where you get one, two, or three, four people together, we need good operation there. And all the people said, and, and so Paul is teaching us concerning good government, but there are transcending laws in that government. Now we want you to really get to this today because uh, uh, what we're talking about now is what caused millions of martyrs, millions of people gave up their life on what I'm gonna talk about at this moment. So we have to come to understanding levels of authority. God's laws, as you will, should know and will know, God's laws supersede human laws. Any law that any human, whether it's Adolf Hitler or Benito Mussolini, uh, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Now, in, 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 uh, in Sweden, they tested this. The men in the parliament made a law that you could not discipline a child. And especially you couldn't do it in a school of any kind. Well, Uff Ekman and his, and his school permitted his teachers to discipline children with a spank. And he was brought up in the court of the land, him against the government, the parliament, mind you, like going against the Congress in Washington. And he went to court, and the judge looked down and said, you lawmakers are wrong. He said, the preacher's right. He says, you, you discipline your dogs, but you don't discipline your children. He says, the court is dismissed. And he won the case, you see. Now, the Bible commands us to discipline children. You discipline your horses. A horse won't obey if he's not disciplined. And yet, our own children, we don't discipline them. Then we wonder why they get clear off from under control and refuse to obey anybody, you or the courts or anybody else. God's laws supersede all human laws. We are to obey our government unless it contradicts the laws of God. How many would agree with that? You say, why? Well, those laws are made by little people that live down the street before you voted them into that office back there. A man in the courthouse right here said, says, now, listen, I want you to know that when we get, when we get, uh, uh, when we get information and when we get uh, told what to do from the big fellows in Indianapolis, we do it. 
I leaned over to his nose and I said, I want you to know something. You're a peanut and they are a peanut. All of you just voted in people and I can see that you get voted out if you want to get out. You're not God. And what you say is not the last word. The last word is in the Bible. That's the way I got the permit in the church up there. He signed it immediately. Unless the government begins to meddle in morals and religion, we have to obey our government. If the government says that you cannot be a Christian, like in Russia and China and many other states in the world, then it has stepped outside its level of authority. The authority doesn't count anymore. How many agree to that? You can't be a blind follower of human beings. It don't matter if they call it Congress or, or whether they call it uh, uh, by any other name, such parliaments and so forth. We don't obey men, little men, that in a few years their dust is going to be down in the ground and their souls are going to be in hell. A lot of people don't, haven't come to our, Well, in our country, you haven't had to understand that very much until this, just lately. And that we can cancel their laws, but they cannot cancel God's laws. We are to obey our family. The Bible in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment with a promise for long life is that you obey your father and your mother. But we live in a world where a mother tells her 13-year-old daughter to labor the man for $20. You don't have to obey that kind of stuff. Tell your children to go out and steal to bring things home. You don't have to obey that stuff. Are you here? We're to be our, our family authorities unless they contradict God's law. If, if a parent tells his child or the husband tells his wife, you cannot go to church, well, that's none of his authority. That's not in the realm of his authority. His authority is to go out, make bread and put it on the table and put clothes on your back. He's not God just because he happens to be a man that married a woman and has a kid. He's still that little old boy, really, in God's sight. He's just a little male on his way into eternity. He's not God just because he married a girl and had a baby. Are you here? And there are a lot of men like that. The people that would be in church right now, but the husband can't go to church. You're going to go to hell, I can tell you that. You'll be in hell before your toes get cold. And forever you'll say, I wish, wish to God I'd had enough sense to have gone to church. I believe the Bible, and I don't matter what the world believes today. This generation is not a generation of believing straight. They're as crooked as a corkscrew. And if you're going to go by popular opinion, you will go to hell, every one of you. I am not living by popular opinion. I'm living by eternal truth. That didn't begin the day you were born. If you're here, say amen. You cannot tell your family they can't serve God. You're not God. They have a right to serve God. And all the people said,
He has moved from his position of physical authority, I mean point number two, and takes upon himself now spiritual authority. You, you might say he's moved from, from corporal dictatorship into divine dictatorship. Can you see how far off he is? Which he is not able to take. Unless humans, unless human laws are in rebellion to divine authority, the Bible teaches us that we should obey them. We're not rebels. This country today is full of rebels. Has nothing to do with God either. They're full of rebels. As sure as you're looking at me right now, we will have bloodshed in this country between the races. Just as sure the devil is fomenting it. He is exaggerating it. In these last days, which my message will be about this morning, the devil wants everybody to hate everybody. Then if you can't see where that comes from, then there's something wrong with you. Hate comes from the devil. I'm not going to hate anybody. I refuse to be a hater because that's of the devil to hate. God forgives. God forgives. All these people chasing around our country saying, rights, rights, rights. Why don't they take some responsibility? That would help a little. You know, why don't we take some responsibility? We need a better country. We need better looking houses with a little paint on them. We need better gardens. We need better lawns. We need God work more so we need anything else. And all the people said? In Romans 12, I mean in Romans chapter 13, we're going to begin, verses 1 and 2. Let every man be subject unto the higher powers. Uh, he is speaking here of, 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 your, of, your, of your governments. For, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be, they're ordained of God. God ordained government. Uh, it's the only way to regulate society. You cannot regulate society. I was on the Autobahn last week, and a preacher was driving me 120 miles an hour. And the only problem was he had to stay in the right lane. They were passing him so fast in the left lane. I said, do you, do, 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 do you have any maximum speed? No, he said, if I had a better car, I'd go. For no, I said, you, you're doing all right here. <laughs> we can't live in a world where there's no authority. If you do, the whole of society breaks down and everybody gets his gun and shoots everybody else. That's what the devil wants. That's what he's done for 6,000 years is, is make people kill people. We were in India this past week. They must have five or six wars going on in India that you don't seem to know anything about. They're fighting every day. They're killing every day. In Africa. That's hardly a country in Africa. They don't have war going on right now. This is wrong. That's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. No, the devil is wrong. And you don't ever come to peace with a gun. All you do is... One of them wins and the other one says, I'll get me more ammunition and I'll be back. Because the cause of it's on the inside. Can you say amen? I refuse to be part of men doing like that. It says, whatsoever therefore, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, that is your civil authorities. He resisteth the ordinance of God because we have to have laws in order to live together. And that they shall resist 
shall receive to themselves damnation. If you break the laws of your land, the Bible says you, you also break your relationship with God. You just can't go around breaking the laws of the land and think you're a good, not only a citizen here, but a citizen in heaven. It doesn't work that way. Obeying Rome was not an easy thing to do for the Christians that he was writing to. He was writing to people in Rome, the very headquarters of old Caesar himself that had killed hundreds of thousands of people. Rome was overbearing. It was a dictatorship. And a few years after the writing of this epistle, that Rome would destroy Jerusalem and burn the temple in Jerusalem. These Romans, or this Roman world was a world of trouble, insurrection, sorrow, tears, persecution. The Romans had laws of religion demanding that the Roman subjects worship the emperor. <laughs> and that was a law. And the Christians couldn't obey that law. They could obey the speed limit. They could pay their taxes. But Caesar was a human, and he was not to be worshipped as a god. Can you say amen? The way the church in Rome was constructed made it difficult for Christians to find their place with the government because there were Jewish members there who only wanted to obey Jewish laws, and there were people from many nations that gravitated to Rome, and they had an inkling to be with the Grecian laws or the, or the European laws or the Roman laws. And so he was writing a difficult letter to a group of people, then, and he was telling them what to do. No equivocation about it. In verse 3 of chapter 13 we're dealing with, for rulers are not a terror to good works. That is, if they're good rulers. Now, Hitler was a terror to good works, but he wasn't talking about that kind of a man. He was talking about the civil laws by which we live in, in, in our society. Will thou then not be afraid of the power that that which is good and that which shall have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. Good government is a minister of God. Isn't that nice? We have, we have people in our church that are part of the government downtown here, and they're on, on certain committees and boards and representatives and so forth. Good people can pass good things that's good for all of us. Can you say amen? But evil people can pass evil things that's bad for everybody. And he wants you to see the difference. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. If you go out and shoot somebody, they're going to be looking for you. And it'll be bad for you when they find you. You go rob a store, and, and you're going to be in trouble. Somebody's going to pick you up and put you in jail. And your liberty, all finished when they clang the iron door at the jail, you see. Then you have to sit in there with those other men as mean as you are, fighting each other, cutting each other, knocking each other, and cussing each other. It's a pretty bad life. I was told in Chicago by a Jewish lawyer that had been working in the city hall there for, for, uh, uh, for 12 years. He said, Summerall, there's never a night they don't kill somebody in that jail. Never a night we take them out the next morning. And so the big city jail in Chicago, I guess one of the largest in the world, it's a death house, you see. For who? For transgressors. Not the people driving down the street in their new car. Not the people living in that nice home. But for people that transgress, they go to the place of death. And from there, if they don't get right with God in jail, you know where a lot of people are going to get to heaven? Would you like to know? 
Would you like to know? Two of you. From, from, from the hospitals and from the jailhouses. They get in there and they're like the thief on the cross. Said, my, I sure made a lot of mistakes to get where I am now. Can't walk anymore. They got me on a cross here. And, 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 and so they're going to say, God, can you save a sinner? And Jesus will say, well, that's what I came down there for. You'd be amazed at the jailbirds that'll be in heaven. They got to the end of themselves and there they found God, pitiful and tender and kind and forgiving. I'm mean, glad you serve a God like that. Give him a hand then if you do. Civil government, this number A under point three. Civil government is for the benefit of good people. Good citizens are always appreciated, and I, I thank God for that. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin, that, that, that sin means transgression, rebellion. Sin and rebellion are a reproach to any nation, any people, any people. And we got so many transgressors and rebellious people in this country today, and they, and they are a reproach to the name of America. In almost all the countries of the world where we go, they got Americans in jail there, and, and most of them are, are in jail for drugs, and next after that for rebellion and, and stealing in those countries. And it, it makes you hang your head, you know, when you, when you, when you read things like that. Civil government has the responsibility of punishing lawbreakers, even to death. And that brings in capital punishment, you see. That if you take someone else's life, they have a right to remove your life from the earth because you forfeited your freedoms that God had given you. And all the people said, in, Roman, in, in verse 5, which is the next verse, in Romans 13, uh, Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, or, or you might say jailhouse, but also for conscience sake. You can't cheat on your income tax every year and have a good conscience about it. Can you say amen? amen. Yeah. I don't take anything off my taxes except my gift to the church. My tax thing is so easy to fill out. The only thing I take off is what I give to the church. Oh, there, a preacher can take off a lot of things, you know, but I don't take off anything. If they want it, bless God, let them have it. I'm going to get along all right anyway. I don't ask you to be that way because you're not me, and I'm not you, and you're glad you're not me. Anyway, I just want to have a good conscience of what I'm talking to you about. We should obey laws of our land because it has the power to punish for disobedience. That's a good reason for obeying. We should also obey in order to keep a good conscience before our God because sin is sin whether you're caught <laughs> Well, you're not God. You, you still have to meet God with it. Can you say amen? I asked a man in China one time, I said, is it wrong to steal? And he got up real close where nobody could hear him. He says, it's all right unless you get caught. You see, that's the that's philosophy of the sinner, that you can do it, but just don't get caught. It gets nasty if you get caught. God's already caught you. How many knew that already? And in Romans 13, 6, it says, For this cause uh, we, we, we pay tribute. That's your taxes. Uh, for they are God's ministers uh, uh, attending continually 
uh, upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to tribute, tribute to duty, what is due, tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to them whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. To have a strong country, we must pay our taxes. And to have a good country, you have to have good people keeping the laws of the country. And in verse 8, it says, owe no man anything. I'd be afraid right now to say, how many of you could stand up and say, you owe nobody anything? There might be less than a baker's dozen. I don't owe anybody anything because I determined, well, missionaries, maybe you don't know it. On the mission field, nobody will own a missionary anything. They know he's going home soon anyway. And so you have to pay cash on the mission field. You're a transit. And you're there on a temporary basis. And so if you don't, if you don't have your money, you don't get anything. They're not going to trust you. And so I learned a long time ago to pay as I go. And my wife and I, if we want something, we save up for it. That's a lot nicer than having somebody writing you nasty letters saying, I'm going to turn you over to, anyway. I know you're guilty, so I won't look up. I'll look down right now. I recommend that none of God's people be in debt. You know, for a house, for a house, or for a car, we, we understand that. But we don't understand it for a refrigerator and dishpans. And... I know what you're saying. You're saying, Brother Sumrall, you're meddling. You're not preaching. It's good metal preaching. Should, Christians should not be slack in paying their bills. Don't call yourself a good Christian if you don't pay on time. You're not a good Christian. Because to be a good Christian is to be Christ-like. And Christ, number one, wouldn't have went in debt, and, 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 and number two, he'd have paid it. Borrowing money very often ends friendships. Now, you see, I am, having lived so many hundreds of years, how many think I'm several hundred years old? One time they asked me if Mrs. Washington was my wife, and I said, no, Miss Louise is my wife. I don't date back to George Washington. But I pastored in the Philippines, and the Filipinos borrow from one another and from the bank or anybody. They'll borrow from anybody that loan them something. But in my church, not one time from the very beginning, not one time did I ever loan a Filipino anything. You say, why? I didn't want to lose him from my church. And so if he came up and says, I need 20 pesos so bad, would you just loan me 20 pesos? I'd look at him and smile, and I'd say, you know, you're so sweet. You're so lovely. Here's the 20 pesos. It's free. Don't ever give it back. You know what he'll do? He'll always be with me and pay his tithes, and God gets the money back real soon. Lord bless you. We are studying transcending laws. When I was a, a small boy, my sister was three years younger than I, and if my mother was gone, I could boss just a little bit, having three years seniority. But when my mother walked in the door, I lost all my power. Isn't that awful? There are transcending laws in the universe.
Now, a lot of people don't know that, and they, they act as if they're the final word. I imagine Adolf, Adolf Hitler thought that he was the ultimate voice of authority, and one day he found out he was nothing but a cinder, burned, burned on this earth and burning in hell forever, you see. There are transcending laws. Now, there are husbands that don't know that. They don't know it with, with the fathers, don't know it with their children. They speak as if they're the ultimate word. You can't go to that church. I refuse to let you go to that church. Then they're playing God, you see. And, and the time comes when they have to be brought off their throne and say, wait a minute, you're not God. You, you can't tell me I can't worship God just because you're a sinner and a reprobate and, and, and don't want to go to heaven. Your children have a right to go to heaven. And the same with wives. The husband said, you can't go to that church. Now, the only reason they don't want them to go to that church, they'd get saved there. And they'd get blessed there. And so they say, you can't go to that church. Then they are playing God. They're not, that's not a husband's job. You know where in the Bible is a husband supposed to stand in the way of his wife going to heaven? Because then they're meddling with divine laws. So in this lesson, we're seeking to reveal to all of us that in the universe in which we live today, there are laws, and yet there are laws. When the Bible says to obey your mother and father, it means it. But when your mother and father tell you to steal, you don't obey them anymore. And your mother and father tell you that it's all right to do bad things and terrible things, then you don't obey anymore because they have gotten out of their range. They have no authority in that area. So all of us have to come to know that in the world that we live today, there are minor laws, there are upper laws, there are supreme laws. Now we know this in our judicial system. You can, you, can, you can have a city court, you can have a county court, you can have a state court, and you can have a supreme court. We know this in our judicial system, but sometimes in our lives, we don't realize that. And then even with the state, sometimes the state starts passing laws regarding religion. And, and then they, they find themselves in a realm that the state has, has no authority in at all. These little men that we pick up around our community and vote on them and send them back to Washington, well, they don't become gods just because they arrive in that wicked city that's, that, 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 that has more spiritists and more fortune tellers per square inch than any place on the face of the earth. Just because they arrive there don't mean that they have become God. And so when they start trying to make laws regarding our divine destiny, they are out of their range completely. Now, a, a country like Russia says you can't bring Bibles in here. And thousands of Christians took Bibles in. And a few little nuts with a capital N, they said, that's breaking the law. You shouldn't do that. That's because you're so ignorant. You don't know the difference between a human law and a divine law. The divine law says to read the word, to walk in the word, to live the word. And if a little demigod says, no, you can't have a Bible here, you ignore him as if he was a peewee. Are you here or not? Some people say, oh, you broke the law. You took Bibles into China. Who in China 
the man who passed the law is in hell already, and the rest of them are on their way to hell. Who are they to tell me that you can't read the Bible? Now, until a Christian gets that inside of them, now, it, the ignorance belongs just to this generation. You know, 400 years ago, uh, the, the reformers paid no attention to civil laws that interfered with serving God. That's the reason so many of them were burned at the stake. That's the reason many of them were incarcerated. You read the Pilgrim's Progress, and you say, oh, that's a great book. That book was born in jail. That man was in jail for 12 years. Mr. Bunyan was put in jail for witnessing on the street corner. And they didn't even feed him in that British jail. His wife had to come and stick a little food through the bars to keep her husband alive. Oh, he broke the law. Yeah, he told somebody to get saved and to go to heaven. And the government of that time, who was the lawbreaker, the government was the lawbreaker, not the man. So we want to teach you because the time is going to come again when you will have to stand against governments. Are you here? Local governments. We were told that we could not build the building. The building is here. You say, why? We went down and talked to them. We told them we were going to build a church to sign the paper. And that's what they did. There comes a time when you got to know who you are, what you are, and where you're headed for. Now, there are millions of people in hell today because they followed Stalin. They thought he was a god because they followed Hitler or Mussolini. You have to decide when there is no trouble who you are and who you're going to obey. And if you don't decide that, the time will come. You'll have no moral or spiritual strength to stand up for what's right. And all the people said, in our last lesson, which this is part two, uh, if you're not acquainted, it's, we've started on page 107. And we began to understand there what the Word of God tells us about transcending laws. And on page 108, we talked about obeying Rome was not an easy thing for the Christians to do. <laughs> because many of them died at Rome. But they, they had to resist. They had to go underground. They had to be a society on their own. They even buried that dead underground. You can go and see those catacombs. And in our next trip to the, or to the Holy Land, I'm going to specifically come back through Rome. It's time for me to see those catacombs again. To go down in there and raise my hands and shout and praise God that those people did not conform at, at the men telling them how to live when God had already told them how to live. Are you here? You flabby Americans better wake up because the time will come when you won't have the guts to stand up for what's right. And that's what we're working on, to show you that they are they're transcending laws in the universe. Yes, you, you, you obey the law. If they say 50 miles an hour, be sure that you stay at 58. But my, most of them are at 65. But you, you've got to learn that they're that whoever makes the law, you got to see who his authority is. And when you get to God, God is the only authority. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. And, and, then, and then we go to, now on, on page 109, it's where, we, it's where we 
we left off in our last study. Uh, I was showing you that in Romans 13, 8, that says, Oh, no man, anything. Now, now, now there is a, is, a, 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 is a law that's being broken all the time. Uh, when I was a boy, very few people owed anybody anything. I'm, I'm going to remember that. That means all, all of you are young. You don't know much. Are you still here? When I was a boy, almost nobody owed anybody anything. You know, everybody paid for what he got. On the mission field where I lived a good portion of my life, you had to do it that way. Your credit was no good. Uh, you know, if you were a missionary, they knew you didn't have any money. Nobody give you any credit. But, but uh, uh, it's a good thing to owe no man anything. And I believe I told you that if it came to uh, buying a house or buying a car, that, that is something that you almost have to have. Most of the other stuff in your house that you got on credit, you didn't have to have it. I may believe I'm meddling. All right. He says, Oh, no one anything, love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Christians should not be slack in paying their bills. When it gets to where businessmen can't trust Christians, I, and, and I, don't, I get to where I don't like that word Christian anyway. I, I like the word church member. You say, why? Well, so many church members are full of the devil, you know, you don't have to bother about that word. <laughs> but if you use the word Christian, you're supposed to be Christ-like. And, and we, we expect you to be a Christ-like person if you put the word Christian on yourself. And we, we have a thing going around the country now that's very strong that Christians have devils in them. And I said, well, if you change one word, I'll agree with you. Church members have devils in them. But Christians don't because Jesus didn't, and we are full of Jesus, and there's no place inside for anything else. We're full of Jesus. And, and, and so now we go down to the E point here, the highest law, Romans 13, 9. Uh, so this is in the middle of your page, 109. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, now they're going back to the great laws of Moses, you see, which are tremendous laws. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Isn't it amazing that lying and adultery are in the same line? And even lying and killing are in the same line. You know, some people have degrees, degrees of sin. Um, I heard of a woman a few days ago. She says, no, says, my husband, he's good most of the time. He just has two little devils in him. Now, now, since when do you have little devils and big devils, you know? That's like a white lie and a black lie. They're both lies, and they both take you to the same place, and God's not running a color scheme today. A lie is a lie. Can you say amen? amen. An untruth is an untruth. And, and if you don't stay honest about this thing, you, you, you just won't ever make it to heaven. We've got to be honest about it. But it's amazing to me that a false witness, which is a liar, is placed in the same line with adultery and with murder it is, isn't, and, and, and stealing. It says, Thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Wouldn't that make a different world around us if we cared for our neighbors? Wouldn't it make a different world around us if we cared for our neighbors? I read the other day that a, a woman that was a widow died, 
and, and, uh, and finally the mailman, after about a week, called the police and said that the mail is sure stacking up at this house and it's not vacation time. And, and the woman had been dead for two or three days when they, when they, when they came to find her. No neighbors or anybody uh, bothered at all. Here she had been dead in her home and nobody had checked on her at all. And love your neighbor as yourself. Treat other people like you'd like to be treated. And, and he says that is fulfilling the law. It says, keeping the Ten Commandments ensures a safe and honorable society. And we live in a sad time when our schools are not allowed to teach the Ten Commandments. Isn't that about the saddest thing you can imagine? That the schools are not even permitted even to teach the Ten Commandments. They can teach demon worship in the schools of America, but they can't teach the Ten Commandments. And our society does not live by the Ten Commandments. That was verse 10. Verse 11 uh, which is at the bottom of your page. And that knowing the time, say knowing the time. Did you know that there won't be one person in 50 in our country that understands the times in which we live? You know more about them. I imagine you right here know more about the signs of the times than the mayor of the city and the alderman of the city or any of those people. You say, what? well, you sit under the teaching of the signs of the times and you understand them. And yet there's so many millions that don't go to church at all and they don't understand anything about it. They know the jails are full and running over and don't know what to do about it. They don't know that the Bible says in the last days there should be perilous times. They don't understand that. So we, we, we live in a world that has tragedies and they don't, they don't understand those tragedies. They don't know that in the, in the epistle of James, he says that go to you rich men weep and howl. We, we, we are creating more millionaires in this country than ever before in the history of the world that are gobbling up anything and everything they can for themselves, you see. And, and, uh, and the Bible says that stuff's going to corrupt. And the Bible says the evil should come upon people that haven't loved others and blessed others and helped others. And all the people said, knowing the time, it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to live wrong. You don't have to live bad. You just don't have to. That's a, a lie of the devil. You don't have to cheat. You just don't have to. You don't have to. The devil's a liar. You can do everything right. And it sure is a much nicer way to live. Can you say amen? I, I'm so glad that our church has lived in integrity and that I've lived in integrity and that we can stand before one another and, and, and love one another and care for one another before the world and the world can stare at us, but that's all they can do. All they could do against Daniel in Babylon was he hadn't stolen money out of the treasury of the country. All they could find wrong with him was he prayed too much. And then he had a bad habit. When he went to pray, he opened his window. You close yours, of course, but he opened his window so everybody could hear it. And he, he prayed for the streets of Babylon so they could hear. They said, listen, the prime minister pray. What a, what a voice he has up there, you know. And, and they, they, they couldn't stand it. And they conceived a way to, to, to have him destroyed. You know what happened? Who knows what happened? Yeah, yeah, the one that fabricated it, they're the ones that got destroyed. You can build a gallows for somebody else. If you're not careful, you'll find your own self on that gallows. 
And all the people said, he said, the night is far spent. The time is at hand. Let us there cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor. Say armor. We know what the armor of God is. To put on the armor of light. And if we put that on, then we are going to be ready to meet God. And we're going to understand laws that function in our universe today. On page 110, it says, the end of the age is near. How many really believe that? Do you believe that? Uh, 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 uh. There, there are countries in Africa, I think Chad is one of those countries, that they say that it's possible that the whole population will be dead of AIDS by the year of 2000. You know, and, and they say that in this country here, that the medical science couldn't afford to tell you the true condition of how many people are contaminated in this country. And I was reading this last week in the, in, in the paper or, or, or somewhere, uh, that, that a whole family had AIDS, and the mother had gone to the hospital for blood transfusion and, and through the contaminated blood put it into her and now the whole family and one child was already dead. Just, just, just going to the hospital and, and, and getting a blood transfusion and now the whole family from daddy and the children, all of them have AIDS and one of the children's already dead. You, you know, you, you, you're living in a cockeyed world. You know why? The government won't even tell homosexuals to stop. You've never, you have never seen in the news media anybody telling the homosexuals, they're always saying, give them their rights. You mean they have rights to destroy your family? See, that, that shows you we don't understand these transcending laws, you know. Your, your freedom ends about two inches in front of my nose. And you better believe it, too. You know, you don't have any freedom. When your fist is getting within two inches of my nose, your freedom runs out. How many understands that? Yeah, and, and, and it's the same for you. And, and other people do not have freedom to destroy you. We, we better stop talking about so many freedoms in this country and start talking about accountability. What if everybody in this country were, were to start uh, next, next week and say, you know, it's time for me to make my own living and ask the government for nothing. Do you know you turn the whole world around? As long as you've got millions of suckers that are sucking the lifeblood out of what you call the government, how many knows what the government is? It's your back pocket. That's all it is. It's just your back pocket. When someone laughs and says, man, I got $600 as much from the government, you, you say, yeah, I, I felt the shrinking back there. <laughs> I felt the shrinking back there. That bunch of men that sit back there and growl at each other, they don't have the money. The money comes from you. We are the people that pay the bills in this country. And, and, and so if everybody would do their part and do their share, we'd turn the whole nation around. Possibly turn the whole world around, you know. But as long as, a, you know, 25% of your nation don't want to work and, and don't want to do anything, and, and then you're always going to have poverty staring you in the face. Is this all right or not? Or some of you look as if you can shoot me. Don't do it. I'm going to get better if you let me alone. Christians were the ones to become alert. How many believe that? We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Christians are the one to, to, to become alert. We must put on the armor of light. And then we come to point. I got it marked number six. I'm sure you've got another number four. Walking honestly. And that's in the next verse, Romans 13, 13. He says, let us walk honestly 
as in the day, not in rioting, not in drunkenness, not in chambering, loud growling and talking and boasting and so forth, and not in wantonness, all kinds of unbelievable sins, not in strife, quarreling with everybody we meet. Did you know that we have a nation of strife today? How many know that? A nation of strife today. There are more people running down the streets of America today than ever in their history. Now, now, now you better study history on that because that's the, that's the foregoing of revolution. That, that, that is the foreboding of revolution. What they're calling is, 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 is freedom. When the population takes to the streets, that nation is in danger. You say, why is it in danger? Because somebody can lead that bunch the other way. A mob never in history ever thought correct. There's never been a mob in history that thinks. Never been one. And all, there has never been one in all of history that thinks. All they do is somebody with a bullhorn growling away, and they follow that, that thing. And normally, many of them, the next day, are ashamed of themselves for what they, what they did. In the name of the Lord, whenever you see a, a bunch of people growling at anybody, go home and pray. You'll do a lot more good than you will standing on the streets yelling. When it comes time to vote, vote right. And, and, and live right. And be a good citizen. And, and that's when God will bless you. If you know it, say amen. Walk honestly, not in, not in drunkenness, not in wantonness, not in strife, not in envying. Most people walk honestly in the daylight, but hide their sins under the cloak of darkness. And, and John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. We do have Jesus. We do have light in the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, Christians are to live continually in the light of God, in the light of the Word of God. In John 8 and 12, it says, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then in that same book, uh, chapter 12 and verse 46, he said, I am come, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not walk in darkness. Christians do not walk in darkness. They walk in light. They walk in understanding. They walk in information. They know how to live. They know what to do because they're attached to the light of the world who is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That should teach young people, uh, you know, who to marry. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? They just don't have any fellowship uh, whatsoever. And then you have Ephesians 5 and 8 and Colossians 1, 13, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 5. What must we do to, to, to be what God wants us to be and to understand the laws of the universe? Uh, your, your next point says, it's the next verse. It's, Still Romans 13, it's verse 14. But put ye on the, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hope of the world. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. You just don't do that. You don't walk after men, you walk after God. We have, we have to put on Christ. Now, now, now that's a, a responsibility. He don't jump on you. Jesus doesn't jump on anybody. If you want Christ in you, you put him on yourself.
You're the ones that says, listen, I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I want to live right. It says, put on Christ. Our transformation is not automatic. Your, your holiness is not automatic either. We must do our part. To overcome the flesh, uh, we must take care not, not to pamper or to allow our flesh to be over us. We, 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 must, we must walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the people said, we want to live in the world of transcending laws. The highest law is God's law. And the lowest law, I presume, is family. If a family comes against a government, then it has to be destroyed, you see. The lowest of it is the family. And then it moves up uh, through the world. But when one contradicts the other, you always go to the highest law. The entire book of Romans is involved in such truth. It is involved in pertinent truth. Today's lesson that we are involved in, the weakened faith, is a lesson in attitudes. What attitude do you have toward one of a lesser degree of faith than you possess? <laughs> Normally, it's arrogance. You don't know nothing, you little thing. You see, and that is not the basic life that the Holy Spirit wants within us. In this 14th chapter of Romans, Paul discusses the problems that arise because each church member is not the same level of faith as the other church member. In a congregation or in a class like right now, right here, there would be people that have lived for God and studied the Bible for 50 years. And there are those that say, New Testament, what do you mean? Did you write it last week? It's new? And so that person has to be received into the body of Christ, as well as a person who is an astute teacher of the Word. But it's not easy. So Paul begins to tell us something about it. And if you'd like to write a little note in there, he's trying to tell you how we should judge other Christians. Spiritually, how we judge one another. Maybe it comes with maturity. That in the beginning of our experiences, we, we feel like Everybody should be running abreast of us. I've, I've seen soul winners that were so desirous of seeing souls saved until they were out in front of everybody. They run, they reach back and kick those behind. Says, "Why don't you run fast as I do?" And and many times because someone is ahead of us and we, as if we won't ever reach up to them, or someone is so far behind us, we say, "Well, if they had anything, they'd catch up." How do we deal with those who are weak in faith? In Romans 14, 1, it says, Him that is weak in the faith. Notice the, the little word, the, the little article in front of the word faith. Because it's talking about the total, the total of your faith. It's not talking about faith to pray for the sick. And, 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 that, and that's, what, that's not the weakness we're talking about. 
it says weak in the faith. That means your salvation. That means your experiences in God, your total relationships with God. It says receive that one. Say receive. Receive, receive that one, but not to doubtful disputations. You don't receive him and say, well, will he last two weeks or three? From what I've seen, he won't make it. Well, if what you see is not as good as it ought to be, why don't you pray for him? Help him to make it. Encourage him and say, you're going to make it. How do we receive those of a lesser degree of spiritual knowledge? You see, I have a way of evaluation that, that, that you might like. When a person makes a mistake, and I, and I have to face it, I go back to when I had the same amount of experience that he had or she had. I say, what kind of decision would I have made at that stage? And I say, hey, they're not doing bad, are they? Our problem is that we want everybody to be at the advanced stage where we are right now. And many of them need, need, need 40 years of experience to get up there where you are. But in a hasty decision, you just cut them down and say, why don't you live like I do? Why don't you sing like I sing? Why don't you shout like I shout? But if you had moved back and thought, and say, so when I had the experience that they have, what kind of decision would I have made? And, and you might be a, a lot more understanding of that person than you've ever been before. And all the people said, Amen. you're point number one, accepting the weaker brother. Paul teaches us to accept one that is weaker, not to reprimand him for his weakness. Unfortunately, often, do exactly the opposite of what Paul tells us that we should do. We hit him when he is down rather than trying to lift him up. I thought you would fall. Yeah. Rather than say, oh, oh, come on here. You can't quit here. Everybody stumbles. The, the, the little babies stumble a lot of times before they walk good. And then they have to walk a little before they can run too. Encouragement is what we should give to those who are weak in the faith. And everybody said, now, as humans, we often demand perfection of other people. We don't, we don't demand too much perfection from ourselves. It's other people. God does not demand perfection. He wants us to reach forward. Paul says he was ever reaching forward for perfection. If God demanded perfection of you and me, we'd all be lost. If he said, be as good as I am, you won't make it in this lifetime. Be as holy as I am. You won't make that either. And so God is telling you how he handles these situations and how you and I should handle the same kind of situation. We should have tolerance and that we should have love and that we should receive him. Like receiving a newborn babe and embracing that babe and kissing that babe, saying, you're going to make a good human being. I'm glad somebody had patience with you. 
Yeah, I, I'm still thankful for it, you know, even right now. God offers us love and he offers us forgiveness and he offers us understanding. So we must accept the weaker ones in the faith with a big amount of love and then, and then arguing and strife it goes away. Sometimes a person tells you what they believe and you say, I would never have fellowship with you. But next week they may not believe that. You see? Next week they might have corrected the, the prow of their boat sitting over the other way, away from the rocks. And, and you say, oh, you're still here? Yeah, they're still here. But you should have had a little more patience with them at the time they were saying what they said. Because sometimes we talk out of ignorance and not out of understanding. In Romans 14, 4, it says, Who art thou that judgeth another man's servant? Now, now, now he's getting to the core of this thing, that that person belongs to Jesus and not to you. And, and you should be careful. You should be careful how you judge that person for the simple reason he belongs to Jesus and not to you. He says, Who are you? And you judge another man's servant, you know? You're, you're judging God's beloved little child. He may have red hair and buck teeth, but he's still God's child, you see? Uh, to his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, be held up. God is able to make him to stand. Now, that's one of the great verses, isn't it? We're not to just say, you're not making it. You're not making it. And God says, I'm going to hold him up. And I'm going to make him. Get that language there. I'm going to make him stand. Ooh. Boy, there's been some that slipped several times and came right up strong again. Isn't that beautiful? It came right up strong again. We are, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the servants of the Most High God. And the other friends who are born again, they're the servants of the Most High God. They're not our servants. And we're not the servants of others. We belong to God. We rise and fall before the Lord and not before man. Therefore, therefore, we, we should let God do the judging rather than judging them ourselves. In the nation of Ireland, uh, it was a funny story. I went over to Dublin, and I was on a survey. I lived in England at that time. There were almost no Protestants. The first man I met was a Methodist pastor. He took his shirt off, and he had whelps all over his back where he was beaten by a mob on the street for, for preaching on the street. And he said, you want to be careful over here. And I, and I wasn't careful. I was almost beat to death. Six men beat me into the sidewalk after I preached in the YMCA in Dublin to about 1,500 people. Twelve or 15 people got saved, and I walked out. And while they pulled their rosary, they beat me into the sidewalk. I finally screamed, I'm an American, and I'll take this to the ambassador tomorrow. And they yelled back, we thought you were a bloody Englishman. And they left me alone and let me live. That was a good time to be an American. Yeah, no wonder Paul was yelling, I'm a Roman. He was, try he was trying to stay alive, what his problem was. But I 
walking around the city, found a little tent. It may have seated 50 people. And I asked who it was, and it belonged to the Brethren Church. And they said, we put the tent up, but we don't have a preacher. Would you preach for us? And I said, yes. So I preached every night of the revival meeting. Several people got converted. And on Sunday morning, they said, come preach in our church. So I stood up on Sunday morning and preached for the ch in the church. And after I got through preaching, they said, now you sit over there. So I went and sat over in the corner. They said, you don't take communion. You don't belong to our church. And I said, wait a minute. I've gotten people saved this week that now belong to your church. I preached for you this morning the Word of God, and you accepted it. And now you won't give me communion. They said, you don't belong to our church, and nobody but members of our church take Holy Communion. And I thought, isn't that a strange way? First, to do a to treat a spiritual leader. They accepted me as an evangelist and a pastor, you see. Both they accepted me. But when it came to communion, I didn't belong to their church. I, I don't consider I was a weaker brother in this circumstance, but the weaker brothers wouldn't, wouldn't accept the stronger brother even. Couldn't they have just forgotten their church for a few minutes and let me have just a little piece of bread and a little drink of grape juice? No. They were so rigid in their belief. They said, you sit in the corner. We'll take the communion and you sit in the corner. Now that's what you call judging one another. And that's what God wants to take out of our insides. You know, you can judge a Methodist and you can judge a Baptist and you can judge a Roman Catholic or, or, or whatnot. But you're not a judge. You're a servant. And you're supposed to tolerate the whole family of God say tolerate. tolerate. I'm not talking about your wife either. Uh, you know, we should tolerate the whole family of God and love the whole family of God. Can you say amen? On, on page 113, year number three, it says, there are questions raised by those who walk in the faith. And it's right here in Romans. In verse two, for one eateth that, that uh, he may, for one believeth he may eat all things. Another, which, who is weak, eateth herbs. Now, now, it's amazing to me that these vegetarians don't like that verse. You say, why don't they like it? Because the Bible says they're the weak ones. The Bible, not, no preacher said it. The Bible said, if you're a vegetarian, you're weak. Has there ever been a, a first-class boxer that was a vegetarian? Was it, would anybody know? You don't know. I don't know either. I was just wondering about it. You think you know? You do. You, you think there have been first-class, first-rate world boxers that have been vegetarians? Somebody says no. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just read a number of years ago that Billy Graham, every morning, has steak and eggs. And when I can afford it, I'm like Billy Graham. Anyway, you know. <laughs> but we shouldn't fight one another. That's what Paul is telling us here. If you only eat vegetables or if you only eat fruit, I should love you as if you eat beefsteak twice a day. You see. That we have no right to downgrade one another. You know and push each other around. This is a lesson of attitudes. 
that how should we receive the one that is, the Bible calls them weak in faith. It may be the opposite of that. They may be the strong in faith and the weak in faith says we don't want to fellowship you. Verse three says, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him, eateth not, let not him judge that eateth. God hath received him. Isn't that something? God, that is so hard for us to get through us that the guy we don't like has been received of the Lord. How can the Lord receive him when I don't? Well, honey, that's real easy. Real easy for the Lord to receive the people you don't like. But if you were around some of those people a little longer, you might find they're nicer than you think. Can you say amen? If you're real thirsty and somebody gives you a drink of water, you don't ask him whether he's going through the tribulation or not. You just drink the water. In Romans 14 and 5, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Now, the Bible says, I'm, I'm reading out of your Bible. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Can you imagine doctrine being left up to your mind? Ooh, isn't that something? The Seventh-day Adventist people, they don't hardly believe you're even saved because you're worshiping today and not yesterday. It's amazing, isn't it? And they will rebuke you real quick. Why don't you keep the Jewish Sabbath? You can answer back real quick and say, because my parents were never in bondage in Egypt, sir. And all you're keeping is the day that you left Egypt. My parents never left Egypt. That was yours. And you can say that God's people in the old covenant were all in one place. So the sun shined on at the same time. When it was nine o'clock, it's nine o'clock everywhere. But the body of Jesus Christ is all around the total earth, 12 hours around it. So they have to worship, you know, when it's daylight. They don't go to church at midnight just because you do way over in this part of the world. God has a new thing. God has a great thing. And it's not the hour you worship, it's the heart with which you worship with. God wants a pure heart inside of us. So many people can go through the mechanisms of religion and not have the right kind of heart on the inside. So, but what, but what he's saying here, receive that one. I think it was Steve and I going either Steve and I or Peter and I, we were headed for the Philippines. So we left out of Chicago. The plane was full. We couldn't sit together. And so, I believe it was Steve. Uh, Steve was sitting across the aisle with a man. And out of the top of his pocket was, was sticking one of my books on answers to demon power. And, and Steve said, what you doing with that book? He says, I have a man out in the state of Washington or somewhere out there, and I'm, I, needs the devil cast out of him, and I'm going out to cast it out. He says, who wrote that book? He, he says, a man named Lester Summerall. He says, I just wish I could meet him someday. <laughs> and Steve said, he's right there, just across the aisle from you. The man almost had a fit, you know. <laughs> well, he was 70 Adventists from the school up here in Michigan. You see? How could, I not, how could I deny love for him 
when he was taking the truth that God had given me, going all the way to the state of Washington to plant that truth in a hurting man, to cast evil out of him. Are you coming to it now? Yeah. I couldn't sit there and beat him on the head because he worshiped on Saturday. When he was going out there to set a man free from demon power and was using the truth that God had given me to write. You know, sometimes we're closer together than we think we are. That we're on the same road, only we are one-eyed. We're not a one-eyed monster, but you know, we don't see clear on one side. Are you here? The, the, the Jewish members, he was writing to the Rome where they had all kinds of members in the church. They held to the Jewish Sabbath time, the old covenant. But the Christians, they wanted to worship on the resurrection day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. To them, it was more significant to worship on the day that Jesus rose from the dead than it was when the, Jew, when the Jews came out of Egypt. And Paul said, receive one another, not to doubtful disputations, receive one another. All right, in number four, in Romans 14, six, he that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he does not regard it. He that eateth, eateth unto the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he doth not. And, 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 and yet he giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself. That's including your doctrines. And no man dieth to himself. So whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and, re and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Ha! Huh. Does that help you feel better today? How many are going to receive your wife a little better than you did yesterday? Let's see. Isn't that nice? Thank you for it. Now we're getting close to it. We're not all, we don't all have the same amount of faith. We don't all have the same amount of knowledge of the Word of God. In Romans 14, we're dealing in Romans 14. In Romans 14, 10, that's the next verse, it says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? You see, after telling you all that, then he comes back and says, now, why do you judge your brother? Or why, why do thou set at naught that means zero, your brother, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, what's going to happen to us? It is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself, not his neighbor, shall give an account of himself to God. And that's what I very often do. I take myself into account and say, hey, how do I stand? Our judgment can cause others to stumble. You see, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And he gives up. That's in Romans 14, 13. Let, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way, in his brother's pathway. Isn't that amazing? So we should not judge others. And Matthew 7, 1, judge not that ye be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you shall also be judged. God is a righteous judge. Only God can judge righteously of every situation on the face of this earth. God is a final judge. At the judgment seat of Christ, you'll find that God is the final judge. So let not your good be evil spoken of. 
if you if you're quarreling with one another, you, you're you're not making it good with the neighbors. Number seven says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And 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 then it says, but it is the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That's Romans 14, 17. It is not natural things. It's not the time that you go to church or anything. Uh, it, 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 is, it is not that. It's God's righteousness, God's peace, and God's joy. And so the presence of the kingdom within us is mighty. It is just mighty. So, and number eight, we must guard our brother's weak faith. Isn't that nice? Verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things where when we edify, the word edify means to build up, that we build up one another. For meat destroy, for meat destroy not the work of God. That, that is, if, if, if you're eating steak, really hurt somebody, while they're around, just don't eat any. I mean, if you like that, it'd be all right. Or you say, that's a hypocrite. No, it is not. It's a sacrifice. You're saying, because you feel this way or that way, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to love you. Verse 21 says, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby your brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. We can make each other weak. That's what the Bible says. Meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat, are we the better? Whether if we eat not, are we any worse? How many of you that was in the Bible? All right. And then it takes verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Wherefore, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I won't eat it, he says. We must guard our own faith. Romans 14, 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that the thing in which he believeth. And he that doubteth is the damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Therefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Don't, don't think that you're superior, that you can be better than everybody else. In Jesus' name. Father, bless us. We thank you that we can study thy word, that uh, thy word can become a part of us, and, and we say thank you for it. And we're so glad for it. And help every one of us to, to, to walk in faith and to walk in love toward one another. And this lesson beginning on page 117 in your teaching syllabus, we're going to talk to you about the power of Christian reality relating to unity. And I believe it's very significant for all of us. The greatest revival the world has ever seen or known or recorded was the first great revival. I, I, I presume that's normal. These came from the people that had seen Jesus. This revival came from those who had walked with him. They weren't telling a story, they were telling a life. And so these people in what we call the apostolic times, that during this first century, within only 50 years, time, half a century, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ascension up into heaven, when these people arrived in a new place, it was proclaimed 
they that have turned the world upside down have come here. That is a very nice reference. Most people go to the mission field and don't turn a leaf upside down. They turn a banana upside down, but it doesn't exist anymore. But here is a people that turn a world, say world, world. a world upside down. I wish that we could get spiritual revolution into the heart and the lives of the body of Christ. What have you turned upside down? Anybody at the office, anybody at the works, any neighbor, anybody on the street? Have you turned anything right side up? All, this world's already upside down. Turning this world right side up. Of course, this was the sinner's viewpoint, turn the world upside down. That meant their go-kart had been finished, you see. Now we're talking about turning the thing right side up. Say right side up. Some of you sitting here need to be turned right side up too. And you're in the right place to get turned in the right way. Say amen. amen. And that's what we want you to do in Jesus' name. The forces, the power, the authority that accompanied the ministry of these first century miracle workers, turning the world around, they had been empowered to rebuke the devil, to cast down his imaginations, to heal the sick. They had authority to speak, and evil collapsed, and righteousness stood up straight. Isn't that the way you want to live? I'm, I'm, I'm most sure it is. I have witnessed at least one time this same type of power that they had 2,000 years ago in the nation of the Philippines in the Orient. The Lord had commissioned me to go there and erect and build and establish an evangelistic center in the heart of the only great city in that nation at that time. I presume still is. They say that 75% of all the business of the nation goes through Manila. 75 to 80% of all the education facilities in the nation is in Manila. And so here, most of the society of the nation is in Manila. And, and so here was a, a city that if you touched it, you touched the whole nation. That's true of any city. You touch this city, and all the towns around about it will get touched. Can you say amen? We saw in one crusade, the first crusade, 150,000 adults come to the Lord. That was very conservative. The police that were counting, they, 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 they went far above that. When the number one movie star of the country got instantly healed, when they brought him in a chair, he, his tongue was hanging out of his mouth and dripping, and they kept a cloth to kept the drips. He had had a stroke, couldn't speak, couldn't say a word, and when he got instantly healed and began to run back and forth in front of tens of thousands of people, saying, I am Carlos Padilla, I'm Carlos, who? We almost have a revolution that you have never seen before. All 40,000 wanted to get saved at one time there. So we have witnessed 
what we're, those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. The doctors of the city yanked us into court in a hurry, saying that we were performing a medicine out there without a license. The judge says, it don't seem like medicine to me. I was there and got it too. Yeah. When you turn the world right side up, things get right side up. Can you say amen? amen? This kind of evangelism does not produce rice Christians that are a bunch of beggars and lazy people, but it produces real, true followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that in turn they go and turn something right side up. We need some right side uppers, and we need them bad today. And all the people said, and your point number one in your teaching syllabus, the power of Christian reality. And I think you understand that in our world today we have a lot of religiosity, but not very much Christian reality. Are you going to say something or not? Maybe talking about yourself, you know. We have a lot of religiosity. I belong to this and I belong to that. But what have you turned upside down? The strong, according, we're going to be studying out of the book of Romans chapter 15. The strong must learn to strengthen the weak, not push them down, not knock them down, not destroy them. The strong must understand that we've got our strength from God and we ought to share it. Our strength is not mental strength, not physical strength. Our strength is spiritual coming from the heart of God, not man-made, but from God. Therefore, we must share it. Say share it. God, help us. We could change the world if we had learned to share what God has done for us. The power of Christian reality. The strong must assist us. Now we get to Romans 15 and 1. We then that are strong, uh, I think he hated to say I. <laughs> he might have been the only one anyway, any, wherever he was at that moment. But he, but he at least shared, we then, wasn't that nice of him? We then, that are strong, say strong. That means, that means you have dipped heavily into the strength of God and drank the lusciousness of his spiritual power. We then, who are no longer fumbling and staggering and laying on the ground and bellowing out to God that it's a hard life, that's the biggest lie that ever came out of hell. The easiest life in the world is a Christian life. Is it easy to steal? Go ask those birds in jail. They'll tell you. Sit down in that dinky jail is better to leave your hands off of other people's property. Is it easy to commit adultery? Not when you got to support that kid for 20 years for five minutes fun. Quite a difference between five, five minutes and 20 years. If you're here, say I. I. The rest of you are not. You're no. <laughs> we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. I don't think they were talking about the measles when they talked about the infirmities. I think they were talking about those who were babes in the faith, 
that just come to the altar. They were just breaking away. Dr. Cho had a big split out in the, it was turned out of his denomination, out, out, out in Korea. A young man, 20 years old, came into his office crying. He says, Dr. Cho, I've got to confess. I says, I know I'm a Christian, and I know I'm not a Buddhist anymore, but says, I have to confess. My father died recently, and I'm so overwhelmed with grief and sadness. I went out to the cemetery and took some flowers and burned a candle and prayed to the spirit of my father. He says, I'm ashamed of it. He says, you can do anything you want to me. You can just turn me out of the church and forget me. But I do want to tell you that I'm sorry for it. I won't ever be praying to the dead anymore. But said it was a grief within me. Dr. Cho walked around from his desk, laid his hands upon that young man, and said, Son, I forgive you. God forgives you. Don't ever do it anymore. And prayed for him. His denomination found it out and said he had Buddhists in his church, and they turned him out of the denomination. Now, that's the difference between those who are healing the infirmities of the weak and those that are killing you because you made a mistake. I don't know that the church will ever get the awful reality of that verse. That people, that you see him smoking again after he's come to the altar, you trample him down and says he's a dirty hypocrite. He may not be. He may be one of those under the infirmity group that needs an additional prayer, an additional encouragement, and a little bit of love. A little love sometimes heals these things and gets them out of us. Can you say amen? amen? But you that have grown a little further and you that have grown a little taller and you that are, you know, have more of God than others, you have consideration for those that are beginning and those that are starting and those that are hurt and those that are stumbling a little, especially among young people. I made two or three starts. It didn't do a bit of good. To the people knew it didn't do any good. They said, there goes Lester. It may last at midnight, but it won't ever last on Monday. On Monday, he's the same rascal he was on Saturday. You say, well, why did you go to the altar on Sunday? Well, the preacher on the second coming of Christ almost scared me to death. And I said, well, if he comes tonight, I'll make it. I just don't know about tomorrow. <laughs> Brother, I had plenty of infirmities. It took tuberculosis and a miracle of God raising me up to establish me and to put me over in the group called Strong in the Faith. Now we, in this, in this class, in the name of God, we that are strong are going to bless you that are weak. And all the people said, if you make a mistake, we're going to move into you to love you and to bless you and to lift you up and not to push you down. And all the people said again. All right, verse 1 says, We then that are strong should bear the hurts of those that are just beginning. And we, and not to please ourselves. Your carnal self, your natural self, likes to brag on how big you are and how spiritual you are and how sweet you are, you see. But, but in, our, in, our, in our carnality, we haven't realized that what we are now, they are not yet. You got to give them time to grow up into this thing. And until you realize that and know that, you'll be hurting everybody. Now, I have three sons. 
They all make decisions. They make decisions on their own that they don't consult me about. Sometimes the decision doesn't exactly please me. And I have to come to a relationship with that thing. Do you know how I do it? I don't just trounce and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I sit down first and say, now let me see. He's 30. What would I have done at 30? Hey, he didn't make a bad decision. I'd have made a worse one than that. Hey, you did real good. You say, why? I didn't make him 70 when he was 30. You know your problem? You've been a Christian for 20 years, and you're trying to make these people that have been saved for six months equal to you, and they, they need another 20 years to get equal to you. Are you here? Amen. That's the reason why we that are strong, or you might <laughs> say you that are old, you wouldn't like that so much. <laughs> you bear with these that are young until they learn what you have learned and had the experiences in God that you've had so that they may great like you're great. All right. Your be there says we should care for others rather than ourselves. And that brings you to verse 2. If you have your Bible open to Romans 15. Let every one of us, say everyone. We're not talking to the leadership. We're not talking to the elders. We're not talking to the deacons. Not talking to the Sunday school teachers. It says every one of us. Let every one of us please his neighbor. Hey, isn't that something? Let every one of us be nice to his neighbor. That's the way you build him up. Be nice to his neighbor for his good to edification. Now, the word edification, it's the same as this word here, edifice. This building is an edifice. What do you mean by that? In its original, it means something built up, block on block and so forth. And so, for his building up, for his strengthening, for us making him a better, a better disciple of the Lord, please him a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that nice? Go along with him a little bit. Love him a little bit. Help him a little bit. Strengthen him a little bit. One of the greatest blessings that Christianity can be on the face of the earth is what you'd call dual fellowship. One gets together and another gets together and they yoke up together and they're twice as strong as they are when they're separate. And God wants us as our lesson says, the power of Christian reality and unity together. There's strength there. There's power there. There's authority there. Now verse, verse 3, Romans 15, verse 3. Christ took our offenses upon himself. He was strong. We were weak. We couldn't bear them. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't live a good life. We struggled with it and missed the mark. So in verse 3 it says, For even Christ pleased not himself. He didn't come to gratify himself. He didn't walk around saying, You dirty kids, you see, I'm the son of God, and, and I, I live better than you do. I don't know whether you'll ever make it or not. Don't seem to me like you're going to make it, you bunch of stinking fishermen. I think he'd have lost 12 disciples on that base, like some of you have lost, you know. But even Christ didn't just, just didn't take his own natural desires and please them. What did he do? 
But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So he says, I bear your burdens. I bear your sorrows. I bear your weakness. I bear your mistakes. Ah. Oh. Would you ever be willing to bear the mistake of another? <laughs> Would you be willing to bear a mistake? That's what it says Jesus did. To set an example for verse 1, that they that are strong should bear the weakness of another. I hope you haven't lost the setting. The book of Romans was written by the mightiest apostle Jesus ever had. His name was Paul. He was writing to the capital city of the world, the authority of the world. When they bought something, Caesar's old face was on it. When they stood in the public, they were the chariots of Caesar were strong and mighty soldiers with swords and spears to kill anybody they didn't like, you see. He was writing to the church in that city, in that city, like writing to the church in Berlin when Hitler was at the top of his power. How are you going to stand Berlin? So this was a critical analysis he's talking about here. And in a world capital, we were in Paris, France a few weeks ago. Who? We had people from every continent in that service. Had 1,400 people. But Paris is that kind of a city. People from all over the world live in Paris. So if you were going to write to the church of Paris, you weren't, you weren't writing to somebody in a little village in Arkansas. Or, or Indiana either. You were writing to the world metropolis where Caesar's orders were issued and the empire was intact. You see? Now you have to keep that vision before you to see the power of these words that are being written. Sure, those Romans were self-pleasers eating at Caesar's table enjoying the delicacies of the world that were brought there by boat. Easy to please yourself. He says, Christ did not please himself. He bore the reproaches. You proud Romans, you money-making Jews, got something to tell you. Jesus did not take care of himself. He bore the hurts of the others that were around them. They fell on him. The next point, which is verse 4. It says, how are you going to get this source? How are you going to get this truth? How are you going to get this life? How are you going to get this strength? Then he gives the answer to it in verse 4. He says, the Bible is a key to hope. In a hopeless world, the Bible is the key to hope. Romans 15, 4. 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That's the whole of the Old Testament, you see. 
that we through patience, say patience, and, and comfort of the scripture, patience, comfort of the scripture. Did you know the scripture brings comfort? You can read it when you're sad. The scripture brings the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. How can you have hope? Through sticking in there and not quitting. Quitters don't have hope. And then by the comfort of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The comfort from the scriptures, he says, will succor you in a time of need, in a time of adversity, in a time of sickness, in a time when your little world is falling to pieces. It's stick in there. Don't, don't quit. Patience. Receive the comfort of the scriptures. Don't live by what you think. Live by what God has already said. People that are in great trouble right now are living by what they think and not by what God has said. We got to live. Then we have, then we have hope. <laughs> There's hope for all of us. There's hope for any of us. If we will live by the scriptures, there's hope, hope in the Bible. I'd hate to have us to have an honest report today of how many have read even five chapters this past week in the Bible. Well, you read enough newspapers. Oh, good God, you read too much the first day. If you ever took a little pencil and wrote down the sadness they put on television, you'd kick that monster out the back door. He's loaded with sadness. The only thing he reports, you know, down in Tulsa, they gave me, at a businessmen's meeting, they gave me the, the Man of the Year Award. And, and they asked, they asked that local cable company to come and put it on cable. And the manager said, whatever you're doing over there is inconsequential to what we are doing and we wouldn't send anybody over to that banquet. You folks were at that banquet, I think, in Tulsa. What we were doing over there had no newsworthy words. But, if I'd have socked somebody side the head and I was the preacher, man, that would have been newsworthy. If you don't think the world's crazy, think about them a little. Tell you one thing, they don't have any hope. Wall Street's in a mess. Washington, D.C.'s in a mess. And Timbuktu's following. You say, well, they're not, they're not in the Word. The comfort of the scriptures is our hope. Can you say amen? And God help us to move into that. Uh, there's several books in the Bible that if you only had that one book, you could get to heaven. One of them is the Gospel of John, and one of them is the book of Romans. If you just had that book only, you'd get to heaven because it would teach you how to go to heaven. Just one book. And, and uh, we have been working with the book of Romans considerably. And, and I don't know that we have gotten the, the, you know, the very core of it in our spirits yet, but we're working on it. 
And after going through all the amazing doctrines taught by this wonderful apostle <laughs> through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we have come now to, uh, to chapter 15. Uh, and there are only 16 chapters. And in our last lesson, we were speaking to you about, about the power of, of, uh, of Christian reality and, and unity together. And we were showing you how we are one. We, we cannot ostracize ourselves from others. We are one. And that the weak, the Bible says, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 15, you that are strong, you're to bear the weaknesses of the weak. That if they have a problem, you're to lift them up in it. And we uh, studied four or five different thoughts in that area. And we, we, we finished at the one that says, God can grant us unity with Jesus and, and to others. He can bring unity in our hearts toward our fellow man. He can bring unity in our hearts toward the Lord Jesus and, and God the Father. And that's in Romans 5, 15 and 5. Now, the God of patience, isn't that nice? He's called a God of patience, as if that was the very essence on the inside of him, that he is a patient person. This God of patience, how many glad he's patient? Ooh, we'd be in trouble. And the God of consolation, uh, he consoles us. When we don't know the way and we don't know how to turn, he is our God of, of consolation. May he grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That this same God that has patience with us, that consoles us, that we be the same toward one another. Isn't that beautiful? That we, we also have patience with one another, consolation with one another, and we do it according to Christ Jesus. Uh, Jesus is our perfect example of the spiritual life of heaven, that he came to this earth to, to show us how you and I could be wonderfully victorious in living the right kind of a life. And so we don't have to look for an example. He is the example. And all the people said, and then in the next point, which is the next verse, this unity also brings glory to God. And I certainly believe that, that when the outside world and, and sinner people, when they see us flowing together, flowing together, uh, then, uh, then uh, uh, it affects them. That ye may with one mind and one mouth, you know, that means a whole total body having the same mind. You say, how, how could that be? Loving lost souls, building the kingdom of God, you know, doing what's right. That is one mind, you see. And with one mouth, that when we witness, we all witness the same. We, we know what each other believes because we believe the same as each other. And with one mouth, or one word, or, you know, the, or, or the, the same words, if you walk out on the parking lot and one says, man, that was a dull sermon, that was the best sermon I ever heard, you're not really together very well there on that, you know. You're not really together on that. One mouth, that we may glorify God, even the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this unity not only brings harmony between you and your fellow man, but it also brings glory to God. And if we could know that, that our unity together glorifies God. God is exceedingly happy about it, and he rejoices in it. Number, 
that the, your numbers will be, I think yours is number C there, and mine's number six, so we won't be following the same numbers. I saw some of you looking at the little Sunday school bulletin there. Uh, it, it only has a bare outline, a kind of a skeleton outline of the lesson, so uh, you really need a teaching syllabus if you're going to follow the entire, entire lesson. Uh, receive, we receive God's people in the same spirit of love with which Christ received you. Now, th this is the unity lesson, and, and uh, there's great disunity in the body throughout the world. And he's trying to bring us back to a place of appreciation. And as I told you in our last lesson, he was working hard at something. He had Jews in that congregation from Jerusalem that it, they had received the Messiah, but still had the traditions. He had Romans in that congregation, uh, and, and uh, some of them were military men, and they were world conquerors and hard to please. And some of them were big business men that were running the, the, the nation of Rome, uh, there, and he had such a composite congregation until that's the reason he had to say, listen, we've got to get together on this thing. It don't matter whether you are a Roman millionaire or, or whether you're a poor person from one of the islands. It don't matter if Jesus in your heart were one. Can you say amen? There's no democracy so great as the church. There's no unifying church that makes, no unifying organization that makes people one like in the body of Christ. And if you don't preach it, you don't get it. Say something. Yeah, you can't dream this thing in. You got to talk it into our hearts and, and you got to start feeling that God is glorified uh, when you and I appreciate each other, I love each other, and even brag on each other a little bit. How many like to get bragged on? You women look, all the men raise their hands and you, you carry that out. All right. Now, now, in the next point, uh, it says the unity of the Jewish and the Gentile Christians in Rome. Uh, let's look at it kind of straight here. Number one, it, it was a prophetic moment in history. It, it couldn't have happened three or four hundred years before that. It was a prophetic point in history. And, and your A, Christ confirmed uh, God's prophetic word uh, to the Old Testament saints. In Romans uh, 15 and 8, which is the next verse, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm, say confirm, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And so uh, for them to come together and this, this unity of the bringing forth of these promises of God, that it was a prophetic moment. That's what we're living in today in the world. We're living in a prophetic moment. People that don't know prophecy, they don't know how to live today. They, you know, they live frightened or, you know, they live angrily or they have problems in the world. If you don't understand, this is a prophetic hour. You won't understand all the things that happen on the face of this earth. How many glad you know a little bit about prophecy? Yeah, I'm glad I know a little too. Uh, that was verse 8, verse 9. David gave the prophecy. Uh, in verse 9, the great apostle said, and that the Gentiles might glorify God. The Gentiles were the other nations. Everyone that wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. That the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause, I will confess to thee among the nations and sing unto thy name. And so it was a prophecy made by David that 
the nations were going to have this opportunity of salvation and the nations were going to receive it. And how glad that you and I are part of those nations that still sing it. And then it says, I will confess you among the nations and sing unto thy name. Oh, the joy of knowing Jesus and the joy of fellowship together. I, I was shaking hands here in the auditorium before, before the class and, and one lady said, I came early just to get to shake your hand. Well, I came early just to, just to shake her. So it's all in, all in unity. All right. And, and some... And in Psalm 18 and 49, it says, Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises unto thy name. And so here you have another prophetic utterance from King David, that we are together. In our class right here, there'd be 15 or 20 different nationalities. And how beautiful it is that we come here and worship God together. And we always receive the same blessing from God and the same excitement from the Lord. And I think it's glorious, don't you? But the world don't look at it that way. This is what you receive when you come into Christ. Moses foresaw the salvation of the nations also. That's in Romans 15 and 10. That's the next verse. And, and again, he saith, rejoice ye, rejoice ye Gentiles with, with his people. And in Deuteronomy 32, 43, it says, Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. It says, Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. And so when we, re when we reach a group of people that love God, we have a right to rejoice with them. And I, it's been my privilege all over the world to rejoice with God's people in many nations of the world and find that this fellowship is exactly the same. The fellowship don't change by people. It, it, it's from heaven, it's from God, and it's for everybody the same. And all the people said, and, and then we, we read in Romans 15, 11, that's the next verse. And again, praise the Lord, all ye nations, and laud him, all ye people. And so the psalmist is confirming that this promises to us and that it, it must be carried out. It don't matter what nation we're from, we have the same privileges of standing in his presence. And in Psalm 117, one, it says, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. Showing the unity, the unity. All nations can praise the Lord exactly the same, get the same results and get the same, the same blessing. So Isaiah also had the vision of world unity. Uh, in, in God, he had it. That's in Isaiah 11 and 10. And in that day, there should be a root of Jesse, that's the Lord Jesus Christ coming forth, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. He will represent all of the, all of the people. He will be a leader of all the people. Uh, to it shall the nations seek, and his rest shall be glorious. It's amazing how many different ways the Lord can speak such truth, you know. And, and uh, all of these verses have to do with us coming together, of us being one together. And, and uh, we don't have to preach that as strong as we would like, like in New York City or Los Angeles, but uh, even, even right here uh, with, uh, with all of us together, it's wonderful to know that there's a unity that, con that continues in the body of Christ that you don't find anywhere else and that we are part of that beauty at uh, unity <clears throat> and you also read Romans 15 and 12 where it said Isaiah said it and so then we read it in Isaiah where he 
did say it. Then your A under be full. Uh, Paul's desire for the Romans is that they, sh that they be full of God and full of blessing. That's in the next verse, which is verse 13. He says, now the God of hope, say hope. The God of hope. Isn't it amazing that God calls himself hope? That this God of hope, that he fill you with all joy and peace. Now you've got to not only hear it with your ears, you've got to get it down inside of you. You say, well, I'm hopeless. I can't get this or I can't get that. You're cutting yourself off from it by, by saying that. Uh, it don't even matter how old you are. I, I am amazed at how men like Colonel Sanders who just fiddled along through life until he was about 60 and rose up to become known all over the face, the face of this earth. Uh, I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't, I, I would imagine that he had already cooked 50,000 chickens and eaten them too. And, uh, and finally he found out other people like to eat the same kind of chicken. If you don't believe it, invite me over to your house and I'll prove it to you, you know. <laughs> Don't discount yourself, either with youth. You say, oh, I'm only 13, 14. That don't matter. My, my, my brother Ernest began preaching. He was 15 years old and never stopped preaching. Went from there to Bible college and, and kept on preaching. I began preaching when I was 17 years of age. You cannot be too young for God to use you, you know. And you can't be too old for God to use you. It's all inside of you. And and. And God can't do much about it. He can give you the word that you have to believe the word and let the word become a living power in our hearts and lives. And all the people said, the God of hope fill you with all joy. Hey, don't you like all joy? With all peace in believing. That's your source. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. You say, well, what if you can't believe, change it to another word, trust. Can you trust Jesus or not? Is he a liar or not a liar? Is the Bible true or not true? Change the word faith to trust and you got it made. You say, yes, I can trust him. Well, that's what we're talking about. That is what we're talking about. We're talking about trust, that you have all joy, all peace in believing that you may abound in that hope. This God of hope says abound in me. God of hope says abound in me. Abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We're not left alone. We have a source of strength. We have a source of inspiration. It is the Holy Spirit working within us. And I myself also, I am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. He is revealing here the unity that there is in fullness. That yes, God wants all of us to be full. And then he says, and it's for all of them. Every one of you, don't matter if you came from Europe, if you came from Asia, it don't matter if you were a pagan, it don't matter if you were a Hebrew, every one of you can receive the same anointing from God. So he, he lists this fullness, fullness and joy, fullness and peace, fullness and goodness, fullness and knowledge. Isn't it good to be full? Isn't it good to be full? Don't you feel sorry for, for religious people that don't have about this much religion? Just enough to make them miserable. I wouldn't want you to vote on that this morning anyway. How much religion do we have? Do we have just enough to make us miserable or do we have enough to make us happy? I'd rather have 
a full load. How about you? I like to be full of it, carried away with it, and, and let it carry out all this joy, peace, knowledge, and so forth. At the bottom of your page, Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry was and is a ministry of grace. That is in the next verse, verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. Now, now that's a bigger situation that you, you might realize. An ordinary person couldn't have written this book. A regular Christian couldn't have written this book. It came from a man with certain experiences. Uh, he, said, he said, I am boldly writing unto you. I don't know whether you would know it or not, but I am, I am two people. When I am speaking at the pulpit, I am one person. But when, I, when, I, when I'm not in the pulpit, then I'm another person. In the pulpit, I seem aggressive. And, and, and some women said, you're mean. Well, I meant that for the devil. You shouldn't have picked that up, you know. I, I mean toward him. I have an aggressive spirit against him, you see. But sometimes if you, when I'm not in the pulpit, they say, why don't you say something? And I say, what do you want me to say? You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in even in talking, much less being aggressive, you see. And, and, and so sometimes, Paul has said it here. says, I am talking to you very strong. But, but he said, it, it's because of the grace of God that's in me. And many times when you hear a, a preacher, and I hear some of our men on, on, on television speak so, so strong, like Dr. Stanley last, last night. Uh, man, I don't see how those Baptists could keep on being Baptists with that kind of preaching. <laughs> it looks like they'd come to get full of the Holy Ghost in spite of themselves. And, and for sure they couldn't go to hell was such strong preaching about getting, getting right with God. And my spirit just flows out to him, just flows out to him. And Dr. Kennedy, you know, he can say the most remarkable things to clean out your brain. He's a brain cleaner. <laughs> to get all the nonsense out of your brain and all the foolishness out of your brain. He is, he is so full of wisdom. When we lived down in Florida for four years creating that station, uh, I, I would have him on my show. And he, he was glad to come. And I said, just, just tell us how bad and awful evolution is. And he got through with those people. He skinned them alive, you know. And, and, and when you get through, he, he's just so soft and tender and so low, low speaking, you have to get close to him to hear, to hear what he said. He was demonstrating what Paul had said here, that when he was speaking for God, he was a strong, strong person. But he was speaking for himself, then, then he was a, another person. Maybe that's what the Lord wants all of us to be. The, the Bible says the Lord Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it also says he was the Lamb of God. Now, you don't send lambs out to conquer lions. Have you already figured that out? They get eaten out there. You send a lion out to conquer the devil. But who's going to make love and kiss a lion? Are you here? So he comes back to us a lamb. He is the Lamb of God. How many are glad he's a lamb when he gets back to you? Yeah, he's a lamb when he gets back there. So we are to have this twofold re revelation of ourselves. In the body here, we're lambs. Against Satan, against sin, then we are lions. Can you say amen? Now, it is administered to the nations. That's what it says in Romans uh, 15, 16. I should be 
that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the nations, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the nations might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. He is proving that we are all one when it comes to the throne of God, when it comes to the salvation of the world, we are one. Then verse 17 says, I therefore, uh, therefore whereof I may glory through Christ Jesus in those things which pertain to God. He says, I have something to praise God for. When it comes, when it comes to praising God, I have a lot of great things that I can praise for. Then the next then the next verse says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the nations obedient by word and by deed. You should put underscore there, word and deed. You know, uh, some folks have words, some folks have deeds. You have to get them together by word and deed. He spoke the word and then he lived according to that word. He didn't live another way. And that is so necessary in our world that we live in. Uh, uh, today. And then you, then you have the, the, the either, the miracle of the Holy Ghost in Asia and Europe. And then in, in verse 20, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. You ought to make a little line there. The, the way to begin something good is to go where nobody else has gone yet. When we went to the Philippines, that was the first move of, of anybody toward seeing a city move for God. And in Hong Kong, uh, I raise up an, an evangelistic center of deliverance for those people. Uh, some people are gifted by moving in next door to somebody else and then putting up a little sign saying main entrance. And that's what you shouldn't do. If you're going to do something for God, go into a new area and do it. Can you say amen? And plant your own seed and God will certainly bless you there. Paul's intense work had consumed all his time and energy, for, the, for which cause also I have been much hindered uh, from coming to you. Uh, he, he wanted to come. He was ready to come. But he says, man, I'm already working 14 hours a day. But he says, I will come. And he did go. <clears throat> and Caesar paid, paid the fare for him. Of course, he did, have a, he did have some iron on his hands at the same time. Verse 23 says, but now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire that these years may come unto you. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? You say, why didn't he have any more place? Well, that would be like me in Hong Kong. That would be like me in, in the Philippines. That I had performed a job, the thing was established, and it would turned over to others. And he says, really, why should I not go and start all over again uh, there with you? And how, how, how sacrificial he was. He, he built it up and handed it to somebody else. On page 121, Paul's travel plan, he, he unravels it to him. He says, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey. So even though before he got there, this church was already born. And you can read that right on down. In number six, it says, Paul makes two prayer requests of the Romans. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in, that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted. Isn't it amazing? He came to bless the people. And, and they, they, 
those in Judea would not believe in him, and he had something to deliver to them, the gifts of God, and they weren't ready to accept it. That I might come unto you with joy, and by the will of God, and many with you be to be refreshed. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So he prayed that he might be delivered from the plot against him in Jerusalem, which he was not delivered from. He prayed uh, to be accepted of the saints in Jerusalem, which I don't think he was very well received. And then he prayed that he would be able to come to Rome. Well, he got it. Yeah, well, I guess you see, he got one out of three. But uh, what we want to do is to be faithful. We want to be, where we receive and not receive, we want to be faithful to God. It's in our faithfulness to God that God is pleased with our lives. Can you say amen? And it's our working one with another. You know, it's our flowing together. We are a body in Christ, and we ought to really love and care for one another. Today's lesson is very intimate. It, it can relate to your personal life uh, today. And, and this lesson, the, the great apostle, is, is relating to us spiritual relationships. The Bible says there is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. Showing you the dynamic, dynamic relationships that can come about through a spiritual situation. We have many friendships that are related to the body of Christ. Not flesh and blood, but spiritual relationships. And this is an, a magnificent expose of the people that the Apostle Paul had dynamic relationships with. Maybe we could say that he would not be the great apostle that he was without these relationships. We all lean one upon another. We all have something very special in our relationships to other Christians. So this special lesson demonstrates the love and for lack of a better word, fellowship of the various members within the body of Christ as it related to Paul's ministry. I think it's something that you should study you must create relationships. I have spent an entire life creating relationships all over the world. If you have a treasure, <laughs> your greatest treasure are friends. Amen. You can have a lot of wealth, material wealth, and be a very unhappy person. Uh, Cordial, cordial relationships with humans can be the most satisfying thing that can happen to your life. And your point number one, in Romans 16, and we will be dealing with that chapter all the way through, verses one and two says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. Now here is a lady that made herself so available that she was a, a sister to the total body. He says, our sister, which is a servant of the church. Isn't that a remarkable thing? He says, I commend to you. you know, 
Now remember, he was writing to a gigantic church in Rome. I don't have any idea. It could have been 10,000 members, 20,000 members. But he was talking to the, the, the world capital church, which was in Rome. And he says, I want to commend to you. Imagine a little lady being commended to a whole church. Our sister, she's been a friend of the total body, and she is a servant. She is a servant of the church. Now, now, you can be a servant of a lot of things, but not many of us are servant of the church, you see. Verse 2 says that you receive her in the Lord as become as saints, and that you assist her in whatever business she has need of of you. So she was a businesswoman, a traveling businesswoman. For she hath been a succorer, means that she gave food to the hungry. It means if you needed a dress, she handed you one. She has been a succorer, not of one or two, but of many. She he has given sustenance to many. And then he let his memory go to work, and he says, and me too. And so the preacher was also blessed by this very beautiful woman. So Phoebe was a Christian woman who was who was given the privilege and the responsibility of bringing this important epistle to Rome. She bore in her arms. What if she had lost the book of Romans? It would have never have been written again. Been impossible to ever write it again. Can you imagine so much destiny? It's maybe the greatest book in the Bible. The book of Romans, you tear into heathenism and paganism and idolatry as in no other book of the Bible. If you want the clarity of what the gospel is, it's in the book of Romans. And a little woman had it in her bosom, the whole thing, crossed the ocean on it. The waves beat this way and that, and she held on to a manuscript, the book of Romans. Now, that's what you call trust, to trust the book of Romans to a lady, to take it on a journey. What if she'd have been killed or something, you see? We'd have lost the book of Romans. But there was a lot of prayer on top of that book and on the bottom of it too. Can you say amen? But what trust they had of her. What trust they had. You know, you build trust. You, you, you build trust. Do you, do you know what trust is? Uh, trust is experience. I, I noticed you sitting down there a while ago. You just pumped down. If that seat had been made of paper, you wouldn't have pumped down. You'd have come down very carefully to be sure you weren't going to go to the floor. Well, why did you sit down so strong on that seat? Because you had trust. And what's trust? Trust is experience. You see? Now, now your whole spiritual life is built upon that. And if you try to build it any other way, you will miss it. And what is experience? Experience is knowledge. You don't have all the faith you're going to have the first day because faith is not emotionalism. Not, faith is not saying, I'm going to get, I'm going to get. No, no, no. Let's start down there real low and begin at the beginning and say, I'll trust the Lord. And then trust him for something. That becomes experience. And that experience becomes knowledge. And then you're moving into the glorious victories of the Most High. Can you say amen? So here was Phoebe, a businesswoman, with transactions that took her to Rome. And Paul directed the church to receive her and a sister. And of course, she gave to the elders of the church 
that tremendous book called the book of Romans. Now, your number two is Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, I don't know just why this girl got the first page, Phoebe. A, a boy didn't get it. The girl got it. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, ladyhood is more of a servant than bully boys. We won't go into that today because I'm one of them. Anyway, and number two, Priscilla, her name came before her husband's name, you know, Aquila. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers, my helpers. Now, let's just be right down honest today. How many are truly helpers? Now, this was a personal relationship with himself. They are my helpers in the Lord and Christ in Christ Jesus. So here were some who worked with Paul. Now, Paul was a tent maker by trade. I don't know why, because he was a scholar in his brain. But evidently, he knew the needlework and knew how to create a beautiful canopy to put over people, possibly small ones. And, and so he was a tent maker. And he found these people here who could do the same work. Uh, now, I'm sure that Aquila did most of it, and Priscilla served the coffee. Okay. In Acts 18 and 1, it says, In these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. Somebody's been making them depart ever since Abraham. They've always had to depart somewhere. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. So Paul went and lived in their house. And he wrought for by their occupation as they were tent makers. So in, in verses 18 to 21, it says, Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. And then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed from thence unto Syria and with him. You see, they had gotten so close together in spiritual relationships. He took with him Priscilla. Her name came first again. Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus, and he left them there. You see, he wanted them to be in charge of the church, I suppose. And he left them there. And so we find here some very beautiful people that helped Paul in, in, in many ways. They cherished him. He was not alone. He was not by himself, but he was in a home with these beautiful people. And so uh, uh, we find in Acts 18 and 24, these same people were the ones that captured one of the greatest orators of all time. And in Acts 18, 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, that means he was born over in Africa, in a city that Alexander the Great founded by the seashore, which is still a beautiful city. He was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the scriptures. And he came to Ephesus. And this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit. He spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So he was, he was still a few years behind schedule here. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they, they took him unto them. See these beautiful people? Paul lived in their house. And now, and now, we, now we have another man named Apollos that was living in their, in, their, 
and their house unto him and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And so here we find these two lay people had become such beautiful persons to uplift the ministry, to hold up the ministry, to, to bless the ministry. Let's go to point number three. Here you have a person named Epanitus, and this person was a first fruit. And Romans 16, 5 says, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epanitus. I think I just change that to Tom and get through with it. Uh, he is the first fruit of Achaia in Christ. So he, he had a good friend here, and he says, the church is in his house, you know. He had built the, the, the house of the Lord, the body of Christ, in his own dwelling place. They didn't have an, an open place. And he, that he is the first fruits. He was the, they were the number one people who received Christ. And Paul was so very close to him. Then Romans 16 and 6 says, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. You say, which Mary was that? It must have been a local Mary. I think they say there's six Marys in the New Testament. She must have been a local Mary. She wasn't Mary Magdalene, and she wasn't Mary the mother of Jesus or anything like that. But here was a, a lady named Mary, and she bestowed much labor on us. Now, now, it's possible that not many people today qualify for any of these relationships and friendships. You say, why? You're selfish. You work yourself to death on yourself. And you'd feel a lot better if you were to do a little something for someone else. He's talking about body ministry here. He's talking about the joy of being a believer. If being a believer is like it is in some of these downtown churches where they come in there with a face says six o'clock every Sunday, listen to some kind of a little, a little talk that has to do with somebody that's dead uh, way back in, in history somewhere, and you get up and walk out without sh shaking a single hand or without having any relationship with others. I don't know what you've gone to, but you haven't gone to the body. The body is a living body, and the body is a function together body. Can you say amen? And you need to not only come to church, you need to get in the body. I've often told you, and, and uh, those that are listening can just listen, we have an enormous space around, around this, great auto, this great platform here. And if you want fellowship in the body, you don't have to run out the front door on a Sunday morning or whenever we have the lesson. You can walk down to the front. You can start greeting people and hugging people, and, and, and warmth will come into your soul. Your icebergs will melt, and your icicles will drip off. How many would be glad to get... No, let's not go in. But Mary was a bestower of much labor. Isn't that something? I'm so attracted to people who give much labor into the kingdom of God. And then number five, it says Romans 6, 67, And salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, you're going to find a couple of places in here where he had kinfolks into this. He didn't just win himself over, he got his kinfolks in on it. And they became, and they became very close to him. <laughs> Listen to what he says. They are my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Messing around with Paul, you got in jail. 
they hadn't been so close to them, they, they, they'd have, the jailer would have missed them. But they were right up so close to him and holding on to him. And so they said, we'll throw you in the, in the cooler too. And, and so they're also not only his kinsmen, but they were fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I, I know most of you thought that poor old Paul didn't have a friend at all. <laughs> and that he, he didn't get along too well. He was loaded. He was one of the happiest men that ever lived, for sure. You can't be unhappy with this many friends. Are you here? Okay. And, and uh, they were of note among the apostles. I mean, not just the people that just came in yesterday, but among the apostles who also were in Christ Jesus before me. Now, there are some kinfolks that got saved before he did. I, aren't you glad you found that out? Now, isn't that nice to know that Paul was not the first of his family that got saved? That even when he was persecuting people, his kinfolks were already inside. You know, I find that all over the world, that you, you, you just can't keep this out. It's your mother-in-law that gets it, and you can't do a thing about it. She's a little stinker, you know, and, and she'll do anything she wants to do, including, including correcting you. And you can't keep it out of the family. When a thing is good, it just creeps in. How many did it creep into your family? How, how many did somebody in your family come to Jesus before you did? Let's see. Look at that. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? Now, number six says, Romans 16, 8, Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Now, for him to say a thing like that, it's very significant. He was beloved. Beloved. You know, he wasn't regular and ordinary and a guy that came once every two months. You know, he was a beloved. Say beloved. A beloved in the Lord. He was always there with a hug. He was always there with a kind word. He was always there with an uplifting verse of scripture. He was a beloved in the Lord. I am sure that most people have never stopped to think of the amazing, the remarkable, and the wonderful fellowship that Paul had that's back in the beginning that Paul had in the beloved. The next verse is verse 9. It says, Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. Our helper in Christ. Well, what did he do? Well, he passed out the songbooks. Yeah. And when Paul needed an extra cup of tea, he went and cooked it up and brought it to him so he'd have a cup of tea. He was my helper in Christ. There are people that would never think of helping anybody in Christ, I mean, in Christ, you know, uh, of someone that was a spiritual, a spiritual leader or something. It would never cross their mind. They says, well, he gets a salary. Why, why should I bother with him? Uh, they got all they need. It, it's not getting, having all they need. It, it, it's, it, 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 it's, it's having someone to appreciate you a little bit. I have given small gifts to very rich people. At the time I gave it, I, I said, well, you know, they don't need anything. And I found them more appreciative than poor people that are begging all the time. They would just say, you know, nobody's given me anything in a long time. Oh, I just appreciate this. And sometimes they turn around and give you a much larger gift than you had given to them. But they felt so good that someone cared enough just to show some attention to them. Our little bodies and our little souls and our little spirits reach out and crave relationships. And, and when you deny people relationships, then they're not happy. How many are going to give better relationships? Oh, I am too. Bless your heart. 
That was number seven. He's our helper in Christ. And the next verse is verse 10. Salute Apellus. He is approved in Christ. He is approved in Christ. Now here was a giant of apostle talking. And, and he was talking about people that had wonderful relationships with spiritual reality. And he said, now here's a man that he is approved. God's put his approval on this man. He is approved in Christ. I want to be one of those. Wouldn't you like to be approved in Christ? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, he had lived in such a way to be approved. And this great apostle recognized it. How many can recognize when people are real nice? Can you? Yeah, I know. I know you can. All right. Verse 11, the next verse, it says, And salute Herodian, my kinsman. I hear kinfolks coming in again. My kinsman. You know, you may have thought that none of Paul's family ever served God. Brother, those that didn't had to run, keep running, he was after them all the time. You see? And, and, and here was Herodian, my kinsman. It says to greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Greet this household. They are in the Lord. Now, you never dreamed that Paul had such direct relationships, could you? You thought he was out there babbling so great to all the big multitudes and writing those profound letters. He paid no attention to anybody. Look at the intimacy of his life. I think when a preacher loses intimacy, he's lost something very precious. You're going to say anything, you're going to look at me. I, I, I think it's wonderful to, and, and that's true of you lay people, to have intimacy with one another. For, for you to shake hands and say, well, I missed you last Sunday. I'm, so, I'm just so glad you're back today. And if you see someone not in his right place, call him the next day and say, say, I, 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 I missed you. Where, where, where were you? He says, uh, says you're missed. You'd be amazed at how comforting it is to a person. You know, I was missed. Yeah, I was missed. And, and uh, let us bless people. And all the people said, Amen. all right. Number 10 says, salute Trephema and, and Trephosa. Now, that was a man and a woman trying, trying to get their names alike. I hadn't decided which one is the male yet either. <laughs> Trifema and Trifosa. How many would vote that Trifosa is the male? How many would vote that Trifema is the male? Or I guess Trifosa made it. We'll find out when we get to heaven. He says, they labor in the Lord. And, and salute, look at that, salute the beloved Persis. Isn't that amazing, all the people he knew? He says, salute the beloved persons, which labored much in the Lord. And then says, Rufus, a chosen one. Isn't that beautiful? A chosen one. My goodness, how many are these? There are 18 of them. I'm not doing too well. And, and, and he says, salute Ascritus. Boy, he had a hard time remembering those names, didn't he? And, and so salute him and about 14 others there. And they are brethren. And the brethren, salute the brethren which are with them. How wonderful it is to be a brother. And then philologos. Now, now you know phili, philio means love and logos means word. And so here was a love word. Love word. And he was a saint. Salute philologos. And, and then uh, Julia, and, and she got nervous, and his sister, and, and, and so forth. So, and salute all the saints. 
that are with them. Isn't that wonderful? And then he gets to 14 and he says, greet, uh, greet Timotheus, which is Timothy, my work fellow. My, you know, Timothy was his work fellow. And, and then he says, greet Gaius, the host, and Erastus. Gaius, mine host, that means he stayed at his house. And the whole church salutes you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city. See, you see, he wasn't just dealing with a bunch of outcasts. He, he wanted to, to salute the man that functioned and operated the city. You know, don't, don't think this thing began just, just with the down and outs because you, you start looking over when he says they have Caesar's household greet you, you're getting into, into much bigger stuff. And so I, I'm, I'm sure you can, you, you can, you can follow those. Uh, who, and then he, in number 17, he says those that cause division, you throw them out. Now, he, there were some he didn't have fellowship with at all, you see. He says, avoid them, uh, for they serve not our, our Lord. The church will be established through the power of the gospel. Now, it says, now to him that is, that is of power, that's God, to establish you according to my gospel, he preached the truth. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Isn't that amazing? The true, blessed, wonderful uh, truth of, of, of redemption was kept secret for a long time. And then after Christ went to Calvary, it, it burst forth in mighty revelation. It is now made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, you know, they were prophecies, and now they come to light, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations. Isn't that something? Made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Made known to all nations that we might walk in the faith, live in the faith, be in the faith. To God, only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And so we have a very intimate relationship with the body of Christ. These people are all in Christ. You will meet all of these people one day. And he is specifically speaking of those who were forcefully in the body. We felt like we shouldn't uh, leave this very exciting uh, lesson until we give you a summary of it. And we decided that a summary of the lesson would be better found in, 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 uh, in scriptures than it would in, you might say, in teaching. Uh, well, let's go a little further, in opinions. And so we have decided in the summary of, of this entire group of lessons that we have had that what we will do is to give you one verse in each chapter. I want to tell you now that was hard to do. Some of these chapters are good. You'd like to have 12 verses at least in that one chapter. And, and so it was very difficult to find one verse that we felt like well, we didn't, want it, we didn't want you to feel like that it was better than the other, that it just was uh, more representative, possibly. And so we trust that you will enjoy your final lesson for this time in this exciting book, Book of Romans. In chapter 1, we have chosen verse 16. It is a tremendous verse. Paul made an astounding statement. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If the whole total church 
had never been ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the world would have been evangelized. Our generation would be evangelized if we were not ashamed. We get opportunities and we deliberately pass them by, you see. And, uh, and then we have so many of our people that they love the Lord, they serve the Lord, but they say they're timid. They're not timid at the dinner table. And they're not timid at the baseball game, if you heard that gang last night. Now, 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 you see, if we made as much noise as that bunch made, they'd call us fanatics. And they call themselves fans. Well, I know the attic goes on it. And so anyway, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? You know, he didn't just leave you hanging out there saying he wasn't ashamed. He said, because... The gospel of Jesus Christ is, say is. is. It is the power of God. The gospel is, when you preach the gospel, that is the power of God under salvation. It's the power of God that brings you redemption, that brings you your position in heaven, that causes your name to be inscribed in the Lamb's book of life. The preaching of the simplicity of the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. It has power to change people while you're talking it, while you're talking it, while you're saying it. It has power and authority to everyone. Say everyone. You know, the totality of the human race to everyone. What you got to do? You got to believe the thing. You got to believe the thing. Well, you got to believe in everything. You just name it and you got to believe in it. The only way to make it adaptable to you is, is your faith in it, your trust in it. Whether it's eating a dinner at a restaurant or whether it's riding on a plane, you've got to have faith that the thing's going to work out all right. Can you say amen? To him that believe it. And he says to the religious person, the Jew, the religious person, and also to the Greek, the intellectual person. So whether you're a religious person or an intellectual person, it makes no difference. The gospel works. And all the people said... In chapter 2, we chose verse 11. It says, For there is no respect of persons with God. Each one of these has a problem with it. It's a sermon, and we don't have time for 12 sermons right now. I wouldn't want to ask you how many are glad for that either. Anyway, there are no respect of persons, whether you are tremendously intellectual or whether you are a person that's unlearned whether you're a very wealthy person or a person that has nothing, there is no respect of humans with the Almighty. He looks at you and you all got one nose. He looks at you and you all got two eyes. He says, well, you're one of them. Don't matter if your body is dirty or clean, you're one of them. You see? How do you love the gospel that way? Yeah, that includes all of us. In chapter 3, we chose verse 24. It says, being justified freely by his grace. You see how these become sermons, every one of them? You and I are just as if we had never sinned. That's what justification means. We are just as if we had never sinned. We're just like the angels in heaven. That we have been wiped away of every sin and cleansed from every sin. Being justified freely not by your accomplishments, not even by your faith, but by His grace. He does it by unmerited grace. You, you don't get it in any way but by His sovereign grace. 
by his grace, you get it through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we are justified freely. That means completely and absolutely freely by his grace, the gift of God. No achievement on, of the human person, but the gift of God to him. In chapter 4, the verse that we have chosen is number 5. It says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, this is a, uh, uh, an involved statement where we should uh, give, you know, amplitude to, but I'm sure that we did at the time we were studying that chapter. But when you return to it, you always want to give uh, amplification to it. It says, to him that worketh not. Now, you, that don't mean your daily bread. We're not talking about your daily bread. But it, it's that man that crawls on his knees, you know, down, down, down there trying to find favor with God, or man that like we have seen in some countries beat his back until he's bleeding all down his back, you see. To, to the person that doesn't go after that. And even the guy that, that thinks that, that, that uh, Saturday is the only day to worship God, that Saturday is the only day, that Sunday is not the day, that Saturday is the day. To the person that's opposite of this, who doesn't try to achieve these things in him, that worketh not, but he believeth. Say believeth. He, he, he doesn't do that, but he believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. I tell you, what a sermon. Don't that get you going inside? Are you here or not? Amen. Dear Lord, I thought you were excitable. I didn't know that you're as, uh, as you are. <clears throat> I'm glad I leave out words sometimes. There are adjectives that I leave out. Uh, and, and, verse, and chapter 5, we chose verse 1. Therefore, being justified, no person ever preached salvation for the lost so capably as this man did. You say, why? He was a traveling salesman for Jesus, and he got well acquainted with his goods. He knew how to sell it on any street corner or any marketplace. And that is the reason he could say it so many different ways. So he's, he's still talking about justification, and you see we've been doing it all the way down through there in different chapters. We are justified by our faith. Another word for faith is trust. By our trust in the efficacious death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. By our, by our trust, we have peace with God. Say peace. The peace that we have in our hearts came from God, and it's because we are justified, not by merited activities or works, but by our faith in the blood of Jesus, our faith in Calvary, our faith in his resurrection, our faith in him as our glorious Savior. Because of that, we are justified. And how glad we are that we are, are justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, we chose verse uh, uh, 23. For the wages of sin is death. He's still dealing with that justification. How are you going to be justified, you know? The wages of sin, and, and this is a text that's been moved in, around all over the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we have to use this text, that sin does have wages. If you sin, you got wages for that. And many times we don't like our wages. When we get our paycheck, we don't like it. The Bible says that sin has wages. 
that you get your repayment from sin. Well, you, it's the same with good things. If you do good things, you get wages. You get paid back for it. If you love God, you get repayment for that. If you serve God, you get repayment for that. If you give to God, you get repayment for that. So when you serve sin, you get repayment. But you get repayment in the same kind of goods. You sow anger and you get it boiling back at you. You sow hate and you get it back. So many people don't like the condition they're in and it's your pages, your, your wages you got back from the devil. He paid you back. Evil people are not happy people. Did you know that? Evil people are not happy people. Ungodly people are not happy people. The people in these great and these great prison houses of the world are not happy people. In the prison house, they're getting their wages back, getting their wages back, double over, and they don't like, they don't like their wages. The wages of sin happens to be death, death to joy, death to peace, death to life, death in every form that you can imagine, that it is death. But, put a little circle on that word, but, I love circles, you know. Little circle on that word, but, but the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the gift of God? It is eternal life. It's immortality. And this gift that God gives us is, is of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. And in verse, in chapter 7, we're using verse 6, but now... We are delivered from the law. He makes this so plain in his book that we're not living in the book of Exodus. We're living in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and First and Second Corinthians. I'm glad you're living on the right side of the book. That is the right side of the book, isn't it? And on the right side of the book, we're, we're, we're living in the new covenant. But you say, well, why do we have the old covenant? Because it gives us so many things that approves itself in the new covenant that it is the beginning and the other is the end and it is a continuation of grace. It is a continuation of the teaching of the Almighty God and it's so good to have the old covenant. Can you say amen? We're not Jews that were in Egypt that had to get out of Egypt so we don't have to carry the Lord's day because that, that day that they came out of Egypt, they set themselves up as a Sabbath day. You see, that, that began to be their Sabbath, their day of deliverance out of Egypt. They says, now, every week, let us remember this day. Before that time, they did not have a Saturday as a Sabbath. It happened that that was the day that they got delivered from Egypt, and they instituted that as their day of worship, which is all right. You and I institute, institute another day, and that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, the whole universe hinges on that day, and it's a bigger day than the other day. And when he rose from the dead, it wasn't just for Jews, it was for everybody. Amen. And so we are glad that our worship day, and we don't even worship days, we live as good on Mondays as we do on Tuesday, but on the day that we set aside, and, and in, in Romans 14, you know, he, 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 does, he revolve, revolves that whole thing. So if you keep a day, you keep it unto the Lord. If you don't keep a day, you don't keep it unto the Lord. If you eat, you eat unto the Lord. If you don't eat, you don't eat unto the Lord. So he says it's your relationship with God that means everything and not what hour you pray. We should pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. And all the people said, all right, you're delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, 
we were in the law, the people of the Old Testament were in the law, and they were dead, they, didn't, they weren't spiritually alive, that we should serve in the newness of spirit. I'd put a little circle there if I were you, that one, around those three words, newness of spirit. We are a new thing in heaven. We are a new thing in the earth. We are those that have been renewed by the Holy Ghost of God, born again, changed, and how glad we are to be the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. And we don't belong to the oldness of the letter. That's speaking of the, of the, not the Ten Commandments, but of the ordinances that they set up for their worship times. In chapter 8, we have chosen verse 1. There is therefore now, hey, this is a good one, isn't it? There is therefore now, say now. Well, if I was you up, make another little circle. These circles are real pretty, you know. There's therefore now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not in eternity, not after you die. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in. Well, I like circles, you know. That are in Christ Jesus. That if you're in Christ Jesus, you are not condemned in any form whatsoever. Come on, say something. Don't just look at me. We, we, we have no condemnation. Whatever you may have done before that, whatever sins you may have committed before that, they don't, they don't count today. For the simple reason, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. But a lot of people don't like the rest of the verse. How are you in Christ Jesus? Because you don't walk after the flesh. You don't live the way sinners do. Are you here? If you're going to do everything sinners do, it seems to me that you're a sinner. If you're going to bray like a donkey, it seems to me like you're a donkey. If you bark like a dog, it seems to me like you're a dog. If you live like sinners, it seems to me like you're a sinner. Who walk not after the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. In chapter 9, we have chosen verse 3. It says, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. The Bible says that, that for a good man, one possibly might die. But it, it says not many people would die for someone. Here is a man so deeply in love with the world, with lost people, that he would forfeit his place in heaven. Can you imagine that? He would forfeit his place in heaven to get them saved. I've seen wives almost like that. They want their husbands saved so much. They want their husbands saved so strong until they would just do anything to get that husband saved. And I, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful attitude. And God understands that. God understands that. And no doubt, no doubt, millions of Jews have been saved from that moment he said that until this day. For the simple reason they saw the dedication of a man who was willing actually to lay down his life, more than that, lose his place in heaven to get other people there. That, that's a little further out than I'm able to go, reach out to. And I imagine it, it would be the same for you, but that's exactly what he said. To get his kinsmen saved, he would even be willing to be a curse from Christ. Now, God won't ever accept that. God saw that. And no doubt heaven bowed its head and says, what a man, what a man, willing to give up heaven in order to get other people here. But you don't have to give up heaven to get other people there. 
Jesus paid it all, and it's all paid, and you don't have to do anything about it, but tell them about it. Can you say amen? In verse 9, I mean, in chapter number 10, we have used uh, verse 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How could you find so many texts as you find in this book? Isn't that amazing? And, and mind you, we're not giving you all the texts. I mean, we just give you one little one out of each chapter here. And so that as we depart from the book of Romans, we have a summary of it, of the dynamics of such a writing as, as Paul gave. It had to come from the Holy Ghost. Certainly no man could conceive of the wisdom that's found in this book. How does faith come to us? Faith cometh by opening our inner part to hear, to hear, to, to hear. Uh, uh, you got to get it on the inside. You, have, you hear it, and it becomes part of your brain, becomes part of your thinking. So faith cometh by assimilating this truth of God to the insides of us, all the mind, emotions, and will, the total, the total insides. That faith uh, comes to us when we get the insides full of, of, of the Word, and he says, and hearing by the Word of God. So if you want faith in you, fill your insides with the Word of God, with the Word of God, with the Word of God. You can even buy the whole Bible and the New Testament on tape and can just turn it on in your apartment or in your home and just let it flow through the house all the time. Just the Word of God floating around in your house. And every time you hear something, it's the Word of God being spoken. I had some of these tapes that I put them in my car and I would, and, and I would, uh, I would play them. But I, I discovered something that between my gate of my home and my door to my, to my office, it took just about, just about 12 seconds. I wasn't getting much. I, I just <laughs> need to drive further to get to church. That's all. Some of you get to hear a whole book before you get here. That's living too far away. And, and chapter 11, we chose verse 33. All the depth, isn't this good? Ah, oh, all the depth of the riches, of the wisdom, the knowledge of Almighty. He had had a revelation. He'd had a, he'd had a view over that land of the omniscience of God, all-knowing God. He says the depths of the riches, wisdom, the knowledge of the Almighty, unsearchable are His judgments. His ways are past finding out. That's what eternity is going to be about. That's what eternity. We're going to learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. Billions of years of accepting and receiving and drinking in. Oh, oh, what a, what a future we have. Are you glad for that future? What a future we have. How wonderful it is to know that we have all these blessed things out there in, in, in front of us. So that was number 11. Number 12, we chose verse 2. And be not conformed. This is, this is one of my, this is one of my, 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 my good ones. You want to know why? You want me to tell on myself. When I went to school down south, they not only let the Bible be in the school, they made you put it in your heart. And we had memory verses in the Bible. And our class had the memory verses of this chapter 12. And you want to know the truth? 
I didn't learn it at all. And when I got to school, the teacher made me write this chapter 12 on the board about 10 times. I got home an hour late. My mother said, what in the world have you been doing? I said, writing the Bible. <laughs> she didn't believe it, you know. She knew I'd be writing something other, but not the Bible. Be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that great? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Making your mind think differently, live differently. That ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect. Isn't that, isn't that great? Three, three attitudes toward the will of God. Three. Acceptable will of God. Perfect will of God. That is good. The good will of God. And so God wants us to, to, to walk in his, his glorious will. His will for us is always great. His will for us is always happiness. And all the people said. In chapter 13, we chose verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, I think you ought to start living up to that. Stop buying stuff on credit. When do you have money before you buy stuff? It, it says, owe no man anything. Now, we know for a house or maybe for a car, that, that type of thing might be very difficult for you. But the smaller things inside your house, do without them till you can afford them. Thank you. I only need one to encourage me. Just one does the job. In, in, in chapter 15, we took verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. That is one of the great scriptures we that lesson we had just very recently here, that if you're strong, you don't abhor the weak, you don't curse the weak, you don't push them down. If you're strong, then what you're supposed to do is to help the weak by bearing their, their weaknesses and bearing their sorrows and sorrows and hurts and, and helping them to get strong. Can you say amen? amen? And then in the last chapter, chapter 16, we chose verse 25. Now, to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. He just simply told you that all the wonderful things in this book of Romans had been kept secret from the world because they were living in another dispensation. Jesus first had to come and to give his life on Calvary. Then we began this new and last dispensation of grace. And so we have it today. How many glad we got it? We have it today. And how glad we are that we have it. And how glad we are that we can study such a book as the book of Romans. Now, if I were to tell you what I'd like for you to do, I'd like for you to keep studying the book of Romans. I'd like for you to get the tapes all of these are on tape and play them and listen to them. I'd like for the book of Romans, you're still in the kindergarten of the book of Romans. We have just scratched the surface of the significance of the book of Romans. Now, if you begin to study it, you know something about your studies. And if you begin to study, the richness will start coming out and start blessing and strengthening you. I don't believe a person who reads the book of Romans every day would ever backslide. No, that's right. If you stop reading some other things that's a bunch of trash and start reading the book of Romans.